The AIDS diet plan helped me lose 28 pounds. AIDS helps control your appetite so you lose weight. Yet AIDS lets you taste, chew, and enjoy. And the appetite suppressant in AIDS is not a stimulant. AIDS helped me to lose 18 pounds, and it doesn't contain anything to make me nervous. Question, why take diet pills when you can enjoy AIDS? AIDS helps you lose weight without making you jittery. I don't know. Should we keep playing that? That's an actual commercial from 1982. Do we want to keep playing that? I don't know. Welcome to the mop up for February 24th, 2022. I'm David Feldman coming to you from an air shaft overlooking a parking garage somewhere in Manhattan where the temperature is 31 degrees and cloudy. Russia has invaded Ukraine. This is Europe's first large scale ground war in 80 years. 16 Ukrainian cities are now under siege. It was a multi-pronged invasion that began this morning as Russian soldiers attacked by ground, air, sea from northeast and south with uh, from from the north, the east, and south, with Russian paratroopers moving towards Kiev, the nation's capital, where shelling continues into the evening. The mayor of Kiev, a former heavyweight boxer, Vitaly Klitschko, has ordered a curfew that began at 8 p.m. this evening as air raid sirens shatter the evening air. The president of Ukraine, Zelensky, he's a former comedian, Wearing a military uniform went on national television today to warn of a new Iron Curtain that is about to descend over Eastern Europe. Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, said the invasion is an attack on all of Europe and warned this could be the beginning of a major European war. Recent polls show that nearly 70% of Ukrainians do not want to be absorbed by Russia, while more than half of Russians say they would support a major ground war to keep Ukraine from joining NATO. Let me go over that again, because war, as we all know, is an extension of politics by other means. New polls show that nearly 70% of Ukrainians do not want to be absorbed by Russia, while more than half of Russians say they would support a major ground war to keep Ukraine from joining NATO. We'll talk about NATO in a second. Ukraine's port city of Odessa along the Black Sea has also been attacked. Russian troops are flooding into Ukraine's second largest city, Kharkiv. Kharkiv is 20 miles from the Russian border and is host to a large Russian-speaking population. Back in 2014, when Russian-supported Ukrainian President Viktor F. Yanukovych was toppled, he fled to Kharkiv, where he was protected by the pro-Russian mayor. That is in Ukraine. Russian leader Vladimir Putin warned Western leaders today to stay out. He said, do not intervene or else they will face severe consequences. Putin added that Russia is a nuclear power. So far, dozens of Ukrainian citizens have been reportedly killed, along with more than 50 Ukrainian soldiers. That number is much higher since we started the show. The Ukrainian military fighting entirely on its own against a far superior Russian army lays claim to shooting down so far five Russian helicopters, seven airplanes, and destroying dozens of Russian tanks. Those numbers have probably increased 
since we started. President Biden and the rest of the NATO leaders have told Ukraine that no troops will be sent in to assist the Ukrainian people. Ukraine is not yet a member of NATO, where an attack against one member of NATO is considered an attack against all members. NATO currently has roughly 140,000 troops at its disposal right now that could go in and aid Ukraine. NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, was set up during the Cold War to counter the Soviet Union's Warsaw Pact. That was a collection of Soviet Eastern European armies aligned to protect communist countries from a Western invasion. Well, after the Soviet Union fell, the Warsaw Pact was disbanded, but NATO remained firmly intact with NATO troops being deployed to Afghanistan after 9-11. Afghanistan does border Russia. It's just not part of, Afghanistan is not part of Europe. During the 20th century, the United States sent American troops into South American countries more than 35 times to protect its interests, 35 times that we know of. Many of these invasions of Latin American countries were uh, justified uh, as enforcing the Monroe Doctrine, which prohibits any country other than America from interfering with Latin American, South American countries. America openly supported the invasions of Cuba and Nicaragua after both countries fell under Russian influence. Both the invasions of Cuba and Nicaragua failed to remove their Soviet allied leaders. A Castro-style government is still in charge of Cuba, while Daniel Ortega, the Sandinista who helped overthrow the American-supported Somoza government in Nicaragua, is back in charge of Nicaragua. As far as I can recall, the American government protected its fear of influence using CIA-backed guerrillas like the Contras in Nicaragua or the mafia working with Cuban refugees uh, to overthrow Castro or the CIA funding military coups to remove Allende and replace him with fascists like General Pinochet. As for a full-scale invasion of a neighboring country, like what we're seeing Russia do to Ukraine, the only thing that comes to mind in recent memory is George Herbert Walker Bush's Operation Just Cause, the land, air, and sea invasion of Panama back in 1989 to remove General Manuel Noriega, who was an ally of George Herbert Walker Bush's, uh, but we sent in the troops to remove Manuel Noriega. We captured him and flew him back to America and imprisoned him, charging him with international drug trafficking that he was most likely doing in tandem with our CIA and probably George Herbert Walker Bush. That was Operation Just Cause. I think that's the closest we've come uh, most recently to invading a Latin American, South American country using our troops. That's the Grenada, Caribbean, but that's the closest, I think, we, we have gotten to what Putin is doing in Ukraine. That was uh, the invasion of Panama, Operation Just Cause. In 1989, 23 American soldiers were killed in the month-long operation down there. Former Attorney General Ramsey Clark 
estimated at the time that as many as 3,000 Panamanian civilians were killed by American soldiers. This was against international law. Our invasion of Pakistan was against international law. The cornerstone of international law is that no member of the United Nations, which is headquartered here in New York City, no member of the United Nations can invade another country unless it is in self-defense. You cannot invade a country to prevent a possible invasion. You can only invade a country after the invasion has begun. George Bush said back then he invaded Panama as an act of self-defense. That was a lie. He was claiming that he was protecting American civilians living there. This is what Putin says when he goes into Ukraine. And the UN General Assembly back in 1989 told Bush that uh, he was lying. They did not approve the invasion of Panama. That was the UN General Assembly, but they get vetoed by the UN Security Council. The UN is bicameral. You have the UN General Assembly. That's every member of the UN. I don't know, what is it, like 180 nations? And then you have the UN Security Council, which is made up primarily of all the uh, countries that won World War II, and then they have rotating members of the Security Council. They add, I think, two or three rotate in and out. But basically, the UN Security Council is, is made up of Russia, now China, uh, France, uh, Germany, Russia, and think of them as the Supreme Court. They can veto whatever the UN General Assembly says, and they vetoed the UN General Assembly and they said America was free to do whatever it wanted down in Panama. The UN said America was, the UN General Assembly said America was in violation of international law when it invaded Panama, but the Security Council vetoed the UN General Assembly. The, U, uh, the UN Security Council is made up of the wealthiest members of the UN. So they get to say, what the law is, and the law never applies to the rich and powerful. International law does not apply to the United States. That's why African generals and presidents are dragged before the International Criminal Court, but not George W. Bush. And uh, the law simply does not apply to the rich and powerful, which is why the new Manhattan district attorney is not going to pursue charges against the Donald Trump crime family. But an 80-year-old nun whose habit turned out to be gambling, she was sentenced to several years behind bars because she stole some bingo money from the school. And the nun is doing, 80-year-old nun, doing several years for stealing money from her school to feed her gambling habit. We send an 80-year-old nun to prison, but Donald Trump, George W. Bush, Dick Cheney walk free. So uh, Panama, the United States Constitution gives Congress and only Congress the right to declare war. But the War Powers Act of 1973 allows a president to invade any country he sees fit and then seek congressional approval if the operation lasts more than 60 days. Panama came in under a month, so George Herbert Walker Bush got to invade Panama, grab Noriega, 
and bring him back to the United States uh, in enough time that he didn't need to ask Congress's permission. That's the War Powers Act of 1973, not our Constitution. The way war-making powers have been set up now in America, it's uh, when it comes to war, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission, kind of the way Silicon Valley operates. Getting a war authorization, getting a declaration of war from Congress is next to impossible. So it's easier to just go in, invade first, and then ask for forgiveness. The reason the War Powers Act of 1973 permits a president to invade without permission, we were told that a president has to be able to move swiftly. World events happen in the blink, blink of an eye, and a commander in chief must act decisively and instantaneously. He doesn't have time for Congress to debate war. We need a commander in chief who can strike immediately. The, the ticking time bomb theory that a president must be free to commit troops anywhere any place he wants without congressional debate. That is not what our founding fathers wanted. But in 1973, at the height of the nuclear age, we somehow got convinced that all war-making powers, powers should devolve to the commander-in-chief. And then he asks for forgiveness after he uh, declares war. And yet... And yet, that is not true about war. War doesn't happen in the blink of an eye. It doesn't. For weeks, Joe Biden was saying, Putin is about to attack Ukraine. Hey, everybody, Putin is about to attack Ukraine. He's going to do it a week from Wednesday or maybe two weeks from Thursday. We knew weeks in advance that Putin was at least amassing troops along the border and we saw the troops along the border. A lot of us dismissed these, uh, these claims that there was going to be a war, an invasion, but we knew, we knew something was happening, and Biden knew something that we didn't know. I'll talk about that in a second. I'm talking about the War Powers Act and the idea that we have to move so quickly that we can't ask Congress to perform its constitutional duty and declare war. We know if a war is maybe about to start. In fact, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, told Congress last year that there really is no such thing as a surprise war, a surprise need to, to go to war immediately. Last year, Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, told Bob Woodward that when Trump was refusing to leave office, he took it upon himself as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to call China and tell his counterpart over there not to worry. We have no plans of invasion. Calm down. Stand down. There's going to be no war. And this upset the crypto fascists in the Republican Party who support Trump. They wanted to know why the American military was tipping off the Chinese military, saying that we have no plans to attack. And General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, calmly explained that China would know if we were going to attack them. 
They would know before we would attack them. There's no such thing as a surprise attack. That if there was some kind of dust up over Taiwan, he said they could see, the Chinese could see our aircraft carriers moving into position. We, they, they would know that a war or an invasion was about to start. And he added, before there's a war, there is conversation. There's a conversation between the opposing generals. They, they set up the uh, rules of engagement. This is as old as war, where they talk before they fight. In other words, there is enough time to get congressional approval of a war. The commander in chief does not have to act instantaneously. Pearl Harbor was attacked on December 7th. It was supposedly a surprise attack. Roosevelt, the next day, was able to get a declaration of war. That was the last time a president got a declaration of war. Supposedly, after a surprise attack, they debated it. They had conversations. It was, I think it was next to unanimous. And Roosevelt, in one day, got his declaration of war. The World Trade Center came down on September 11th. Now, Bush didn't need a war authorization to defend America from another terrorist attack, right? He could have, without anybody's permission, he's the commander in chief, he could have scrambled our military jets immediately, immediately, but he didn't. You don't need to ask Congress for permission to protect the nation from incoming. He didn't scramble our military jets, uh, that whole other it's a whole other story. He just sat reading My Pet Goat. And then we found out it was Vice President Cheney, the war criminal in the Situation Room, giving permission to our Air Force to shoot down any American plane that had been hijacked and was heading towards the Capitol. That order was given by Dick Cheney. It was supposed to be given only by George W. Bush. And... Uh, Cheney usurped his authority, but you don't need to go to Congress to ask for permission to defend America. But invading another country, you need permission. Not anymore now because of the War Powers Act, but you should need permission. The invasion of Afghanistan, which, by the way, didn't attack us on 9-11, we probably should have gotten a, a war declaration before we launched our invasion of Afghanistan. Eventually, Bush got his war authorization to attack Afghanistan for 9-11. Would have been nice instead of a war authorization. He had to get a declaration of war. Then we wouldn't have spent 20 years in Afghanistan. Then somebody, somebody would have pointed out the Taliban didn't attack us. Afghanistan didn't attack us. Osama bin Laden is from Saudi Arabia. All the terrorists were from Saudi Arabia. Osama bin Laden is hiding in Tora Bora up in like undeclared territory straddling Afghanistan and Pakistan. Why are we going to occupy Afghanistan? It's the graveyard of empires. And, you know, we had special forces who went into Afghanistan less than a month after 9-11. We reportedly had bin Laden uh, without a massive invasion. We had the CIA and special forces who supposedly had 
bin Laden and supposedly the Taliban was going to help the CIA find bin Laden, but we refused the Taliban's help. Instead, Donald Rumsfeld ordered the CIA to stand down, let bin Laden go. He wanted an invasion and he got an invasion. He got a war authorization, a 20-year war in Afghanistan that had the Bush crime family been forced by the Constitution to get a declaration of war as the Constitution demands, we could have debated whether or not to invade Afghanistan. And by the way, the Democrats were still in charge of the Senate. Tom Daschle, Senate Majority Leader, Democrat, was in charge of the Senate. Had the Democrats had any balls, which they didn't, which is why Ralph Nader ran against Al Gore in 2000, they would have stood up. They would have stopped the war by demanding a declaration of war. So, yeah, uh, Ukraine. The Russians have invaded Ukraine. We were, on this show, we were kind of convinced that they wouldn't do that. Uh, back in 2020, President Donald Trump got impeached after he told the Russian president on the phone that the shipment of nearly half a billion dollars worth of arms would be delayed unless he was given dirt on then-candidate Joe Biden's son, Hunter. We, Ukraine has been with us for quite a while. In northern Ukraine today, Chernobyl, the scene of the world's worst nuclear accident back in 1986, I believe, it's now been seized by Russia. Russia is reclaiming that cordoned off city the town is inside a 1,000 square mile protective zone where nobody is supposed to go. Shelling continues there, and there is now worry that fighting could kick up radioactive dust that would once again spread into parts of Europe. The Russian stock market responded to today's invasion by losing one third of its value. This may not be what Putin wanted. Here in the United States, the stock market started off its day losing as much as 800 points, but ended in the positive category. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, those are some of the facts from what I consider to be reliable sources. Now, during the past 10 years, Americans have heard mixed messages from our leaders when it comes to Vladimir Putin. 10 years ago was 2012. That's when Barack Obama was running for re-election against Mitt Romney, who during the debate warned that Barack Obama was taking his eye off the ball when it came to Vladimir Putin. Obama cockily responded something along the lines of saying, hey, Mitt, the 20th century called and it wants its foreign policy back. I actually think he did that line. I think he did that stock hacky stand-up line, like the 20th century called and it wants its foreign policy back. I'm pretty sure he said that, literally, word for word, because the Democrats in 2012 thought Romney was foolish for warning us about Russia and Putin. America, we were convinced, 
had other things to worry about. We were convinced that Russia is old news. This was back in 2012. We were told that Russia is no longer the Soviet Union and they've changed. We were told they're us. We've, we've built them in our own image now. They're, they're capitalists. Maybe it's not the democracy we would prefer, but it's a friend of Wall Street and any friend of Wall Street is a friend of America's. Then, four years later in 2016, the same president, Barack Obama, and his intelligence agencies began to worry that Vladimir Putin was interfering with American elections. It was 2016. Hillary was running against Donald Trump. And back then, it was just assumed that Hillary Clinton was going to win. That's why the head of the FBI, James Comey, gave those press conferences during the presidential campaign, updating us on his investigation into Hillary's email server. Everyone assumed Hillary was going to win, and he just wanted to make sure the American people knew that when she became president, he as FBI director was going to be impartial, that he was going to hold her feet to the fire. Never held Donald Trump's feet to the fire because he claims that he never thought Donald Trump was going to win, but Hillary lost. Trump won. Because... Because we now know that the last people to know what's happening in America are the people who are running it. The last people to know what's happening in America are the people running it. It turns out Hillary was hated just as much as Donald Trump. We knew that Hillary was hated, but we didn't know how much Obama was also hated. And looking back, we now realize that the American people saw Barack Obama, the Democrats, as dyed-in-the-wool corporatists. And we now know that Obama triggered a groundswell of populism that came from Bernie supporters and Trump supporters. The people in charge of the Democratic Party had no idea how much they were despised from the left and the right. Now, Trump did lose the popular vote. He won the Electoral College and all the experts were stunned. It should not have been close. How is this possible? On election day, on November, Ninth was it November 9th? No, uh, 9-11. Was it November 9th, 2016? Anyway, in November of 2016, Trump won, and the experts were stunned. How is it possible that Donald Trump did this? It was, it was Pearl Harbor. It was 9-11. It was stunning. And, and Washington's gatekeepers, the, the ones who are supposed to prevent something like this from happening, the ones who are to keep our elections safe from somebody who wants to uh, change things, they let their guard down. The same way we let our guard down on 9-11, the people in charge of our elections let their guard down. And Trump hijacked our government and flew it right into the ground. It, it was a terrorist attack. 
And there were people who serve as our uh, political systems joint chiefs of staff. They're both Republicans. They're both Democrats. They represent not so much the status quo as the richest 1%. It was their job to make sure that nobody messes with our election to make sure that they get to pick who the president is. When it comes to America's democracy, we have a, a battery of bipartisan anti-ballistic missiles aimed at any stray candidate who intends to wreak havoc on the ruling class. And that's why in 2020, once NORAD spotted Bernie heading for the White House, they knocked him out of the sky. They knew he was dangerous. So Obama gathered the troops and got Biden nominated. And uh, because they could not allow 2016 to happen again, Trump. That's when the Americans, 2016 is when the, the Americans in charge of our defense systems fell asleep at the, the switch and we were attacked by Donald Trump. We learned in 2016 that our elections were not safe. We learned that, my God, anyone could get elected president, and we can't have that. And the Democrats needed someone to blame. We know this. And there were many reasons Hillary lost, mostly because she's Hillary. But there were other reasons as well. It, it, was Russian interference. It had to be Russian interference. And so the Democrats and the media decided to tell the American people that Putin had interfered in our elections, which as we all know is horrible because only the richest 1% who control both parties, only they get to interfere with our elections. So by the time Donald Trump was sitting in the Oval Office, Barack Obama, who four years earlier said Putin was no threat to America. Four years later, Barack Obama was now telling everyone, along with the stenographers and the media, that Putin had hacked our democracy. Hey, Barack, the 20th century called. They said they want back their foreign policy. It's amazing what people will say. Uh, to further their agenda. Well, what is the truth about Putin? I don't believe, I don't know. I don't believe Trump won because of Putin. But I do believe Putin helped. He helped in ways I don't think any of us can understand. I think he helped with advertising on Facebook and Google. I think he helped providing Trump with Compromat on Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell that got them to fall in line. We are talking ex-KGB agent here. I think an ex-KGB agent is a, a, a marvel at oppo research and can drop, uh, hand Donald Trump a manila envelope that he could then drop on Lindsey Graham's desk and say, you want me to talk about this? And Lindsey Graham becomes a lapdog. Did Putin, did Putin put, did he install 
Donald Trump in the White House? No. The same way I believe secondhand smoke contributes to lung cancer, it's not the same as actually smoking a cigarette. I believe that Putin interfered in our 2016 election. I believe he hacked our democracy. Not as much as the Republican Party hacks our democracy, but since the GOP does hack our, dem our democracy, I have no doubt that they took whatever help from Putin he was willing to offer. You have seen the Mueller report. You have seen the emails back and forth where people from Putin's administration are offering compromise to Don Trump Jr. and they're holding meetings in Trump Tower. So Trump upset the leaders of both the Democratic Party and the old guard of the Republican Party, the Never Trumpers, the Bill Crystals, the, the David Frums, the, uh, the Lincoln Project criminals, and of course the Bushes. Uh, they were all pissed that someone other than themselves had hacked American elections. Now, I've been doing this show for 13 years. I know, I don't know all my listeners, but I know a lot of them. I don't have that many. <laughs> I know them by name. I know a lot of my listeners are probably disagreeing with me. I know many of you believe that Putin had nothing to do with Trump winning the election. Absolutely nothing. I disagree. I know many of my listeners say, you know what, even if Putin did hack the 2016 election, who cares? America deserves it. I disagree. Now, I'm an American. Pardon my patriotism, but I love this shithole we call a country. This shithole is my home. We do horrible things all over the world. We are doing horrible things all over the world, including this podcast. But not all of you do horrible things. And many of you are fighting to stop this country from doing horrible things. And some of you, as long as you're white, don't end up going to prison for speaking out. I'm not going for patriotism here. I'm just saying, as an American, I prefer the Democrats and the Republicans hacking our elections to Vladimir Putin hacking our elections. Call me old fashioned, but if our elections are going to be hacked, and they always are, I rather have them hacked by people who must live here in America and face the consequences. There is no question, there is no question that Barack Obama and Clyburn hacked the election and installed Biden so that Bernie wouldn't be nominated. There's no question that they hacked that election. And I loathe Barack Obama for that. But I prefer Barack Obama influencing our elections to Vladimir Putin doing it. I think a lot of my listeners, a lot of people on the left, uh, 
don't get that. I think they dismiss Russiagate as, what do they call it, a nothing burger? Uh, and they turn on the mainstream media as well they should, as well they should for inflating. Russiagate was like Inflategate, actually. Uh, Rachel Maddow, MSNBC, we know, I know they don't report the news and they spent way too much time on Putin and not nearly enough on income inequality or more importantly, Medicare for all, right? But that doesn't mean they were wrong about Putin meddling in our elections. They fixated on it to the exclusion of everything else, but that doesn't make them wrong about trying to find out to finally do some kind of investigative reporting, even though they were basically just uh, being fed information by the CIA. But uh, that doesn't mean they were wrong about Putin meddling in our elections. He meddled. Not sure how successfully, but he meddled. Yes, America meddles in Russian elections, but Putin meddled in our elections. And here's the most important thing. If you hate Trump and everyone around him, as I do, I've hated him for 40 years. If you think he is a fascist who tried to destroy what's left of our republic, I happen to believe that, then you prosecute him. Then you prosecute him. You go after him with everything you have the minute he becomes president. You destroy him legally and peacefully by any means necessary. The minute he's sworn in as president, you tie him up with lawsuits and investigations. You find any reason to prosecute Donald Trump. You look into the inaugural committee, you look into his Manhattan real estate, you look into his taxes, you look into the emoluments clause, you find every and any reason to lock this man up. You drag his presidency into the mud. You cost him time and money and you destroy all his enablers. You make them rack up legal bills. You make them beg him for pardons. You make them compromise themselves by going on TV and like uh, Giuliani and and uh, developing uh, drinking problems and and just showing themselves to be the fools they are. You cost these people time and money because as bad as everybody is in our country, Trump is the worst of the worst and you need to get him behind bars. And when you want to get somebody behind bars, you rely on something called prosecutorial discretion. When you are trying to put somebody behind bars, you, you look for whatever crimes they've committed and then pick the one that you think will be the most effective in front of a jury. It's up to the prosecutor to decide what crime he's going to pursue. Unfortunately, we had Robert Mueller. That's a whole other story. Four years ago, I wanted Donald Trump out of office 
and arrested for crimes going back to the 70s because Donald Trump is a mobster and they're slippery and it's very hard to lock up a mobster. You usually have to wait till another mobster performs the act of justice in front of Sparks Steakhouse. It's very hard to lock up mobsters because they will stop at nothing to stay out of jail. So any way you can lock up a mobster, you do it. Al Capone, Al Capone was finally sent to jail for taxes. Of all the crimes Al Capone committed, it was a joke. You're sending him to jail for taxes? You, by any means necessary, by any means necessary. And I said that if you can lock up Trump for colluding with the Russians, by any means necessary, whatever gets him behind bars, do it. What we're trying to do is lock up Donald Trump legally. Now, when Al Capone was sent away, nobody said taxes really nobody pays their taxes that's not fair this is bogus what about roosevelt he doesn't pay his tax what about harry truman he owed some money you're gonna lock up al capone just because yeah you're gonna lock up al capone for any reason that you can to get him locked up unless you like al capone unless you believe that mobsters should not be locked up but if you're going to lock up a mobster, you find anything you can that a jury will convict on and you lock them up. Uh, it, I remember as a kid reading about Al Capone going to prison for taxes, and I thought it was kind of funny. And then you realize, well, he's kind of like Trump. You know, he Trump owned New York City. Capone owned Chicago, which means he owns the judges and the prosecutors and the police, the feds have to step in by any means necessary. Taxes, taxes, you get him on taxes. Trump is mobbed up. His entire real estate empire was built on laundering money for the American mafia, the Russian mafia, ex-KGB agents and Russian oligarchs. I don't care how you stop him, just stop him. Get him for Russian collusion. Get him for inciting a riot in front of the Capitol. Just get him. And then get Biden. I don't care. What do I care if you lock up Biden or if you lock up Nancy Pelosi? Lock them up. Keep locking up these people till we finally get honest people running our government. But I'll tell you that Biden and, and Pelosi are not crypto fascists. They're, they're, they're crime families. The Bidens are criminal and, and Pelosi is a criminal, but they are not mortal threats to our republic the way Donald Trump and this Republican Party has become. So lock them up while you have the muscle, as Frankie Five Angels would say. Russiagate wasn't about Putin. It was about trapping Trump 
or at the very least slowing him down, which I think uh, the people who were on his tail, I think they succeeded in slowing him down by just, just persecuting him. If you can't prosecute Trump, persecute him. And I know the media got stories wrong about Russiagate. That's what happens when, when, you, uh, when you're reporters and you're digging. That's what happens when you're stenographers for old uh, officials in the National Security Council and people, uh, Democrats who work for the CIA. When you're jotting down notes from them, you're going to get things wrong. But that's what happens in journalism. And the New York Times apologizes when it gets things wrong, by the way. So as for, for Russiagate, just because something is a bright, shiny object that the Democrats use to distract us from the real problems in our country, that doesn't mean that bright, shiny object that's distracting us isn't actually true. Maybe, maybe Russiagate, maybe Putin isn't the most important problem facing America, uh, but it's still a problem. Putin is a bad guy. Vladimir Putin is a bad guy. Uh, now, just because our healthcare system kills thousands of Americans each week through medical malpractice that goes unchallenged or from uh, people being denied treatment because they can't afford it, just because our country is run by oligarchs who couldn't care less if we live or die, that doesn't mean Putin is a nice guy. If uh, you shoot me in the face and then stab me in the arm, the shot in the face is what's going to kill me. But that knife wound to the arm is, is still going to hurt. Uh, and then if I stub my toe, well, I've been shot in the face, stabbed in the arm, and I stub my toe running, you know, to let the, the medics in, that stubbing my toe, that, that's going to hurt. It's not going to be as bad as getting shot in the face. And that's who Putin is. Putin is, is the stubbed toe. I don't like stubbing my toe. It hurts, uh, but it's still bad. It's not as bad as getting shot in the face or this analogy. I think this analogy is worse than getting shot in the face. Look, I think we can all agree that as bad as America is, it's still our shitty home. And just because we meddle in other countries' business, which we shouldn't, it's not okay for Putin to meddle in ours. Those on the right, the defenders of Trump, and those on the left who hated Hillary, I've noticed that they immediately deploy the what about argument. And I find it tiresome. I, I do. And it, it doesn't end. Yes, you were shot in the face. Uh, but you also stubbed your toe. What about getting stubbed in the toe? Why are you complaining about getting shot in the face when you've also stubbed your toe? That is how political discussions, that's where they've devolved to these days. Uh, this is like fourth grade stuff. Tucker Carlson, 
who never met an authoritarian who doesn't make him cream his pants, was saying this week that Putin in Ukraine is not so bad. He said, why do you hate Putin? What did Putin ever do to you? And people are going, you know what? He's right. Then he goes on to say, Putin never tried to teach my child critical race theory. This is the whataboutism. This is, yes, he's invaded Putin. He's invaded Ukraine, but he's not forcing critical race. What about critical race theory? Shouldn't we be worried about that instead? He never, he never tried to call me a racist, said Tucker Carlson. Putin never tried to get me fired because he disagreed with my politics. Tucker Carlson said Putin never made the fentanyl our kids overdose on, or he never tried to snuff out Christianity. Not so sure about that. And he says, why? This is what Tucker Carlson says. Why are we supposed to hate Putin? And some on the left deploy the same argument. Why worry about Putin when we do the same exact things he's doing, or there are other things to worry about, those on the left, those on the right, deploy this what about stuff uh, when they say uh, we should not be interfering in Ukraine. And that they may be right. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Russia has invaded Ukraine. Is, is that? A bad thing. Can we discuss today uh, what the truth is about Russia invading Ukraine without moral certainty, without judgment? Just what what are the facts? Uh, seems like a lot of my friends have a lot of very strong opinions about Putin, Ukraine, and Biden. Seems like I have a lot of strong opinions about. Ukraine, Putin and Biden. But these opinions sometimes eclipse the facts on the ground. Uh, I'd like today's show, I'd like the discussion not to be whether or not we should be sending troops to Eastern Europe. I don't think we need to catastrophize. I don't think we need to go right to, should we nuke Moscow? We don't have to go there. Uh, I think we should probably discuss exactly what is happening in Ukraine right now. We don't know what the absolute truth is because the first casualty of war is the truth. Actually, that's not true. It's probably a soldier. The second casualty of war is the truth. I'm hearing a lot of uh, conflicting arguments, not facts. Uh, a lot of Putin apologists uh, on this show, and I've made this case, I've said that back in 2014, that Putin took Crimea and that it was no big deal. This is something I said back in 2014. Uh, I said it's no big deal because Crimea never really belonged to Ukraine, that it was a gift to the Ukrainians back in the 50s. Uh, when Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union. Uh, I've said on the show that Crimea is mostly Russian speaking and they welcomed Russia as liberators. That's something I said about eight, well, 2014, about six years ago. Is it true? Maybe, maybe. Uh, 
I said it thinking that Putin wasn't going to invade Ukraine. I was I wasn't certain that he wasn't going to invade Ukraine. But I said I didn't think he was going to invade Ukraine. Last week on the show, we said that Putin only wanted Donetsk and Luhansk, collectively known as the Donbass region, where most of the residents speak Russian and would prefer being part of Russia and not Ukraine. We said that as recently as Monday on this show. Then on Monday, Putin recognized these two breakaway republics. And on this show, we said that while it was probably unfortunate, it was probably no cause for alarm. Howie Klein, who uh, is pretty wise, when he was on the show mon Monday, he asked a difficult question. He said, does this feel like Germany taking the Sudetenland from Czechoslovakia? When the rest of Europe said it was no big deal because the Sudetenland was filled with German-speaking people who felt they were being rescued by Hitler. There was pushback when Howie said that. I think a lot of us wanted to believe Putin would stop with the Donbass region on Monday. I think a lot of people also just didn't care. I think a lot of people on the left said, you know what, who cares? It's none of my business. And that Russia has every right to invade countries along its border, especially since Ukraine wants to join NATO, which would make it aligned with an army of nations, 140,000 soldiers who are primed to attack Russia. That's true. That's true. Ukraine does want to join NATO. Russia doesn't want that. Russia has every right not to want Ukraine to join NATO. Should it invade Ukraine over NATO? It's true that America would never allow a neighboring country to be aligned with an army that opposes American interests. It's also true that America invades other countries. We even invaded Afghanistan, which neighbors Russia. It's right on the southern border of Russia. Yes, it is true that Putin invaded Ukraine, but up until a few months ago, we had a 20-year invasion of Afghanistan right up against Russia. And we would never allow Russia to invade Canada or Mexico. It's out of the question. It's all true. But that doesn't make Putin's invasion of Ukraine okay, because all war is bad, ours and Russia's. Our invasion of Afghanistan was criminal. So is Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Our invasion of Panama was criminal. So was Russia's invasion of Afghanistan. So I think what's needed now, perhaps, 
is a little humility. Uh, I find it somewhat humbling to go to the internet and read what's happening in Ukraine. I did not think uh, Putin would invade Ukraine the way he's invading it today. Biden did. And all I do on this show is trash Biden, who spent Thanksgiving in the home of David Rubenstein, head of the Carlyle Group, the largest war profiteer in the world. He knew there was going to be an invasion, but we all thought otherwise. Uh, we all said Russia has no intention of invading Ukraine. We were told that Russia always amasses troops along the Ukrainian border, that it's a seasonal thing. Every year this happens as sort of a military training exercise, we were told. And this is just the Biden administration overreacting because it wants a war or it wants people scared to think there's a war. So David Rubenstein from the Carlisle Group can make more money selling weapons to Eastern Europe members of NATO. For, for several weeks in the lead up to today's invasion, I think on this show, we pretty much said, don't worry that Putin is not going to invade Ukraine because the last thing Putin needs is another Russian quagmire like the one Afghanistan turned out to be. That's what I said. That's what I thought. I thought, why would he invade Ukraine? Uh, but he did. So perhaps a little humility on my part. Perhaps a little humility. Uh, perhaps all of us could benefit from some humility. Uh, no, this isn't the Sudetenland. This isn't Chamberlain, peace in our time or appeasement. Uh, but it smells a little like it. Just a little. Smells like it. If you, if you told us, as I did, that Russia would never invade, if you believe Russia was just testing NATO, but they would never in invade, uh, I think I owe it to myself. Uh, to wonder what else I've gotten wrong. I did not think Putin would invade Ukraine. I also didn't think it was all that important. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not important. I felt it was a distraction. Maybe it is. Uh, humili humility dictates uh, that I don't know. I don't know if this is a distraction. I don't know if this is important. I do know that 140 million Americans are living at or below the poverty line. In a few weeks, 1 million Americans will have died from COVID. In America, suicide and drug addiction are at record numbers, and it's next to impossible, unless you're rich, to get help for your mental illness without going out of pocket. Those issues, to me, are far more worrisome than the people of Ukraine 
falling under the thumb of Vladimir Putin. However, that doesn't make Vladimir Putin invading Ukraine okay, the same way it doesn't make America invading Afghanistan okay. Uh, I don't know. I am sure we'll do the forensics on Ukraine and we'll learn further how America destroyed Ukraine, how we propped up neo-Nazis in Ukraine and that we gave to Ukraine our own form of corruption. That's not okay, what we did in Ukraine, but that still doesn't mean Putin invading Ukraine is okay, unless you believe he is liberating Ukraine. Maybe you believe that. I don't know. Maybe you're rooting for Putin. Maybe you think the Ukrainian people would be better off if it were part of the Russian Federation. Maybe you think Al Capone, it was unfair for Al Capone to go to prison because of taxes. I don't know. Maybe none of us need an opinion. Maybe we need information, facts. Facts that mean nothing other than the truth, no matter how much or how little they jibe with our world view. We have to be careful not to interpret the news to make a case for our own worldview. I think a lot of Americans don't get the news. They get the news filtered through the prism of left or right or some kind of agenda. I would just like to know what is happening on the ground in Ukraine. Maybe we owe it to ourselves and each other to first ascertain what the facts are, as opposed to bringing up all the crimes against humanity this country has and continues to commit. I've had discussions on the phone with some friends who will not discuss what's going on in Ukraine without bringing up every horrible crime America has committed. I know America has committed crimes. I know that. Russia invaded Ukraine. That's criminal. Uh, I know we invaded Afghanistan and Iraq and Vietnam. Cuba, I know that. On and on. Mexico. But Russia invaded Ukraine. What do you think is going on? Some people will not even talk to me about what is happening in Ukraine without bringing up all the horrible crimes America has committed. That's not the conversation I want to have because the news coming out of Ukraine seems awfully disturbing. I don't know how much we should care. An argument could be made that this stuff happens all the time, especially in Africa, and nobody seems to care. But when white people get invaded, it's upsetting because Ukrainians look like us, so we care more. So maybe, maybe we should ignore Ukraine. Maybe. I don't know. Since Russia seized Crimea back in 2014, roughly 14,000 people have died in that region as fighting continued between Ukraine and Russian separatists. That's a lot of people, 14,000 people 
have died over roughly eight years, 14,000 dead. And that comes out to about 1,750 people dying a year. That's a lot of people, 1,750 people dying as Russian separatists fight Ukraine's army. 1,750 people a year. But that's nothing compared to the United States, where each year 115,000 Americans are shot by other Americans. 15,000 Americans each year are murdered with guns. 25,000 use a gun to commit suicide. And more than 1,000 Americans each year are shot to death by our police. I don't know. Maybe we should worry about gun violence in America before we worry about it in Ukraine. I don't know. Maybe we should worry about the separatists in America and not the separatists in Ukraine. We have a convoy of truckers heading for Washington, for Biden's State of the Union. Maybe we should be worrying about those separatists. Uh, I get isolationism. I understand it. Sometimes isolationism is, is a dirty word. Uh, Joseph Kennedy, that was Kennedy's father, President Kennedy's father. Charles Lindbergh paid a, a, a heavy political price for their isolationism. And their isolationism wasn't just about wanting to stay out of war. It was about liking Hitler. That's where their isolationism came from. Kennedy and Lindbergh admired Hitler. Uh, there were people in, uh, in, in England who liked Hitler. Wasn't so much they were trying to avoid war. It was, you know, this Hitler guy is not so bad. So when I hear isolationism uh, with Putin, I can't help but wonder, maybe they like, maybe you like Putin. Maybe I, sh maybe I should like Putin. Now, again, it's a different time. Uh, but we're not, you know, we're not entitled. We're not always entitled to the luxury of isolationism. I, I suspect this is one of those moments. I I, I've been wrong completely with Putin. Completely wrong. Uh, I believe Putin... Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I was wrong about the the breakaway. I was wrong about Crimea and the two uh, breakaway republics. Let me be wrong again. I think he'll stop with Ukraine. I don't think he's coming for America, but he might be coming for Europe. Uh, maybe... I like to think that he probably just needs Ukraine. Ukraine spends $2 billion a year on Russian gas. Ukraine has also signaled that it wants to get its gas from the West and not from Putin. Maybe that's why Putin is invading. How much of this is climate change? Uh, Russia is supplying Europe with gas. 
we shouldn't be using gas. Uh, what's going on with with our oil consumption? Well, America wants to supply Europe with gas. America wants to supply Germany with gas. We don't want Russia giving, selling gas to Ukraine or Germany. So the question is, does America need a war in Ukraine? Does America need a war in Ukraine? Uh, the price of oil has spiked past $100 a barrel, which is fantastic news for ExxonMobil. When the price of oil doubles, they pass that along to the consumers, which means profits for Exxon double. Exxon headquartered in Texas, and its stock is now nearing a 52-week high. It had a great quarter. It just reported a, a, a fantastic, fantastic profits. Why? Because the price of oil has gone up and that's passed along to the consumers and the oil companies are thrilled because they've been battered for years. See, the oil companies were not doing well. Uh, for years, America was flooding the market with cheap gas, cheap oil, fracked out of the Permian Basin down south, Texas, Oklahoma. Well, the, the oil companies, they, they want us fracking the Permian Basin, but uh, then they begin to suffer because, see, they want us to drill, so we drill, but then they complain that drilling results in cheaper oil. So the market, because, you know, it's the free market, we stop drilling, right? Oil becomes cheap, we stop drilling, and then they complain that there are no oil jobs. So we have to start drilling again. But then the price of oil goes down, and they complain that they can't seem to make a profit. And the oil companies, for a few years, were not doing too well, but then, but then, you know, wait a second. If we go to war with Russia, or if we threaten to go to war with Russia, the price of oil will spike. A Russian invasion of Ukraine is a gift to the oil companies. Economic sanctions are fantastic for our oil companies and especially American oil companies, because if you have economic sanctions and Germany can't buy from Russia, if the rest of the world can't buy from Russia, it's great for America because since 2018, America is the world's largest exporter of oil. We are bigger than Saudi Arabia and Russia. When you look at climate change, stop blaming Saudi Arabia. We're to blame. It's our exports that are destroying the planet. It's not OPEC. America is the largest producer 
of petroleum. Why do they hate us? So if Putin invades Russia, Biden shuts down the Nord Stream pipeline to Germany. Germany can't get their gas from Russia. They must get it from America. What's happening today is the best thing that could possibly happen for people like Joe Manchin and everyone else in Washington who owns stock in the oil companies. Now, the stock market began today down 800 points because of the invasion, right? The markets get rattled when war first breaks out, but then they calm down and President Biden speaks to the nation and he rolls out the first in a series of economic sanctions against Russia. And when the market hears economic sanctions, they realize this is great. This is great for the for American petroleum interests. And the day ended with the market in positive territory because there's money, as we know, to be made in war. When a country gets scared, when they see Russia invading Ukraine, all the surrounding countries start buying more weapons from America and the price of oil starts going up. The invasion of Ukraine happened like clockwork for Joe Biden. His domestic policy right now is in shambles. Build Back Better, the multi-trillion dollar Bernie Sanders-inspired social safety net bill is dead. Much of Biden's promises are unkept. And we just learned that child poverty in America has jumped to what they're willing to admit. They say it's 17%. Child poverty in America jumped to 17% after that $300 a month child tax credit expired. The government says 17% of American children now live in poverty because of that. It had been down to 14%, but once those 300, once the $300 a month ended, it jumped to 17% of American children living in poverty. That's what they say. If $300 a month is the difference between poverty and not poverty, we all know it's way more than 17% of American children living in poverty. I've heard it as high as 25%. So the Democrats can't get that $300 a month to American children. Biden can do nothing about it. Why? Well, because it's not just the Republicans. Members of Biden's own party believe that making certain that children have food, clothing, and a place to live, that would contribute to inflation. Seriously. Spending more on the military, no inflationary pressure there. Well, you know what reduces inflation that nobody talks about? Taxation. Taxation reduces inflation. If there's too much money sloshing through the economy, 
You can raise interest rates or you can tax it out of the economy. But that's out of the question here in America. The uh, because the richest one percent hate inflation and want to stop inflation, but not if it means paying more in taxes. The way you can bring inflation down is by taxing the money out of the system. The Washington Post reported yesterday that in the next 25 years, the American people will inherit $73 trillion from their parents. Half of that $73 trillion will go to the idiot children of the richest 1%. Half of the $73 trillion to be inherited will go to the idiot children of the richest 1%. Now, of that transfer of wealth, $73 trillion, of that $73 trillion, all but $4 trillion will not be taxed. They are going to take four, the government gets $4 trillion out of that $73 trillion, which means $69 trillion over the next 25 years will go directly to the idiot children of the wealthy, but no money for the children of America. About 25%, conservatively speaking, 25% of American children are living in poverty. But this government can't come up with $300 a month for them because that's a moral hazard. We're told it's bad for children to grow up with a sense of entitlement. Giving them that $300 a month, where does it stop? We can't have them grow up with a sense that everything's coming to them with no work. Unless they're the children of the richest 1%, where everything they don't earn, they deserve to keep tax-free. Here's something that I didn't know. Something like the first 20 million you inherit from your parents is tax-free. So you can get $20 million from your parents and it's tax-free. No moral hazard there. But $300 a month for America's poorest children, that's bad. Causes inflation, which, you know, we could tax that inheritance, but that's not fair. If you're worried about inflation, you're worried about too much money coursing through the economy, you raise taxes. That's how you uh, bring inflation down. We have inflation now. And because of this invasion of Ukraine, the price of gasoline is going to go up further. And so what does my beloved Democratic Party propose? Get rid of gasoline taxes. That's what the Democrats are saying. That's how the Democrats plan to keep the House and the Senate in 2022 by removing taxes on the thing that is killing us, gas, right? Stop taxing the thing that's killing us. No, no uh, price freezes. You know, we used to do that. We, we did that in the 70s. 
whenever there was a war, uh, John Maynard Keynes, uh, the great economist, say, said, uh, once wrote that uh, being part of the committee that instituted uh, price freezes during World War II was his proudest accomplishment. Our government has frozen price, prices in the past. Uh, we could do that, no, but the Democrats say, get rid of the taxes on gasoline. Don't raise taxes on the oil companies, just get rid of the taxes. Don't use the high cost of gas to encourage people to buy electric vehicles or take mass transit, no. Lower taxes on gasoline, which will give our government even less money to combat climate change. Lower taxes on gasoline. And that way you're encouraging more and more Americans to be more and more dependent on gasoline. The countries that tax gasoline the highest are the ones that are moving the quickest towards a carbon-free economy. The best thing that could happen for this planet is the price of gasoline to be unaffordable. Well, I don't know what the answer is other than humility. I do understand why many of you couldn't care less about Ukraine tonight. But keep in mind, I was wrong about Ukraine. I said Putin wouldn't invade, and he did. And Biden, I didn't listen to Biden. He, he not only said Putin was going to invade, he told Putin that if he invaded Ukraine, the American government would do nothing. That I don't understand. Why would Biden do that? I don't play poker, but even I know you don't show your hand. But Biden kept showing it. We will not stop you from invading Ukraine. Much like when the American ambassador to Iraq, April Glaspie, told Saddam Hussein back in 1990 that if he invaded Kuwait, America would do nothing. It was almost as if George Herbert Walker Bush was inviting Saddam Hussein to invade Kuwait. In the run-up to today's invasion of Ukraine, in interview after interview, President Biden repeatedly telegraphed to Vladimir Putin that America would not intervene if he invaded Ukraine. Why? I don't know. I do know that Jimmy Carter's national security advisor, Zbigniew Brzezinski, bragged that he tricked the Soviet Union into invading Afghanistan and lured them into a quagmire, just like Vietnam, that resulted in the fall of the Russian Empire. Zbigniew Brzezinski wanted credit for the Soviet Union collapsing. He said, had I not tricked them into fighting in Afghanistan, the Soviet Union would still be intact. So maybe Biden thinks he's luring Putin into a trap, a trap that will create unpopularity in Russia as the Ukrainian quagmire continues and 
Putin will be dragged out of office. Maybe Biden wants this invasion to jack up oil prices for American petroleum producers, while at the same time getting Putin bogged down in a brutal war that drains his economy and his political capital and that gives Western nations the right to impose economic sanctions on Russia that benefits our farmers, our petroleum producers. Maybe we're all children who don't understand how we're all pawns in this game of chess between Vladimir Putin and the military industrial complex lobbyists from West Exec who now control Joe Biden's foreign policy. All I know is I don't like Vladimir Putin. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what, what to think or what to fear. Uh, I do believe in accountability. I also believe in the truth. And I also believe that I live in America and no matter how evil this country has become, this is still my country, my democracy. And when it comes to presidents like Putin, uh, presidents like Trump being aided by Putin, I don't think we deserve to be attacked, defeated, or having our democracy shattered. Many things can be true. It can be true that America is bad, that it invades other countries. That doesn't mean it's true that we deserve to be invaded. And it doesn't mean Ukraine deserves it either. Many things can be true. Yes, America destroyed Russia after the Soviet Union fell by becoming its banker. Uh, hiding money from the Russian people here in Manhattan real estate, turning over all the Soviet-era public goods to ex-KGB agents who looted the nation and became oligarchs. Yes, that's true. America did that to Russia. But that doesn't mean we deserve to be punished for that. The people, the people on Wall Street, the politicians in Washington, D.C., Donald Trump, they deserve to be punished for that, but not the American people and not our democracy. When it comes to Donald Trump, all my readings suggest that he has been a Russian dupe for decades. When it comes to Donald Trump, all my readings tell me that he is a mobster who is immune to prosecution. Donald Trump will never go to jail. This week, two prosecutors resigned from the Manhattan District Attorney's Office because it became apparent to them that the newly elected District Attorney Alvin Bragg will not pursue a criminal indictment of the Trump crime family for tax fraud or for lying to the banks and the IRS. There's a reason Donald Trump has not been arrested uh, because he's a mobster. I know that in my heart that Donald Trump will never get arrested because he's a mobster who has compromise on everyone in Manhattan and everyone inside the Republican Party, on anyone 
who wants to lock him up. He got that compromise from the mafia. He got that compromise from the ex-KGB agents who became Russian oligarchs, needing Manhattan real estate to hide their money. And so I don't know about Ukraine. I do know that Putin is an authoritarian, that he's probably the richest man in the world, that his military is not as strong as America's. I also know he relies on asymmetrical war, that he can use the internet to destroy nations, influence elections. He is very influential in, in countries like Hungary and Poland. And some say he's responsible for Brexit. Others say he's responsible for, for Trump. There's no question that there is a homegrown urge for fascism and authoritarianism here in America and Hungary and Belarus, wherever. But there's also no question that Putin has helped it along. He's not the cause of authoritarianism. He is not the cause of Trump. He's not the cause of GOP becoming the party of crypto fascists, but he has helped. Putin has helped the same way Rupert Murdoch has helped. But the difference between Putin and Murdoch is Murdoch doesn't have an entire spy agency, an entire army, an entire economy at his disposal. We will be right back. Chairs in this Bessemer shop. The back and outdated and don't ever seem to stop. The man went down cause his heart gave out. Get back to work, we heard them shout. They said the EMTs are common, that's what they're for. And life slipped away on a cement floor. The bookstores are all gone away Got me some books, I'll read them someday Right now I got to make my raid and all these extra shifts If I can make it to Christmas Eve The kids will have nice gifts And the big boss will have more money So he can go up into space But there still won't be no chairs In this Bessemer place Last year we had a meeting and they made us go. They gave us all pins and said, vote no. 
But maybe this year Union can give us a little more And put some chairs on this Bessemore floor I'm hoping the Union might make things right Some days I just don't have the strength to fight This plant down here can take its toll It'll break your body, it'll crush your soul Feels like this packing ain't never gonna stop And there still ain't no chairs in this Bessemer shop Chairs. Professor Mike Steinel donate to the Amazon Labor Union. Go to AmazonLaborUnion.org and give Christian Smalls support. He is out there in Staten Island, out in front of JFK, trying to start the Amazon Labor Union. Go to AmazonLaborUnion.org and don't forget tonight, if you're listening to us t- Tomorrow, tonight is office hours. Let's go to somebody who has not been here for a while, my old friend, Mr. John Ross, gentleman farmer, comedy are, writer. Are you, are you sure you're finished talking? Uh, I, could, I, I could always keep going. You know what I would like to suggest yeah. is that you do a show where it is only you talking the entire time, <laughs> because that way... I would not have to listen at all <laughs> because what what happens is I start listening to you talking and you make me so upset with all this crazy. Sometimes sometimes you're OK. Sometimes you make some really good points, but sometimes you're just off on this nuttiness and I can't understand it and I can't bear to listen to it and I shut it off. And then somehow I either. I'll fast forward or I'll muscle through it and I'll get to some, you have such genius guests mm-hmm. and, and they and I'll hear some brilliant conversation. And I wonder how many conversations that I miss because I couldn't get through <laughs> the David part of it. And, you know, one of the reasons I haven't been on the show right. is, is because you have such brilliant guests that I, I feel like I would be dragging the show down. No. And I feel very strongly that that's your job. (laughs) I don't I don't want to step on your toes. It was very clever what you did having your daughter, Hannah, send me the invitation. It's a lot harder to say no to her Uh than to say no to you. So she threw that that damn please in there. And then that that was toast. So I I tried to arrange this tonight. Yeah. I don't think it's really worked because of what's going on in the world. Can you see what I've got going here? You have a fire going. I have a fire going. And I thought we would have a fireside chat. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't know either what to do, but I think 
Um, Putin really wants Ukraine. So I say we start bombing the shit out of Ukraine. <laughs> That's nice. That way he won't want it. We won't want it anymore. That's what you. That that's right. That's see. It's kind of like any woman who ever dated me. They become da- right. their damaged merchandise, and wait, wait. it's kind of it's kind of like any woman that's ever dated you. Both of them. <laughs> <laughs> these are these are easy jokes, folks. Write this down. Anybody can do it. How have you been? I've been pretty good. Um, you look great. I, are you going to Florida? Are you going to play in the Grapefruit League? I, I, I went to Florida and uh, won a baseball tournament. By Again? That, what? Again. No, we went in, went in January. But you last year you won. You were like MVP. No. no. Last I've been going with that team. That team's been going down there for 13 years. I've been going down there with that team for four years. We've never made it to the championship game. We made it this year. We won it this year. I was second in the MVP voting. Who won? What's his name? And how soon can you get him on the show? Uh, But but another pretty old guy. Um, You know, I felt uh, I'm the oldest guy on that team. And uh, I felt I felt like my my bid for MVP. The reason is in the championship game. We were tied 2-2 going into the sixth inning. I let off the sixth inning, and and I let off, and I, I roped a line drive to left field to start off the inning with a base hit. And I feel like that sends a message to the rest of my team. If that old broken-down guy can get a hit off this guy, right. <laughs> then I sure as hell can. And so we, we had a big inning. We, 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 we uh, scored six runs that inning and held on to win the game. If you had to play Little League... Yeah. How dominate. What, what age could you compete? Obviously, you know, you could compete against six year olds. Right. What age would you not be able to play Little League or could you play all the way up until high school? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Literally, they're 12. They're they're they're. So could you play? So could you play for a freshman high school baseball team right now? Yeah, I mean, um. No. In, in the in the league I play with, it's thirty and over. But you can have uh, kid, you can have any age. You can have younger than that, um, but they can't pitch, and you can only have X number. I think two on the field at once. So I play with some guys who are in their twenties. Um, so let me you know, just what, what time at what point does the body break down? So you you could play freshman high school baseball. Yeah, I think so. Sophomore year. JV, because you play JV baseball. Yeah, I, I mean, depending on, you know, what position you want me to play, I can't, I'm not going to be able to play every position. Um, you know, th- there's going to be some guys throwing pretty hard, but, you know, I make adjustments. Um, if I, if I, you got to know what you can do and and use your smarts. I've, I've played on old teams that have beaten younger teams because we're just smarter and we know how to adjust. I mean, some of these kids are throwing hard now. They're right. they're throwing well into the eighties, well into the eighties, and that that's that's pretty quick. Um, right. So, so freshman college, no way. No, no way. Those guys are those guys are a cut above. 
whenever you play with anybody uh, who's had any kind of taste in the professional level at at any level where you're being paid to play and and in college, you're kind of being paid to play because, you know, you're getting scholarships and whatnot. Right. Um, When you start to get around those guys, the ball comes out of their hand and off of their bat, just quantumly different. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me tell you about the time. um, This is years ago when I was living in in LA and played in the big tournament is in Arizona. That's like a week long at the MSBL. And if you get to the championship game, you play in the minor league park. So we played at Tempe Diablo stadium, which is like, I think where the giants play. And it is, it's the grass is like carpeting the bathroom in the dugout was I, I went to go use the bathroom in the dugout and I stopped and I called the guys in. I go, you guys got to see this. It had the white paper sanitized for your oh. protection around yeah. the, to- the soap was wrapped in paper. It was like a hotel. You know, it had the rubber stuff on the floor. So your spikes don't make any noise. It was just amazing. And the, the scoreboard and your name came up on the scoreboard and everything else. But anyway, so we're there in the afternoon and our game is going extra innings. And that night, the, Uh, minor league all-star game is going to be played. So a couple of the players start trickling in early with their, you know, with their stuff and they walk into the dugout and they're looking at us and it is like a mountain lion looking at a house cat. Right. It looked like they were, who are these like little leaguers with progeria (laughs) doing (laughs) in our dugout? Like we're in these tiny, like baggy uniforms. And these guys have like biceps, the size of my thighs. Every single one of them is like six, four and just shoulders to there. And you realize even of those guys, one out of 20 of them is going to make it into the pros. And and they're unbelievable. But they're happy. You're happy. You would be happy if I said to you, yeah. When you were 21, uh-huh. you can play baseball. You may make it to the show. You may not. Maybe the minor leagues. Would you have put your stand-up comedy career on hold uh, instead of having Hollywood do it for you? Uh, <laughs> see, I just, <laughs> right. I just right? Huh? right. I could be mean uh, and, and played uh, minor league ball, knowing that you probably were going to end up the same way. Your stand-up. Honestly, even if I was like 10 times better than I am, I might have like thought about it. Like Mm -hmm. if I thought that there was like, that I would be able to compete, I knew I couldn't compete at that level. There were guys, I played with guys. I played against Jose Canseco a couple of times. Right. Um, Right. You know. Where'd you play with Jose Canseco? In uh, Griffith Park. Uh, I played against him. This was after or before the A's? It was it was right when his book came out and he was being vilified. You know, the, right. the thin baseball line was still, and he was talking, everything turned out, he said was true, but everybody was saying, oh, he's a liar, he's just trying to sell books, and it's all bullshit. About and juicing. Everybody had, what? About juicing. About juicing. And he, right. he was telling it all and turning himself in, and everybody was saying, oh, what a liar. And and he was just being vilified. Everybody was. And I think he came out just to have some fellowship with some dudes and just to have some fun. And he was just effing around. He was a but, specimen. That's when I followed yeah. baseball. I, the Oakland A's, 
They were only some, mackerel. Yeah, he he came up to the plate. His his bat looked like a a, a piano leg. It right. was this giant club, and I'm telling you, he hit a two hopper to shortstop, and our shortstop, you know, pounded the glove, threw to first, got him by half a step, and when I tell you he was jogging to first, I am not exact. He, if he wanted to run, he would have beat it out. He's so fast right. without even trying. Right. And then one time we, we got him to break his bat. We, we, I got him an inside fastball and he swung and his bat broke and it started like helicoptering and the shortstop ducked and then went, wait a minute, that's way over my head. His, <laughs> bat, his broken bat went further than I can hit a ball. He, he's now, I, I bought Ted Williams book on hitting. The art, uh, the art of hitting, right? Yeah. The science of hitting? Something the science like of hitting. He yeah. was violating all of Ted Williams' rules. In other words, you're not supposed to just strong arm a ball out of the stadium. He was doing that, right? Wasn't he just swatting at the ball using all, just using muscle? You're not supposed to use your muscle, <sighs> right? It, it doesn't quite work like that. But But look, he was on steroids. You know, if Ted Williams had taken steroids, he'd have hit 100 home runs in a season. Um, I remember once I was listening to some sports radio show and people were calling in and somebody called in and, and they were talking about steroids. And somebody called in who had played in the minors and who had taken steroids. And the host said, so let me ask you, what is it? That, that that steroids helps is it is it the your bat speed is it your hands your eye hand coordination is your eyes and the guy goes everything <laughs> and i and he goes no but is it he goes everything right so like because your hot hand eye and your bat speed is so fast you can wait and wait and wait and go okay that's a ball that's going to be an inch outside i'm not going to swing so now the pitcher's behind. Now the pitcher has to. So now he's going to have to throw it down the middle because he needs a strike. You know what I mean? So you can just wait and wait and wait and then explode. So there's just a lot of advantages. So is it making is it making your brain sharper as well? According to this guy, it was just like everything. I think you were. It's, you know how you like you take acid and you're just kind of like like. What about the people senses. who say there's a school of thought that says steroids are not as dangerous as we've been led to believe? That day when I played with uh, Jose, I remember thinking, you know, if I had some HGH <laughs> right now, I think I think I would take a little bit. Uh, At my age, what do I need my yeah, balls get? Maybe it's like a ball tuck. Let them come up a little higher. I don't need them dangling yeah. this low. I'm not I'm not using them that much anyway. <laughs> Is there going to be a baseball season? You know, everybody asks me about pro baseball. I spent, you know, I was out yesterday. We had a very nice day. It was 60 degrees. Yeah, it was I was out with one of my teammates, early throwing, getting my arm in shape. I'm at the gym. I'm working out. I'm working with the bands, trying to keep my shoulder. I have no time to watch the pros. I don't care what happens to them. I got my own. I got do you check, two leagues. Do you, do, you, do you bet on baseball? No. Did you bet on the football? Do you bet on the Super Bowl? No, I did not. Do I you, don't. Did you Who ever? Did with? Do you ever wager? No. No interest? No. The, I, 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 enough in the stock market that uh, that's my gambling right there. The stock market? Yes. Did not do well. Oh, it, it recovered today. 
Apparently it did. I looked at it once and I said, oh, okay. I don't like to look at it when it's down, but I like to look at it when it's up. <laughs> and so I looked at it once when it was down and, um, and I, I went, oh, okay. Not now, I would think without going into specifics yeah. that when it comes to investing, mm -hmm. you're an idiot. Um, I, I've, I, I made a couple of, uh, smart moves and a couple of dumb moves and but i would you know, I, I bet the dumb moves uh eclipse the smart moves i i i think and i this is what i think i think that you are innately intelligent and people who are innately intelligent end up losing any money they've saved because you think you think you're smarter than the average bear and the average bear you see it's like this is like no i know Doctors end up broke. Movie stars end up broke. Canseco ended up broke because they all, they figure, wait a second, I'm not going to get the same returns on a certificate of deposit as the, right. as David Feldman. I'm going to go find a, a really smart guy who's wealthy, yeah. who's going to invest my money. And the guy is smart and he's wealthy because he knows how to steal your money. And I think you are really smart, John yeah. Ross. Well, and I, you're I, stupid. And I, I, was, I was smart enough to put a little money in with a little guy named Bernie Madoff. And, and look I what did happened. all right. No, I know. I look, I know what you're saying. I've done very well. I think a lot of it is not necessarily luck, but just the fact that I, I've been in a lot of, I'm very diversified. You know, and so it's like, and I do have plenty of stuff that's in the market basket, kind of like this sector and this sector, and it's just big, you know, mutual type funds. I'm mostly, and I'm also, yeah, but let's not talk about my finances. I can tell you about the worst investment I ever had. There was a company that was making, there's only really one company that does the glass for phones and tablets and TVs and computers and everything, and it's like Corning. And there was this other company that was making a, a new glass and was like bulletproof, like it couldn't be broken. And not only were they going to be for screens, um, they were going to be for solar panels and solar panels were just becoming the thing. And I was like, I was watching this company and I go, well, I think this is a pretty good idea, but I didn't jump until they signed a giant contract with Apple, like a half a billion dollar contract with Apple. And I went, you know what? I'm doing it. I'm following Apple in because they're not going to lose money. And I like about $25,000. And it turned out one day that um, they just couldn't do it in, they could do it in small batches, but they couldn't scale it up. It, they, no matter how they tried, they couldn't scale it up. And it uh, like one day I got a call from my, it went down to like pennies and there was a, a sealed deal Apple was made whole, but the rest of us, there was a class action suit. I think I got like 13 cents. So you lost that much? That, that, yes. That, well, you but did. I, I more than made up with it on a bunch of other things. I mean, look, I, I had, I have a bunch of, look, I know they're horrible and people, I, I, I had Microsoft at 35 and it was like up to 350. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that more than makes up for it. You know, it's down now. It's around three hundred. I, I find this conversation unseemly. I yes, always it is. it is unseemly. But you oh. know, Helene Olin. Go, I just want to say Helene Olin used to do this show. 
and she would yeah. give out really solid financial yeah. advice. I know, you know, I have older an older listenership who has retirement money that must be tended to. I, I do yes. want to get somebody responsible in here, not you, not uh, me, somebody who will just, you know, talk about and advise young kids. Uh, have you heard of fire? Financial <laughs> independence, retire early. Have you heard about this? No, Ex extreme like extreme saving. Have you heard about this? Yes, I have. But I, was, I was laughing because of the fire festival. Yeah, I, I reached out to two people who've written books about mm -hmm. fire to come mm -hmm. on the show. And the guy said to me, the whole purpose of financial independence, retire early, is so I don't have to come on your show. You know, yeah. I'm traveling the world. I'm 33. Yeah. And I went, that's beautiful. He said, I don't, I don't, I have no interest in promoting this book. I have enough money. <laughs> if it sells, it sells. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Extreme savings. See, to me. So wait a minute. Had I said something like that, I might have wiggled out of this. <laughs> no, you're stuck. You can't get out. You, you can't. Yeah. Get, you hey, come on. Pull me back in. Um, um, all right. All right. Last thing. We're running out of time. Maybe yes. we have time for this because you, you seem to be a little bit humble today. We're speaking of rich people and you seem to be a little bit humble, seem to be like admitting when you're wrong. Uh, have you apologized yet to Dave Chappelle? No. Okay. Well, maybe you should. Why? You, I, I think that he was a little bit set up. I, I don't know the oh, on the story. On the low-income housing? Yeah. Yeah, I got sent those articles. Uh, Look. No, I mean, I, I, I haven't done a super deep dive, but I've done some reading on it, more than just one or two articles. And look, I live in a small town and, and they, they try to come in here and they want to build, you know, the, the giant mall with, you know, all the, the crap. And look, they, that that company wanted to put 50 acres. They had 52 acres and they wanted to build all their shit on 50 acres and they were going to put two acres for affordable housing and they weren't even going to do it. It's like, you can do it if you want. It was like, really, I, I, I'm, I live in a small town and I know what it's like when they want to try to change it for big right. corporations. And here's why I'm you, here, let me address this. Cause uh, let me, we have five minutes and I'll give you the last word on this. So I went after Dave Chappelle because he went to a city council meeting and is trying to block development that would include low income housing. And, and he is not the only one he's not, in his course. town okay. who's against it. Right. And he didn't, and then it got covered by NBC News. It got picked up. This has been going on since December of last year. There was going to be some low income housing in his backyard. And he, no, really, really, farm. it was the. The other the it was the other development was going to be in his backyard, the all the big, um, you know, corporate stuff, the the where the affordable housing was wasn't necessarily going to be. It wasn't a, he he didn't want the other development to be near. Right. Him, the big so, corporate. Stuff. Would you agree that Dave Chappelle has a lot of clout, a lot of money, a lot of power that that city yellow is it Yellow Springs, that city? Yes. That he is the town elder, that that town. He's, he's, he's one important. of yeah. he's not it's it's okay. it's a it's a rich little town. It's not it's a college town. He's not like the, it's not this little one horse town and he owns it. Who that, should that's he be, not true. Who is he representing? 
he's representing himself and and the neighbors who think like him, mm. who, you know, look, the Dollar General has been trying. We're fighting with them. No, 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 not, what about here. not what about what about Dave Chappelle, public oh. figure, right? Right. Speaks right. about hypocrisy and politics. Right. And which side is he on? He should be. He's on the, he's on the side of his town. No, no, he's yes. not. He's on the side of his town. There are people who work in that town who commute to that town because housing is unaffordable. He is not speaking for the people who work in that town the, who, but can't the, afford to live there. The affordable housing they wanted to build was 250000 and up. So don't you think using your clout and power as Dave Chappelle, instead of threatening to pull your multimillion dollar investment in the town, you sit down with the city council and say, he, we need low income. There's a problem here in he, America. And, but he's been doing that. They're, they're, they've been trying to. Do what's best. How do we get it? And th he has there was been. I, the town I don't see him talking about it. Development. I see deal. him going after transsexual people in a special. No, no, now what? Who's doing what about? No, I'm saying I don't see him as a spokesperson for the the houseless, the unhoused but, in that but town. He, he he's not claiming to be. He's claiming to do what's best for his town, and that it, it, he wasn't. That that's what this corporation will do. They'll set this up with this, this little paper tiger of affordable housing and sick the liberal media on him because they want to take him down, guys like you. I, I don't know every detail of it, but I did see everybody go after him, and I'm not sure it, it, come, it shakes out the way you say it does. I'm sure you're absolutely right that the, the developer went to NBC News and they tilted it against Dave Chappelle. I have no question, I have no doubt that that it, it favors the developer, not Dave Chappelle. But I also have no doubt that Dave Chappelle is not using this as a teaching moment about homelessness in America, that this is when he should step up at, at, this, at the town council meeting. And you don't get up and threaten to pull your money. You say, we have a problem with... Maybe so. Maybe so. I didn't, you know... I I didn't watch the whole uh, a town council meeting, and I don't know the history of all the, the meetings that, that he has been at or not at. Well, I, I, I don't see it's anything. Been a, it's been he a struggle for that town for a while, and they've been trying to do something. And then they, they felt like a lot of people felt like the plan was shitty and that they had a shitty developer who was going to do a shitty thing to their cool town. And they, they didn't want it, he didn't want it done. You know, we're, we're out of time. You know, there's only so much time in, in a man's life. And are you going to dedicate your time when, when, you, when you speak at, at a city council meeting? Are you going to threaten to pull your investments or are you going to go on record saying, let's do something for the unhoused? When you have, and, and this isn't whataboutism. When you have a one hour special that millions upon millions of people are going to hang on your every word because you're Dave Chappelle. Are you going to use that platform to menace transsexual people or turn our attention to the unhoused? I think he should be turning his attention to the unhoused and leaving the transgender community alone. Well, I I'm not defending him on the transgender thing, not at all. And, and I just see how that has nothing to do with this. 
Um, it's his choice. It's his choice of time. It, it's what he chooses I, I, to focus yeah, on. Yeah, and and for that and for that he is wrong. And I don't think, uh, you know, that 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 uh, town council meeting may not have been the right place to stand up and say anything about the unhoused. That wasn't what it was about. That wasn't what was on the table. It was on the, what was on the table was this particular company doing this particular thing. I, I, that's all I'm saying. I'm just saying you get very like, I know for sure. And then when it isn't, turn, doesn't turn out that way, you go, Oh, I guess I was wrong. Well, next thing I know for sure. But I, but I, I own my mistakes and I will, if you can, I'm, if somebody could present, if yes. somebody can present to me stories about Dave Chappelle trying to help the unhoused and build for the unhoused in Yellow Springs. Okay. Uh, so far, he's done a piss poor, and maybe that's why it's called Yellow Springs, piss poor job speaking out about the lack of affordable housing for the poor in Yellow Springs. So far, he's done a bad job. Okay. And if you can if you can show me otherwise, I will okay. I will correct. I corrected myself. Uh, anyway, great to see you. How, how about building low income housing where you live? Uh, my wife is uh, involved in. in you but it's got to look the, good, right? The, it's got to can't be. We, well, we're, she's she's on the library committee. We're building a new library and it has a senior center attached to it. So but, but also uh, personally, she does low income housing because she lets you live there. Ooh, it gets no, it got up. He he is, he is not wrong. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Johnny Ross. Follow this. Your Twitter feed is hysterical. Oh. I, I don't use Twitter that much. When I do, I go right to fun with friction. And you always lighten my day. Thank you. I as well, I'm I'm gonna do this joke before Ethan has a chance to. I'm doing in my my small part, uh I've stopped eating Russian dressing. So, oh, okay. It is now time. No hanging fruit right there. It is now principle. Thank you, you, John. It is now time for everybody's favorite segment: the Hershenfelds. Doctor Philip Hershenfeld is a Freudian psychoanalyst. Ethan, certainly my favorite segment. It's not your favorite segment. It's my favorite segment on the show. Yeah. Now, how big is the fan club? Well, let me bring in Ethan. Ethan is the star of Thug Thug Jew on YouTube, which some people, I understand, have memorized word for word. How's your fan club, Dr. Hershenfeld? Um, since I've been on this program, it has diminished significantly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really appreciate you coming on this show because... I'm not going to get into specifics, but don't do that. A, a important psychiatrist just got into trouble. And in I knew that this somehow this this was not going to be avoided. Well, <laughs> here, here, I no, I, because I don't want to. It's no, 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 I, no, no, uh, no judgments. I'm just saying I, I thought this was definitely going to come up when I read that this morning. I was like, ah. Well, I thought how blessed I am that Dr. Hershenfeld would come on this show and, you know, things get said. I don't think things get said here that are, well, at least not during this segment. Uh, But, you know, things uh, get said. What he said, can I bring this up or do you... 
But what, so are, your, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on Ethan? T- what are your thoughts on this? Let me let me begin. I'll let if I might if yeah. I may. So so this the I guess the chair of well the let's Columbia get your society. father's permission first. Is there is it okay to talk about this? Permission granted. Okay. Permission accepted. Isn't that what I say if I'm captain of a boat to let people <laughs> on the boat? Some yes, yes. Yeah. On um, the boat. um. All aboard. That's what you say. Um, on my okay, show, it's chairman, all chairman. our board in, until you're here. Go ahead. Um, I had a uh, a pregnancy termination joke, uh, which ended with all abort. <laughs> right. Okay. So anyway, the chairman of the, of the, uh, of the Columbia psychiatry department, uh, lost his job and no, he got reputation suspended. suspended. Uh, I think it was beyond that, but I'm not sure. But in any case, he said something ridiculous and offensive, uh, and misogynistic and racist, uh, on Twitter. My, my first reaction was why does this, why does this guy have to be tweeting? What, what don't you have a good enough gig? You have health insurance, you have tenure, you have respect, you have an income, you need all, you also need attention. Mm-hmm. That's for the comedians right. and the people who don't have health insurance. What the fuck is wrong with you? You have a 401k, you have a house, you have a house in Hudson County. Also, you have kids, you have tuitions and you're tweeting. The fuck is wrong with you? Just right. don't tweet. Just shut your mouth. Is it true I mean, that Jesus pe- people rise to their highest need of attention, <laughs> and then they then they go away? You rise to the highest need. Yeah, this is like the Peter. It's like the yeah. Peter principle of of attention. It's the or, show uh, me your Peter principle, where people yeah, rise the to their Peter highest yeah. level of exhibitionism. Yeah. Uh, what is that about? Yeah. What the need to? Uh, I mean, I. That's who I am. I mean, I, I need attention. I need let the chips fall where they may. I'll say something. If you don't like it, good. I got to rise out of you. You know, right. I, I'd rather you like me. But uh, yeah, it's I mean, that kind of gig. Now, Dad, you're in the same metier, but it's a very different gig. He's got this whole institutional and academic thing going on. A, and political. A, a political thing. Yeah. And if you have a gig like that, it's like being a judge. You can't have Twitter. What the hell's wrong with you? And then as someone in your profession, in your niche of the profession, you would say, okay, what's going on with this guy yes. in, a, in, a, in a deeper way that he has this self-sabotaging yes, I would. Uh, need. It's very self-sabotaging. I mean, that, uh, he sabotages the woman, but it's also like, come on. That being said, what he said was horrible uh, I'm not an African-American woman, so uh, I want to be careful here. But it was more stupid than it was malicious. Is that fair? I would agree. Stupid, stupid, yes. It was stupid and it was offensive, but it, I certainly would agree that it wasn't malicious. Right. It was dumb and offensive, but he wasn't using, and again, it was a, it was a, a an agglomeration of words, freak of nature, that can be construed and can be intended to mean various things. But if you parse out the word freak, of course, and and if you if you look beneath the surface of the phrase, you could impute some very pejorative motives to putting those words out there. If you look at it from the other angle, it's a way that someone could say, "Wow, 
you're trying to say, wow. But right. He said it in, in a horrible way. He said it in a horrible way, but I do. I'm not making excuses for him, and I'm not. Um, I'm not a a black woman, so I'm speaking out of ignorance. Nor are you a model. Or am I a model of a good? You're behavior. a model for certain things. <laughs> I don't think I'm not a model either. I do sniff glue. (laughs) What concerns me is he didn't take to Twitter to be cruel. He in his stupidity, he actually thought he was I think he would. He thought he was saying a nice thing about how you No, a a clever thing that would garner him more attention it's it's all narcissism is what look at me look at me look how clever i am or look how something i am and why do you need it well that that's his problem he needed it despite all these other things that my junior partner enumerated that he had but to david's point in the most superficial read of what he said he was trying to engage in this conversation about this woman's beauty and her rare beauty. But then you very quickly can get into that fetishizing of the other and territory that's very easily and quickly uh, and correctly uh, construed as racist. Right. And misogynistic. He stepped in it. He stepped in it. Now, calling one of what's change. It concerns me because it goes against what I've said about cancel culture that being you don't get canceled for making, you should not get canceled for making a mistake, for being stupid, for one of that, that you get canceled for purposely targeting a, a, a protected class with the intent I, I to do harm. I think you're absolutely right. And that was the other, my other initial reaction was, okay, this was horrible and stupid. He needs to apologize. He needs to step away. He needs to do something. But then I instantly thought, Jesus, this guy's going to now he's going to have to fall on his sword and his whole life is going to be over. Then we've, we've gotten to this place where you're right. I don't think there was malice there. And that should matter. It matters right. in courts of law. What what a person's frame of mind is. The mens rea, I believe it's called. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it should matter. It should matter in, in, in these things as well. I know. It's, it's, it's complicated. By the way, I want to say I was once also called a freak of nature and it hurt me. And it, it was you, dad, you call me that we were driving to Boston from New York and I ate an entire box of donut holes <laughs> after a rest stop, which was easy for me with a cup of coffee. I could, uh-huh. I went there and you said, okay, you're, but to me, a freak of I nature is somebody who doesn't eat the entire box of donut holes. Right. That's, uh, but you, there was no malice. There was no malice. Yeah. Really apologize, and I am going to give up my job over it. <laughs> we right. should be allowed to say stupid things. We should be. Not, not today, we are not. We are living in a really screwed up culture in many ways. But again, the word said, David, yes, that's why I'm saying he should have said that comment if he needed to say it to someone. You don't have to tweet it. You don't have to share it with every human uh, available. Again, uh, you know, white fragility 
and white men and uh, you know i know i know what i sound like uh that being said a little empathy for people who are trying to learn i think yeah. that that again all the problems in this world are my fault i accept that i'm i'm an old white man it's although some people don't think i'm white but uh I accept the fact that white men need to <laughs> step aside, that the world will be better without us. I accept that, but that's not going to happen. And so a little empathy, I about four years ago, when was the Me Too movement? 2017. So this was about <clears throat> 2015, 2016. And I'm not proud of this. I was doing a stand-up show in Brooklyn. There was a, a woman comic who was about my daughter's age. She introduced me at an alternative club. Let's say her name was Nadine. And I made the mistake of saying, how, how about a hand for Nadine? I'm really ashamed to tell you this. I think I told this before. How about a hand for Nadine? Isn't she beautiful? By the way, you... Oh, okay. I was going to say you didn't have to. I was going to relieve you of the if you didn't want to say the thing that caused shame. But yeah, you said. I said, "Isn't she beautiful?" At the time, I had been told when my daughters were born, women told me every day, "Tell your daughter she's beautiful." Every day you need to tell your daughter she's beautiful because she is beautiful and she needs to hear from her father that she's beautiful. So this is what I was told by women that so many problems stem from fathers not telling their daughters that they're beautiful. So I never stopped telling my daughters that they were beautiful. I meant it. Uh, I never knew that calling a woman beautiful was horrible because beauty is you know comes from within you know like a forbis in a punum comes from within you the ugliness that's what a forbis in a punum means the ugliness comes from within and i always thought a beautiful punum also comes from within so i never thought it was that bad. well i i learned <laughs> i learned my lesson that night in brooklyn you know, never, ever. She said to me, and it went right to right to the bone. She said, I said, uh, isn't she beautiful? And she shouted, I'd rather you think I'm funny. Right. And I said, can't I think you're both? And she said, no. And I got, I got sent to school and it, it was like, okay. Like I, I, my knees buckled. It was, uh, I could have gotten, I could have voted for Trump in response. I could have said, how dare she talk to me this way? I'm voting for Trump, but. Um, <laughs> I wanted to just add on that, <clears throat> the issue of this doctor who, who had to resign over this issue. I think it also is relevant when we're talking about his state of mind. He did spend his career, uh, researching and treating people who are suffering from schizophrenia so he's he's doing good work for the world trying to 
repair the world, repair people's minds, help people. He, he wasn't a, he's not a, you know, he's not a, a well, hedge fund let me ask doctor or me, I, I think that, I think that also matters. But did but sure, Dr. Hurt, sure. go ahead. It should matter, but, but not in today's climate. It doesn't matter. That's just the way it is. I, but an argument could be made that the that psychiatrists who thought they were doing well inflicted a lot of pain over the centuries. I think the I read I think I read in that article that one of the first American psychiatrists yeah, enabled that. slavery and the oppression of Africans and African Americans and the oppression of the homosexuals right up until 1971. Wasn't homosexuality a mental illness? It was, right, it but was, not relevant because this guy, I mean, if we're talking about this guy, I think we're not talking about, we're not putting all of. Right. I know. I'm just saying. That profession. That, that. Right. I think. Unless Dr. Hershenfeld has something to say on this, we should change the subject, right? Fine with me. Okay. Why are we talking about Ukraine? What happened? You're from Ukraine. I am. What you insight? Are? Your your relatives are from Ukraine. My grandfather, yes. Really? Yeah, Sam. What? I thought he was from uh, the Carpathian Mountains. Ukraine, the Carpathian Mountains, Ukraine. Absolutely. Get out a map, uh, David. Get out the atlas. I think that that's Romania. This is Romania. It's my other grandfather. Jesus, how many grandfathers did you have? Five. Most of them come from either Kiev or K Kirak, uh, the other. Uh, Curacao, it's pronounced Curacao. Curacao. Litovsk. And were there pogroms there? <laughs> yes. And do we have happy, did grandpa, your have happy memories of Ukraine, Were the Ukrainian people? <laughs> no, he didn't. And when he was 17, he picked himself up and walked to Bremerhaven, got on a boat, and never looked back. He didn't miss the famine. He didn't. No, he didn't. Did he miss the soup? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Well, we got a couple of things wrong on this show about Ukraine. Uh oh. We thought he would stop uh, with Crimea. That's what we said back in 2014. We said that, you know, the it's primarily a Russian. Crimea is probably, you know, mostly Russian. They, they welcome it. Uh, we said, what is it, Donetsk and. The, the, it was the Dobron region that the two republics are from. We said on Monday's show, he just wants to take the Sudetenland. No, he doesn't because he is personally identified and always has been with the Soviet Union, not with Russia, with the Soviet Union. And this was a personal humiliation to him when the Soviet Union broke up. And people will go to insane lengths 
to undo personal humiliations. Yeah, those kind of breakups can lead people to do crazy things like watching all nine hours of that Beatles documentary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he wants to breakup. get back. He wants to get back to where he once belonged, get back. He wants to go acoustic. It would be sort of, it, so it's reactionary. It's kind of like the South and the Confederacy losing a way of life where we, perhaps some of us can't understand how the South clings to. It's, it's to more than country. a way of life. It is a way of life, but it's more than that. It's your identity is mixed up with your existence is mixed up with you be, because your your south or your soviet union is going to be immortal that may, you share in that immortality well I, I think that that's certainly part of what's going on here that megalomania his thoughts about how he's going to be remembered he's going to be remembered as the he thinks as the uniter the return to greatness for Russia, which, good luck. It, it, it's something that's, in the true sense of the word, alien to me. I don't understand, because I'm an American, I don't understand why someone would be proud of being Russian, why somebody would be proud of the Soviet Union, why if you're a Russian speaker, you would care about Russian-speaking people in Ukraine, why you would be proud of a Soviet empire that spread across parts of Asia and Europe. And you're saying that, that that's a nationalism that not just Putin has, but he shares that with probably half the country, half of the Russian people, right? I don't know how many he shares it with, but there are other people who feel that way, but not everybody. The people you know, who are demonstrating against him don't, share that it, it's very similar if you look at the population here in our country some people like to live in an apartment some people like to live in a house and the people who live in an apartment they don't understand why is it so important to have a yard but the people who live in the house and they need the yard the yard is their whole thing it becomes a huge part of their identity and then also, people who want i live in a i have a loft there's there's only one room i like it like that like i the people who want 12 rooms like i don't understand i'm with you why do you want all those extra rooms? What does that do for you? What about it's people like me who live in an apartment but want to live in a house out in the country? Well, we then you got to wage war. You got to invade. invade. Yes, yes. Yeah. What this is? What do we feel? I've noticed uh, when he said, "Don't mess with us today." Yeah. It. It did he say that? Yeah, don't do that. We've got nuclear weapons. Wait, did he say don't mess with us? We have nukes, or he said don't mess with us. Dot dot dot. We have nukes. We're a nuclear power. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and you yeah. know, again, uh, he he's he's bluffing. But again, I'm the guy who thought COVID was going to last a week. Doctor Hershey, my instincts. It, it I I don't know if it's because of my generation. But when I read that, you know, intellectually, I go, we just went, we just left Afghanistan with our tail between our legs. And but on a visceral level, 
I uh, yeah yeah yeah. When I heard Biden's speech, I was like, yeah, you know, yeah, kick So we're being manipulated, right? They know this is as old as the Bible, right? Yeah. But but I think Biden. Maybe I shouldn't say this on this show. Um, but I think Biden is doing a pretty damn good job, as good as anybody could do. I, I, ha- I happen to agree. And the, the fact what got me rah, rah, rahing uh, emotionally during his speech was his talk about the strength of this coalition that he, he, there are a lot. Putin is up against many countries united in the idea that he's a lawbreaker now and he's behaving in ways that he shouldn't. And he'll have to be punished for just not you're up against a coalition and you will pay a price. Just not here. Just not not now. Not today. <laughs> we'll do, we'll talk. We'll talk in March. It's a right. little cold. We don't. Uh, right. I You're, don't have a lot. I don't have good reception here, but we will talk when I'm when I'm home. Appeasement. When you look at. At uh, Chamberlain. Lord Halifax, the people who were against Winston Churchill, who didn't want. I'm I'm sorry to. No, can you? uh, You know, I just wanted to say that people are curious about why they didn't include the swift, the swift banking system in in those sanctions. But I I understand because I used to have to use those when I would get paid by these Italian theaters. It's extremely frustrating and and difficult to use that swift thing. The swift thing, just engaging with that thing is is a punishment that can cost you. It's, it's these codes you have to use to get paid internationally. Mm. So, yeah. So uh, I, th- I say, yeah, let him continue to try to use those SWIFT codes. And uh, it, it takes years off your life. Sorry, you were going to say. Well, you were re- you, I know you were reading about, uh, you know, seven days that changed the world, Hitler declaring war on America. When you look at Chamberlain <clears throat> appeasing Hitler the Munich conference, weren't they really just trying to buy time? Weren't they just, they they began to realize too late that Hitler wanted Poland and the rest of Europe, but they they didn't have the the army to take on Hitler quite yet. And they were just kind of stretching this out by appeasing him. I, I am no expert on this uh, question, but it's my sense that Chamberlain was really deluded and that he uh, thought he had brought peace in our time. Right. And um, I, I was ab- actually, I had a basketball tournament that week in 11th grade when we did that subject. So I, I don't know anything about it. I missed that whole topic. You so, want me to make stuff and, up? And, and we lost the tournament. So I don't know the history and we lost it. So fear. Is Putin the the bogeyman that we need to Is it bogeyman or boogeyman? I've heard both. I I, I have hope lately I've been hearing bogeyman. It's interesting. Anyway, is uh and it's champs at the bit. That's right. Not chomping it's, at the bit. It's, and it's you get quashed and you get quashed. You don't get squashed. Right. Apparently. 
a horse is a champ. The bit is in the mouth, and that that horse is a champ at the bit. That's but that's where it comes from. He's not chomping at the bit. That champs don't chomp. They have too much class to chomp. They have manners. I forgot what I was talking about. Uh, We're educating your audience, which is what you're supposed to be doing. Right. Uh, could Putin? He can't be presented to us as first it's Ukraine, then it's us. The American people. No, won't. first it's Ukraine, then it's Moldova. That's for sure. And then I heard another very smart guy say the China's watching this very closely. Oh, yeah. Vis a vis Taiwan. Vis a vis Taiwan. If, if we bungle this one, then they're going to feel emboldened to take on Taiwan. Well, then we can finally take Aruba. <laughs> That's the silver lining. The silver lining. If we were talking in 1939, 1940, what do you think we'd be saying? Baba, goo, 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 baba. <laughs> All right. But if we were in a time machine. Yeah. What would what would we be saying? I I could see being an isolationist. I could say I could see uh, saying, really, we're gonna send our 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 blood and treasure over to Europe to help Great Britain and Belgium and France after all the crimes they've committed in, in Africa. In Vietnam, I mean, all, all the these are colonial powers. Why do we have to defend? I could see an argument being made not to help these countries. A lot of the people did make those arguments. They, they were not our kind of people, however. Uh, we got to help them, um, basically, because all the good recipes come from there. Yeah. yeah. I think you may Otherwise, be right. Gotta, I, I think yeah. Biden... Uh, I think you're I I think Biden is you know he said he's going to invade this is going to happen yeah and he was right yeah and we were wrong here on this show we I poo-pooed it well uh, thank well, you're a big man for being able to admit that. Yeah. Um, all right. Dr. Philip Hershenfeld, thank you very much, as always. Ethan Hershenfeld, why don't you plug some gigs? You're feeling better, right? I'm feeling quite a, a lot better. Uh, mystery bug, viral, bacterial, we don't know. COVID, no, based on the swabs, but, yeah. you know. Who the hell knows? But I'm feeling a lot better. Um, gigs. Yeah. Uh, send me a message. I'll, I'll send you info on gigs. And uh, meanwhile, uh, uh, March uh, March uh, 13th, episode 15 of this season of uh, SVU, uh, Law and Order SVU. Wow. My episode's coming up. Yeah. 
Now, is March Madness? Hang on, let me do a joke. Oh, sorry. Is March Madness your father's busy season? Because it's. You know, speaking of his father, what I did this weekend is listen to Thug Thug Jew yet again. And I'm telling you, it, every time he, you listen to it, it's really funny. He, I don't know if you know this, but your kid's uh, pretty effing funny. He's brilliant. Not, not an objective opinion, from, but thank you, Dad. Well, and, my, um, my, for me, it's an objective opinion. It's, it's more objective. It hurts me to say Got it. it. I'm not proud that you're so brilliant. Thank you. Play it backwards, and there's some secret messages. <laughs> John is dead, right? Well, I'm not going to give it away, but play it backwards. If you play, if you liked it forwards, you're going to really like. Thug, thug, Jew, bull, red notice. Bull, bull was on red notice. Uh, yeah, I had a great. Yeah, there was some great stuff and and some upcoming stuff. Um, this is you. Yeah. This is you during a pandemic. Imagine you during an endemic. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. It's, Imagine me. Yeah, and, and during a typhoon. Not to mention during a natural disaster. <laughs> I book during a natural disaster. Yeah, dur- during a during that the arid season. <laughs> <laughs> what do you prefer, typhoons or hurricanes? I like typhoons better because they're up there. <laughs> that's we'll end on that. That's a good. That's good because that is the difference between a typhoon and a that hurricane. Is good. Yeah. yeah. Comedy. If uh, what is it? Comedy. If she. If if you slip. If you slip on a banana, it's funny. If I slip on a banana, it's tragedy. Yeah. That's why yeah. that typhoon joke from the doctor. Is so funny. Thank you, Dr. Hershenfeld. Thank you, son of Dr. Hershenfeld. Thank and you. Let me let me uh, say thank you to both of you. And also, all joking aside, let's let's hope that uh, things don't get way worse in Ukraine. And let's let's hope that over time they can mount a resistance and, and send Putin packing. Yes. Yes. Well, okay. You. Send luggage to Ukraine to send. Yes, that's funny. Thank you. You're listening. Thank thank you you so much. You're listening to the David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com. My old friend, my old friend, Emil Guillermo, did not bring his wife today. No, it's just me today. It's just you. So (laughs) we're going to play in honor of your wife. We're going to be back. We're going to play some Professor Mike Steinel. And when we come back, we will be joined by Emil Guillermo, host of the PETA podcast and columnist for ALDEF, the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund. Traveling light, got everything I need. Got a little bottle of Rolite and a little bag of weed. Got a saw bell on novel, cause I really like to read. I'm traveling light. 
I'm a creature of the road, got no regrets. Gave up my postal code and cigarettes. I'm doing much better with a touch of Tourette's. I'm traveling light. Just need a clean room in a Motel 6. Not too close to downtown, but not out in the sticks. I need my pen and teller, magic kit, so I can do my tricks. Got my favorite pillow, which I call Mr. Fluffy. Four kinds of allergy pills in case I get stuffy. A pound of Epsom salts, cause my ankles get puffy. I'm traveling light. Two pairs of socks and shorts in my little valise. A couple of passports and my sex doll Denise. I'm staying real quiet so they don't call the police. I'm traveling light. sedatives and my antipsychotics a high speed parallax motor cause I'm into robotics and my little red speedo I like to do aquatics I'm traveling late got my CPAP machine and my George Foreman grill a copy of Lolita and my little blue pills a Navajo blanket in case I get a chill I'm traveling late got my margarita mix and my rusty old blender a 50 tequila in case I go on a bender my attorney's number in case I want to change my gender I'm traveling late wrinkle cream, my Emmy statue for my self-esteem, I'm traveling light. I got my podcast mixer and a fancy microphone, my exercise bike so I have a place to hang my pants, my very valuable Hummel collection, a menorah made of tissues, a Christmas tree, I like to keep my options open, don't you know, a shoe shine kit, a skill saw, a crossword book, a large supply of mechanical pencils, a year's worth of New York magazines I've been trying to get around to read, some scripts that I've been tweaking for those people in L.A., and my enemies. Thank you, Professor Mike Steinel. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com. Don't forget Office Hours, Friday nights at 8 p.m. I'm there for the first hour, and 
I'll answer all your questions, complaints, suggestions. I make myself available to all our listeners. All you have to do is go to my website, sign up for office hours. All you need is Zoom or telephone. There's a number you can call. Meet the amazing people who are in our growing community of of activists, singers, comedians, artists, and artists, and artists, and artists, and professors, and teachers, musicians, office hours every Friday night at 8 p.m. Meet better people. Meet better people. We had a meeting last night, Dan Frankenberger, who I, I want to find out when you want to do community billboard, Dan. We had a meeting yesterday with... Dan Frankenberger, Professor John, Joe in Norway, uh, the Invisible Ninja. I'm leaving some people out. I don't think Sarah or Hannah were there. I'm leaving somebody out. But we were talking about office hours and how it's just grown and become bigger than all of us. It's just this thing that has taken on its own life. And as long as you're left to center and not an a-hole, you're welcome to join us. Emil. I was there. You I was did, there last Friday. You were there last Friday. Yeah. David, do you want to do community billboard when the Reverend comes on so we can do the birthday game again? Yes, yes. Do you mind? Can we do that? Yes, that's good. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dan, in the newsroom. Mike Steinell, by the way, we play his music. He's our band leader, whether he knows it or not. Mike Steinell is a jazz trumpeter, composer, educator, member of the University of North Texas Jazz Studies faculty from 1987 to 2019, author of the highly acclaimed Essential Elements for Jazz Ensemble, Volumes 1 and 2, Building a Jazz Vocabulary, and Running the Changes. Go buy his album, Song and Dance, the Mike Steinel Quintet, featuring Rosanna Eckert's Origin Records. For more information, go to MikeSteinel.com, and we ask you to donate to Rahima.org. R-A-H-I-M-A dot org. It is a food pantry for refugees, primarily from Afghanistan, who have come to the San Francisco Bay Area and are struggling. Go to Rahima.org, R-A-H-I-M-A dot org. Five dollars. When you look at the food that they are providing to those in need, it's lentils, it's beans, it's yogurt, it's I know Emil won't approve of yogurt, but it's healthy food and $5. I mean, you, it's amazing how well you can eat and how many you can feed on $5 if you're feeding people with beans, lentils, and vegetables. It's go to Rahima.org and you will feel better. Instead of buying a scratch-off ticket you'll feel a lot better and luckier. You want to feel lucky? Go to rahima.org, R-A-H-I-M-A.org, and donate to this charity. It's our official, I've decided, Dan, it's our official charity of the David Feldman Show. I don't know what that means. It's the official food pantry of the, <laughs> of the David Feldman Show. I think that, that sounds better. We are running 10 minutes behind schedule, let us now go to California, where my f old friend, it's you and John Ross. You're the 
my oldest friends on this show, Emil Guillermo is the host of the PETA podcast, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. And he's also a columnist for ALDEF, Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund, Crimes Against Asians here in New York City. Oh, yeah, there are a lot. There are a lot. I mean, I mean, over the last couple of weeks, you know, you count uh, Michelle Goh, uh, you count uh, the young, uh, young woman the other day. Uh, I wrote about her, the Korean American woman. Uh, it, it's just sad. Um, and they got, and, and it, it, there's a, a theme, right? There's a theme about because the perps are generally speaking homeless people who are, you know, off their meds and we have to have to deal with that somehow. We have to, the system has to look at, I mean, this this is what makes it hard, right? Because, you know, we have a a woman pushed off a subway, uh, Michelle Goh. We have the, the woman in Chinatown who was followed into our apartment. And then suddenly people start talking about things like, um, you know, like, uh, you know, because it was in Chinatown, they want to build a homeless shelter there. They're saying not, in, you know, it suddenly becomes a NIMBY, you know, not in my right. backyard kind of issue where we should be more compassionate. We should be reaching out and it makes it very difficult. You know, how do you respond to this? So, yeah, there, there are a lot of crimes against Asian Americans and that are that have made the headlines the last couple of weeks. It was funny when I wrote that column on the, the Korean American woman who was killed in Chinatown. She had her, uh, she had her funeral uh, last Saturday. A lot of people attended, but it happened on the same day that a friend of mine, who's in his seventies, um, Peruvian uh, immigrant, uh, died, and uh, it was just sad. I, I don't know. Just I was just trying to make sense of his death, and then trying to make sense of her death, and. You know these things come up. You got to write a column about it. But my friend, who is in his seventies, he was a proving immigrant. Came to America when he was just sixteen. Didn't go to college. I went right from high school. Got drafted. Went to Vietnam. And uh, he was one of those who America sent to Vietnam to fight in sixty-seven and sixty-eight. And uh, so it was, it was a tough column to write uh, only because, you know, how do you deal with all these issues and then dealing with death? I, I've actually forgotten how I resolved it in my head as I, I mean, I'm not pulling it up. I should pull it up and talk about it. But frankly, David, I am just so depressed, depressed by the world you right. know, because this thing that's happening in Ukraine, I, my, the, 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 the word that or the phrase that I'm trying to bring myself out of this depression about what's going on in the world is, uh, you know, you got to find your inner Ukrainian, you know, we all have to find the Ukrainian in us all because that's how you understand what, what this, what, what's going on there and how it affects us. You in the East coast, 5,000 miles away, me on the West coast, 8,000 miles away how it impact, impacts us all. And it's it's really about, you know, if you're a freedom-loving 
democracy loving American. And, and I know your audience is vast and worldwide, but primarily American, I think, in the U.S. If you are a democracy loving American, you should you, you should just be appalled by what's going on there. And you should you should. I, th I think the idea of invasion, right? It didn't dawn on me until I realized, hey, wait a minute. This is not just Putin putting together the uh, the Soviet Union that was dissembled and everyone raced to freedom as soon as they got a chance. But he is really recolonizing, you know, his part of Europe. And colonization, the Philippines, the Filipinos, we understand that, Um your previous guests mentioned, hey, China's looking at this because they want to get back Taiwan, you know, if America, if the U.S. isn't strong. And so, you know, my message when I write my column primarily to Asian Americans is, hey, remember, I guess, and Filipinos, remember what it's like to be colonized. The Filipinos know that to be America's first colony. And certainly my, my mother knew what it was like after colonization when the Japanese, you know, when, once the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, they bombed Manila and they took over and occupied Manila. And that's where my mom understood the word occupation, you know, the occupation. They say that that's going to be the next phase. I don't know what's going to happen with Putin. He's gone in so quickly. All right. Let me, I, ask, you, let me ask you a question because I... I agree with you and I'm not, I'm not agree you know what I, I said on the show I don't want to argue be I want to yeah. find out what is going on so my sure. saying I agree with you implies that there's some kind of argument as opposed to just a sharing of information uh, I do, what I don't want to do with Ukraine is filtered through the prism of our own political agendas I just want right. to know. I just want to know what's going on. Let me yeah. ask you personally, because it is depressing. Sure. Yeah. If you were given the news about Ukraine this morning, along with, in other words, there was nobody prioritizing the news for you, so you don't mm -hmm. watch television, you don't learn what CNN considers to be the lead story, when you open up your New York Times. Traditionally, the, the the column, the farthest to the right, is considered the most important story. A banner headline tells us what is considered the most important story. If mm. I suspect more and more Americans don't watch cable news, they don't, uh, well, they do see the banner headlines online. But it, the, what I'm asking you is if you were just presented with the news, yeah. 20 news stories today, randomly and uh -huh. you know, just picked in order, and uh -huh. you the invasion of Ukraine came up number seven. It just randomly uh, came up as the seventh story of the day. How important would you then think it is? Well, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's very, I mean, you're talking about the invasion of a sovereign nation. I just, that's just a fact. Invasion, yeah. a, a free country. 
and and that that doesn't happen every day. Uh, look, I, there's a lot of news stories that are going to get bumped off. You know, they're not are not going to be get talked about. I mean, on on I, I have primarily an Asian American audience. I I was looking at the George Floyd uh, trial with the three officers and Tu Tao, the uh, one of the the Hmong officer who was uh, who was up. You know, you know he, he was a defendant. He he was convicted. They found they found them guilty today. But, but also, uh, you know, we have Islam Islamist militants in Africa. Yeah. We have yeah. stuff going on in Ethiopia. There's a war going on in Yemen. That is a there's an outbreak of cholera in yes. Yemen. There's so much. There's, I, mean, I just there's don't the think Gaza, that... there's the Gaza Strip. Mm -hmm. There's the humanitarian crisis going on in Afghanistan right now, where possibly hundreds of thousands of Afghanistan civilians are going to starve to death. Myanmar, uh, there, there's a lot of hot spots around the world. Well, I so think if you know Haiti. So if you were to, as I said, if if you didn't if you just got the stories you pick stories out of a hat if they, well well you're, Which, you're saying if, if it didn't come through a filter like in the new york times or the washington right. post if it came through some kind of objective way i don't know if, if you were just like waiting for stories to uh just randomly appear in your in your screen i think you would know which ones were were more important i mean we we all have to prioritize i mean when an editor goes through stories and says this is the top one this is what's gonna like you look at uh, any of the, the the major news organizations websites they'll let you know what the most important story is i don't think there's any question when you're dealing with a superpower uh, enacting its will on a free nation, that becomes a thing. Just like, look, if a plane crashes, you know, that's sort of like journalism 101. Anytime a plane crashes, that's the top mm -hmm. story. You know, uh, I know people who've uh, did not jump on a plane crash a long, long time ago. They got chewed out. Not me, but another friend of mine in another small market. And, you know, that's just basic. Now, so this is equivalent of maybe 10 plane crashes, you know, cause we're, or, or more, cause we're dealing with a sovereign nation of 40 million people that suddenly becomes right up there and also a superpower. So I don't think there's any question that we're seeing history played out and, and that adds to it all because we are going to see how everyone responds, how the free world responds and and also we're going to see how the voices for peace how how either strong or impotent they are i mean right. I, I i like what you know what biden was doing in terms of keeping the options open for diplomacy but i don't know if there is an option for diplomacy right now okay well, they just just out of just not to yeah. be argumentative but just to be sure. informative there are currently this is a list of countries at war mm. uh algeria burkina faso cameroon chad the democratic republic of the congo iraq is still at war there's still right. terrorism and infighting libya 
Civil War, Mali, well, Mozambique, you know, Niger, Nigeria, Tanzania, uh, Tunisia, Colombia, Myanmar, Syria. Yeah, but, yeah, but by definition Libya, of nudes, you know, the Gaza Strip. Um, yeah, but by by definition of nudes, yeah, the currency, the fact that it just happened. I mean, we thought maybe it was over, not over, but it had. You know, we were still in invasion creep last night that until about maybe 10 o'clock Eastern time, seven o'clock my time, that we saw the UN gather and and that was the first indication that, oh, it's on, the invasion's on. So by currency, that becomes, you have to make it the top story. It's not a matter of ideology. It's not a matter of pol political agenda. It's just, this is big. You don't, you don't, you don't ignore it. The others aren't not big, but um, imagine this, this is going to happen even to this story. As it goes on longer, we will forget it. Yes. How many Americans, how many Americans well, yeah. can tell us who the president of Afghanistan or Iraq were or are? Well, they look, they can't even, uh, identify or locate Ukraine on the map. I mean, that's an old thing where it will find this place on the, you know, they can't find it. They, they don't even know how big Ukraine is. And so isn't this, you tell them it's the second largest country in Europe. They, they, they say, what? To I, me, what I didn't this, know that. this is all about leadership. This is why leadership is so important. Americans don't know, including me, what to believe uh -huh. until I hear from Tucker Carlson, so I know what not to believe. Uh, I need to hear from Bernie. I need to hear from Elizabeth Warren. I, I need to hear from Jacobin and the nation. People say, make up your own mind. Do your right. own. You've got your own. You, you've created your own silos there. You know, I mean, so I, I, I subscribe to Jacobin. I get it quarterly. I get I subscribe to the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, the New York Times. I don't wait for them to tell me, but they are part of the sources. I think you're right. It is about leadership because or it's about how we have come to be suspicious of leadership and their agenda. And this is why for all this, I kind of look to Trump and blame him for what's going on, because you got to remember Helsinki. You got to remember how he coddled Putin. And you got to think that that's got to be one of the first times he's Putin felt that, oh, I got this. I just got to play my cards right. But I got this. You know, he's Putin saw the response that he got out of Trump. And I think that was the green light. So. Biden is playing catch up and trying to be strong and trying to get behind NATO. But really, I just think that Putin saw that we're in a new world. We're in a new era and rule of law. This is the this is the time of the strong man. This is why people in, you know, this is why President Xi in China is a, is is flexing his muscles. Why that that photo op at the at the Olympics that was important. Do you this think a lot of people got Putin wrong because in 2014 he invaded Crimea? Yeah, 
He became an international pariah, economic sanctions. But we were told Crimea really belongs to Russia. It's mostly Russian speaking. It was a gift in the yeah. 50s to Ukraine. They've they've taken it back. Uh, and do you think that we're overreacting? This is a possibility. This is, I think yeah, a lot of people I, I are gonna say we're overreacting to the invasion of Ukraine. He's not a threat to America or Western interests. He's protecting his uh, borders. That's what a lot of people yeah, are gonna say. I don't, and it's, I don't and, believe it, that. and life is easier to believe that. It, it, so if you, if you, if you wanna focus Sure. On the yeah, 140 look, million it, Americans who are living at or below poverty, you know, let's focus on America. Why do we have to worry about Ukraine? There is a well, legitimate argument. To yeah. That. And that was the argument that Trump made. And he was the one who, you know, said, yeah, let's go down this path of isolationism. And oh, also, look, NATO, let's not give money. NATO's a crock. This is this is why I blame Trump on all this. He changed the thinking. He changed the the way people approach this. There used to be a sense of right and wrong in a world order, but in a in a world of strongmen, in a world of autocracies, well, get get this. The top three superpowers, China, Russia, and the US, well, Russia and China are there. They're they look strong or they're appearing strong. And where's the US? the U.S. to them appears weak. And that's why they have taken this equation and said, now's the time to strike. Now's the time to flex the muscle. Right. And I, I think this what is if, a problem if, where we are now. What What if you're a member of P PETA, not only a member, your wife helps run PETA. You're the host yeah. of people for the ethical treatment of animals. What if you come to your foreign policy from a place that all war, as uh, Mr. Swanson wrote in his book, all war is a lie. That you you always say war is bad. That that you that you always come from a place of peace, and that war, no matter who who fights it, who wages it, war is always wrong, and that it is the la absolute last resort and that going to war is showing weakness. When we invaded Iraq, we showed weakness. When we invaded Afghanistan, we showed weakness. That a truly strong nation does not have to resort to physical violence. And that if Putin invades Ukraine, you don't show force with force. What if we come from that moving forward, that there are other well, ways, I, smarter ways yeah. to deal with aggression. Would you agree well, that there are? Yeah, I, I do agree. This is why I'm depressed by this. You know, like I said, I mentioned Thich Nhat Hanh earlier when, you know, we opened uh, the discussion on this. You know, I've, I try, I'm trying to think of how people who really believe in peace, how would they go forward? Uh, I, I, I believe in peace. I believe in nonviolent uh, means. And that's the challenge. Already we've lost or we've uh, the Ukrainians say they've lost about 137 uh, military uh, personnel. There's so one of the ways America could lead the world 
is in insisting on an end to the sale of arms. To stop, that we must stop selling arms to other countries and other countries must stop selling arms to other countries. That when countries have weapons, they tend to use them. Well, you know, I... But I we, that that our business it. model in America is arms. That's, right. That is what we seem to do best, is sell arms to other countries and make movies that celebrate our arms. Maybe, so, uh, look, I, maybe I, I the UN disagree. should make it a crime. Maybe we need to make it a crime to sell weapons or provide weapons to other countries, not just America, but Russia and China. And that if you are selling weapons to other countries, you will be isolated. We will there will be economic sanctions if you provide arms to other countries. Wouldn't that be? Wiser? That, that could be that. I don't disagree with you. I don't like the fact that we have this so-called military industrial complex and that we just we just gave uh, Ukraine a, a billion dollars last uh, a couple of weeks ago. So uh, I like I said, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know. Smart people don't who, who deal with this all the time don't know what the answer is. I know that as an American here watching this from afar and and not having any agenda except that i believe in democracy i believe i believe in freedom and i don't like what this says about the trend that's happening in our world right and we we need i i don't we need more people standing you know there are people protesting in moscow you know there was and like getting a, arrested and they got arrested. I know there there should be people and there are people here uh, who are, you know, protesting. And yet, you know, I, I think the idea of sanctions are sanctions could be good, but they I don't know if they mean anything to to stop to stop Putin and to stop Russia. I mean, we there he's a man without a pain point at this pain at this point. And I I don't know how you I I don't know how you negotiate with someone like that who just sees, you know, death and destruction uh, just as part of the cost of doing business. Right. This makes it, uh, you know, just totally depressing. But so, so, I, so, I so, so World War Two, the, the lesson from World War Two is this, uh, uh, the Sudetenland and appeasing Hitler and Chamberlain uh, not, you know, standing up to Hitler. Mm -hmm. That's where World War II begins. We never question what we should have done in the lead up to peace in our time. In other words, what were we doing wrong in the early to mid 30s that created a situation where Hitler got that much power. Well, Ford, IBM, Coca-Cola with Fanta, uh, Joseph Kent, we were doing business right. with Hitler. We were the Harriman brothers, Prescott Bush, we were propping up Hitler in the lead up to his expansionism. 
Uh, look, and it's, we it's could have avoided happened. war with Hitler. Yeah. Well, look at look at the, the the lead up to to all this. You know, 15 years ago, we were talking about, or 30 years ago, right? When 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 the Soviet Union broke up, uh, and all the the, the different company uh, countries were going for you know freedom and independence. Why wasn't why wasn't that? I know that that, that is still so elusive i mean we thought because we, had we it, ex- it because what we did is we allowed wall street to dictate the terms of the new russia of the new eastern europe wall street aided and abetted xkgb agents to take public goods private and they created oligarchs who in turn agreed to use america especially manhattan real estate as tax havens. We were not, we did not care about Russia. We had a puppet, a drunk named Boris Yeltsin, and we ran roughshod over Russia. We allowed Wall Street, Donald Trump and his cronies to run roughshod over the Russian people. Well, we, you're right. We did. We didn't care enough then, and then we, Putin we exploited. Got... We colonized Russia. Wall Street colonized Russia. Well, and that is one of the faults of American capitalism, right? Yes. And it, it is it. And if you look at what's happening with Russia, you look at the same thing happening with China. When China opens up, the the capitalists say, "Oh, the markets. The markets are opening opening up for us." and Immediately, you know, the East-West Bridge is uh, just paved with money. And what what's the what was the other big story? Hang on for one second. Of- I just I, I hate to interrupt you, but sixty percent, sixty percent of Russia's GDP is in Western tax havens. Yeah, it's sixty percent oh, I- of Russia's GDP is has been removed from Russia, has, we have extracted, I'm not, not just the United States, but Great Britain. And, and that we have extracted, we have mined their, instead of mining their oil, we have mined their assets. We've just taken their money, extracted it and put it in offshore accounts. This is far yeah, and, worse than what, what the Dutch did to Indonesia you know, taking their, well, not really, but it's it's not, it's because they enslaved the people, but it it's pretty bad. It's like taking, it's like taking, instead of taking their nutmeg and instead of taking the Belgian Congo's rubber, we just took their money. Yeah, look, I, I'm saying this is what happens when, you know, your your government doesn't know what its corporate citizens are doing, or maybe they do. And and, and I'm I sure some they, of them please. do, but some of them don't. And then, of course, the American public, what do we know? What are we told? We, do, we don't know. We don't know how closely allied we are fiscally to each other so that it all seems like a big contradiction, Right. You know, uh, Russia, the bad guy. Oh, but Russia has, we all have a piece of each other. That's, that's kind of the lesson. Just like China, we all have a piece of each other. And, and yet, yeah, and the Republicans are looking at Trump saying, well, I, I guess we're going to need a strong man too. 
we're going to, this is going to be our strong man and we're going to be in the strong man club because America is going to switch from the democracy club to the autocracy club. And that is the real fear of where we are right now. AC autocracy club versus DC democracy right. club. So I, I don't want to filter. I don't want to filter this through capitalism and Marxism I I know we have a lot of leftists here who are going to say this is what capital does and always does. They're right. They are they are you are absolutely right if you explain away our history through greed and and the corruption of capitalism that when the Soviet Union fell we had no interest in spreading democracy throughout Russia and their old republics. We saw it merely as opportunities to feather the nests of our own oligarchs. Well, but, and now but, it's now Putin is the blowback to all of that. Yeah, but it is true, though, there Ukraine even though they weren't the best democracy, they're sort of like a Philippine democracy. There's a little little corruption there, but they were still a democracy. And they still were a free sovereign country, are a free sovereign country. And that's what we should be concerned about. You know, the stuff that you're talking about, these are all things that happen under under our noses every day. Americans don't care. Americans have a hard enough time caring about the fact that a free country a sovereign nation was invaded and they, they in principle maybe but now they might get angry angrier and more upset if they found out more of the things that you're talking about but that's all like all the the, the run-up to where we are yeah we, we have to wrap it up uh it uh when the shah mm. fell and was taken over by the ayatollah and the hostages were taken. This was before you were born. Mm. Ameri America. <laughs> yeah, this was in 78, 70, 79. And oh, America yeah. said, why do they hate us? Why are they taking our hostages? Yeah. We never pondered the possibility that we had propped up the Shah and Savak and that we had installed... Oh. The Shah. But we knew that. So, so some of us knew that. Some of us. But knew it that. was ancient history. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about history. We don't like history. We right. Americans don't like history. We don't deal with it very, very, very well. But, but the the answers are there, and the missteps. Well, we we are a part of it. Maybe, I, maybe if a country has something we need, like oil or nutmeg, or rubber plantations, maybe we say let's work together how how do we help your how do we help your country by partnering with your democracy and how do we buy your oil unfortunately we you know what, what let's say we you know forget the fact that oil is evil how do we take your natural resources resources yes equitably fairly so you benefit and we benefit but the oligarchs in America don't think that way. They want all of it. 
Well, yeah. And they, and they just want to suck. They want to drink your milkshake. They well, just want to suck it, it all. It is true that, you know, when they talk about the Russian oligarchs, and I hope people are picking this up when they talk about the sanctions against the Russian oligarchs. Well, we got American oligarchs, too. And we, it's it's like the oligarchs versus the oligarchs and everywhere. And what about the people? We We don't even get to the oligarch level, so we don't count. We don't. You know, we 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 just see what's in the news. Globalism, glo- glo- the global economy, is a is in as it's practiced by Wall Street, is just another form of colonialism. It's, well, it's, yeah, look it, at it uh, when I first learned about the idea of multinational companies. That always like that that phrase always struck me as odd. I, well, isn't that an American? No, it's a multinational. A multi. I mean, like uh, split. We, we have to wrap that, it up. If I am building yeah. a podcast in oh I don't know Nicaragua, mm-hmm. and using uh, the resources of Nicaragua to further my podcasting needs, I don't want the people of Nicaragua getting in my way. I want Samosa making sure that I take all of it. And if they try to share, they want me to share my podcasting profits, I will turn to the American government who will send the CIA down there to make sure that David Feldman's podcast gets all the profits down in Nicaragua. That's how it's done. That's how globalism works. We have to wrap it up, sir. Uh, before you go, let's go to yes. our kitchen cam in Norway. Kitchen cam? Where hey, Joe listen, is standing he, by. He's going to tell us what he's cooking. Then we're going to go to Dan in the newsroom. And then we're going to go, while we're going to Dan in the newsroom, the Reverend Barry W. Lynn will join us as we do our community billboard. We're running 20 minutes behind. So very quickly, let us go to Joe in Norway what are you cooking for our ASMR for the eyeballs? Well, actually, this was for Emil. All of this talk of war, we've left off one war, Emil's war against oil. Oh, so, I've changed, oh right. I've changed my mind, Joe. I, I'm going to, I plan to test out, to fight your, your no oil jihad. I have planned two versions for these beans these flat green beans with shiitake mushrooms a little bit of garlic some cracked pepper and dill and a little citron okay i'm going to cook one with oil and one with just water saute four minutes each and then we'll see what they taste like. For those of our new listeners, you'll have to trust. You'll have to trust me. We, we, thank you, Joe. We're <laughs> going to be watching you. For those of you who are new to this show, Emil is a world-class vegan who has accused me of not being a good vegan because I have oil in my diet. Even though nothing dies, nothing has died. That's not good yes. enough for Peta <laughs> and Emil, who who says a good vegan doesn't eat olive oil. No oils. You got to think of your arteries, David. Look, I. Okay, we we have to wrap it up. I feel just bad enough about Ukrainian oil that I'm willing to give up my jihad, as Joe puts it, on olive oil for use. And I am cutting down on my oil. 
I, I just want you to know, Leslie is cooking beans as we speak with very little oil. You don't need it. We've Dude, replaced oil with gas, is what we're saying. <laughs> Emil Guillermo is the host of the PETA podcast, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Please invite your wife back. She was, she's amazing. And uh, we love her. And also listen to my uh, my live stream on uh, Twitter at Emil Amok, also on my pathetic YouTube channel and on Facebook at Media. I picked up a new subscriber to my YouTube channel. That's that's you're doing better than I am. <laughs> no. Your live stream ever since you've taken that prostate medication, your live stream has never been stronger. So thank oh, you. Thank you, that. David. Thank you. <laughs> I love you, Emil. And follow Emil on Twitter and watch his live stream. Emil Amuck on Twitter. And, and, read, Emil Amuck, yes. and, and read him over at ALDEF, the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund. Before we go, thank you, Emil. Thank you. Hey, and also, you know, I did want to talk about for the first time, the FDA approved a condom for anal sex. It was in the New York Times. It's one of the overlooked stories. And here's the thing. It was funded by the NIH and they did not test on animals. And so you put what, what I do is I put the condom in inside of me, eat beans and make balloon animals with that. Oh, that, that works. Or, you know, or you can use a baggie. You just put a bag, you know. But right. this is the first time for this is an overlooked news story. Today's uh, Thursday's paper, FDA approves a condom for anal sex, not tested on it, actually tested on real people. All right. right. And this, and you should use it so nobody gets pregnant. Thank you, Emil Guillermo. Uh, now I, I want to introduce the Reverend Barry W. Lynn for 25 years. He ran Americans United for separation of church and state. He is a lawyer, a barrister, a member of the Supreme Court bar. He's also an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. And we're running a little behind schedule. And and <clears throat> I, I, when I say a little behind, I it has nothing to do with what Emil was just talking about. I apologize. Uh, would, have, would have shocked me if yes. you had connected it to. But let us now go to our newsroom where Dan Frankenberger is standing by with Community Billboard. He's going to tell us what our, our amazing community is up to, Reverend. And then you and I will compete once again okay. on birthdays in the news. Are you prepared? Certainly. I'm totally prepared. Let me put a little money in the kitty wow it hurts when you put money in a kitty. here we go take that kitty so i have a few announcements for the community billboard uh okay. today um on saturday whoa still more money coming in more money <laughs> on saturday february 26th at 4 30 p.m eastern valley vox has their next show coming up and they're gonna feature special guest arjun hundel from the acclaimed podcast deep in history great uh Bailey Vox will take a trip back, back into the left with the new Oliver Stone documentary, documentary uh, JFK Revisited Through the Looking Glass, based on recently declassified files. Uh, join us and participate with Arjun in live Q&A by contacting Bailey Vox. You need a free Zoom ticket um, at 
at Valley Vox on Twitter or email valleyvoxtheater at gmail.com. Um, we have a, a fantastic uh, quote from the chat room earlier today from John Hayes. Uh, he says, if Putin gets COVID and ends up with a ventilator, let's call him Vlad the Inhaler. Vlad the Inhaler. That's very good. Okay, hang on for one. Oh, I don't have my, hang on. You traded the money for the laughs, didn't you? I did. Hang <laughs> Here, hang on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, we also have some sad news this week. Uh, the legend, amazing Jonathan, passed away. Yes. On Tuesday. Um, the magician and comedian, uh, he had been suffering from a heart condition uh, for quite a while. He, he stated back in 2014 that he thought he just had like one year left to live. But he made it to 2022, and uh, that's a, that's a sad one. He he was great. I, I remember from my youth watching watching his stuff on the um, what's the first iteration was it Com- Comedy Central presents was, yeah, or Ha uh, Ha Yep Yeah, he was on the show. Uh, yep, I have that right in front of me. Uh, what year? When when was he on the sh- our show? Uh, July seventeenth, twenty twenty. And I grabbed the link here that I'll throw in the in the chat and uh, on the YouTube if anyone wants a quick link to it. But you can go to davidfeldmanshow.com and just search for Amazing Jonathan. You'll find it pretty easily. Yes, I, I, I opened for him many times and he was amazing. He was truly amazing. The Amazing Jonathan, who uh, he one of the one of the best, one of the best. Yes, yeah, no questions was just awesome. Yeah. One of the yeah. best, one of the funniest, dangerous, great, you know, great magician, great com, in, you know, invented a style of magic and comedy nobody had done before. Just, you know, rock and roll, macabre, yep. violent, bloody magic and comedy. And he was nobody. Intentionally, intentionally shitty. Yeah. Uh, bits and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just. Very, very funny. I, I opened um, for him many times and uh, marveled at him. He was amazing. So what, what yeah. when was he on my show? Um, I just had it right in front of me. It was uh, July in 2020. It wasn't, wasn't that long ago. July 17th, 2020 show. About a year and a half ago. Yeah. There's yep, a great 1157. 1157. I'm going to go back and watch that. Uh, yeah. Hey. Um, that's about all I have for announcements. We're losing um, a lot of comedians. We, we yeah, it's been a bad six to eight weeks or so, huh? Uh, uh, Louie, Bob, the amazing Jonathan. Who am I leaving out? Norm. Norm. Yep. These are young guys. Yep. These are young guys. It's been a tough year. Yeah. Two years. I'm well, told as, as you get older, <laughs> it gets worse. <laughs> but it doesn't it doesn't slow down. It kind of accelerates as as you age. You begin to turn to the obituaries first uh, to see if you're there. But I'm in denial. <laughs> oh, I, no. I am in denial about all this stuff. So I don't think about it. That's what uh, I do. Should we do birthdays? Yep, we can do birthdays. Or do you have any anything else? Um, I had a Sopranos trivia, if you want to do that, Shit, or you can sure. just go right to yeah. the birthdays. No, yeah. How does Olivia find out that Tony is seeing a psychiatrist? 
Do you know this question, Reverend? I do not. I don't even know Olivia. How does Olivia... In The Sopranos, it was Tony's mother. Yeah, so it's the first season. How does... I know she tells Junior. How does she find out that her son is saying... Does he tell her? No, you, you're on the right track. Anthony Jr. tells her, and I have a little blurb about it. As part of a punishment for showing up drunk to class one day, AJ's parents make him visit his grandmother, Olivia, every day for a few weeks. And during one of these visits, AJ casually mentions that uh, he has been sent to see the school therapist, but that it's okay since his dad also sees a psychiatrist. Right, right. Okay, by the way, Reverend, are you a fan of Succession? succession no i have not watched it okay i mean i i'd be a fan of it if i had a little more time yeah i was going to say that succession is up there close nothing it's you can only get close to the sopranos billions by the way on showtime is you watch billions absolutely i'm caught up Yeah. Now, let me ask you about Billions. Sure. It's it's great and bad at the same time, correct? That is absolutely right. Uh, That is what? Yeah, that is absolutely right. There are some painful episodes in the current season where you just go, why did I ever think this was any good? But then the next one will get better. Yes, but I know exactly what you mean there. It is cringeworthy at times, but you still watch it because the actors are so good. The writing is generally very good, but sometimes so over the top that it's hard to take it even remotely seriously. It's Dennis. There's a level. It reminds me of Dennis Miller. His somebody listened to Dennis Miller's uh, black and white album and decided that they wanted to write at that level and they often surpass dennis at his best and they also surpass dennis at his worst it's a lot of references that are obscure but there there are a couple of times where i went wow that is amazing there's one moment where somebody wakes up next to a stewardess and says where are you going and she says barcelona and i thought okay that's a company reference that's only dennis miller would have the balls to to do that that's pretty amazing uh when you're referencing deep cuts from the musical company uh, that's pretty good i just got really hungry I just got like a may. I just got ravenous, and I, I realized I can smell Joe in Norway, what he's cooking, oh. and and I'm like getting uh, okay. Uh, which, which pan of his smells the strongest? The one with oil or without oil? The whatever he's cooking. Those are are those beans? What is he cooking? He's cooking beans. And mushrooms. Oh my God! These are flat green beans and shiitake mushrooms. Uh, watch your language. I have to get a power bar. <laughs> um, I'm probably gonna have to play a song in a second 
and grab. I'm like lightheaded. Let's do birthdays. Now you're going to win, Reverend, and then we'll do your segment. But oh, okay. Uh, but let's go up against. Let's do very. Let's do some birthdays here. All right. Okay. Um, we have Prince Andrew, Duke of York. What is his age? Oh, I know that. Well, I don't know that. He's 60. 59. 59. I'm going to go. I'd say he's 60. I think you were right the first time. I'm going to say 59. It is 62. 62? 62. So I am wrong. So the Reverend Barry W. Lynn is winning. One nothing. Smokey Robinson. I would go, go for, I would say 78 years old. I'm going to say higher. You got to do the math, Dan? Uh, no, you're, you're not going to take a stab at the actual number? Well, I'm doing prices right here. I'm going to say higher than 78. I'm going to say uh, 83. It's 82. I'm 82. right. You're right. It's tied one to one. All right. Um, Cindy Crawford. Cindy Crawford. You guys I, know who she is? Uh, I'm going to guess the age now, and you have to say higher or lower. I'm going to say 54. Oh, thank you. Uh, I believe we're talking lower. 54? You say lower? I think you're wrong. Lower. 56? Uh, I'm I'm correct. Yep. Two nothing. There's great. I'm eating these beans. They're amazing. Oh wow! They they arrived from Norway that quickly. What did you say, Reverend? I'm just saying that I don't know that the rules. Once you decide it's lower, higher. And then you go back and actually give a specific age, then you don't win if you if you're wrong. I, who cares about these rules? Let's change the rules next week too. Okay. Right, two more, and then we're going to get to the the fun stuff, Ukraine. Okay, good. Okay. Next up, Mitch McConnell. I know that. Um, you said that the first one. <laughs> I, I, I think he's uh, I think he's seventy six. Nope, eighty two. He is 80. You know, turtles live long. So. Yes, they do. All right, one more. One more. We're going to go with uh, Kelsey Grammer. I know that. I know this. <laughs> I mean, I barely know who he is. I mean, I can I can vaguely picture him. But right he's best known for his role as snooty psychiatrist Frazier Crane on the television sitcom Cheers and its spinoff Frazier. So, but he's he's got to be sixty-eight, sixty-two, sixty-six. <laughs> 
Dan Frankenberger, so, how do people contact you while I eat these amazing beans? If you want to get anything into the community billboard, just email dentfeldman at gmail.com. And now we should go to Jordan, Joe in Norway real quick with the results of his taste test. Joe? Well, I don't know which looks better to you. Tastier. The, the, the one on the right looks better. They both taste great, but I think there's a little bit more flavor that's been conveyed with the oil. Is that on the right? Still good. Also, the coloring. This is the oil. This is the water saute. Yeah, I mean, and what, how much oil did you put in that? Oh, maybe too much. How much oil? You can just use a t- just a couple teaspoons. And what kind of oil is it? I use uh, extra virgin, but you can use sesame oil. You can use butter, what have you. But cooking these types of beans, cooking broccoli, four minutes under medium high heat, a little bit of water, salt, pepper, perfect every time. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. Let us thank you, Joe in Norway. Oh, look at that. I got lightheaded, Reverend. I'll be back later with the professors to make some war pickles. War pickles. The Reverend Barrett. Let me talk about quizzes for a minute. You know, for years, I did an hour every Friday on radio with Colonel Oliver North. And uh, he actually, many people don't believe this, but he actually had quite a sense of humor. And so we used to create quizzes for each other. And we were going to do a quiz, and uh, regrettably, we never got to actually play it because he, he left radio, um, I think at his own volition, about guns. So I went out and I purchased at a bookstore a Jane's Guide. Jane's are military guides to aircraft and everything, down to weapons that you can carry yourself. And I had created a series of beautiful, trivial questions that I didn't think anyone, even someone as militaristic as North, would know. And I had planned it. I was so sure it was going to happen. But then he left radio, and I never got to play it. And I don't have the book anymore, because what the hell would any normal person do with a Jane's book to firearms? And the answer is nothing except give it away and get 25 cents off your taxes. Exactly. Exactly. What is on your mind, sir? Sorry to keep you waiting. No problem. This is the most irritating thing I've seen on social media today. We can talk about Ukraine, but this is the thing that really ticks me off. So many people today, and I'm a sucker for these things. You know, you, you change your image on Twitter or change it on Facebook because of some event, like you got vaccinated and you want to proclaim I've been vaccinated three times or anything relating to the LBGT community, um, rainbow flag, anything at all. I put them on my picture. So today, incessantly, people say they want you to put a little scroll around you that say, I stand with Ukraine. And I'm not going to do that because I don't even know what that means. It sounds to me, I said to one person who I did write back and say, I'm not going to do this. I said, because it sounds to me 
like what the NRA members say after there's a school shooting. Thoughts and prayers be with you. That is meaningless. That is meaning that I don't know what the hell I stand with Ukraine really means. And I don't think most of these people do, but it's it's a big thing. The only heroes today were the 1,800, I think it's up to now, 1,800 Russians who knew that they weren't supposed to demonstrate against the war, but who did so. And some of them, even the ones on camera, were treated brutally. It's people who stand up for peace, who live in Russia, who stand up. I'm going to stand with them. I'm not going to stand with the victims because I don't even know what people mean. I've got so much flack last week on this show and in social postings talking just about why is it that we're so sure that we will do anything. We will even give Joe Biden virtual carte blanche to do anything that he wants about this. Now, today he reiterated that there would be no military force by the United States in service of Ukraine. And I hope that's true. But I do remember vividly how Lyndon Baines Johnson, when he was running for president against Barry Goldwater, specifically tried to prove that he was a peace lover. And he said no American boys would ever fight a land war in Asia. And it went on and on and on. I think Woodrow Wilson said the same thing when he was running for re-election about World War One. Yes, yes, he did. But there, there are some big differences, I think. There are a lot of reports in European newspapers in the last 24 hours of people who have recently spent time with Putin who say that they are afraid he is literally mentally ill. So now we not only have a thug, but we have someone who may be mentally ill. It's very hard to predict what such people would do. I was with a Vietnam veteran uh, last night. I hadn't seen him for a very long time. I think the one thing we agreed about, we had some disagreements, but was you're never going to end war until there are enough people in enough countries who say, I don't care what the government tells me I ought to do. I am not fighting a war. And that's so simplistic. But the more you think about it, what else could possibly do this except we're not going to build, we're not going to, the UN's not going to do this. Some of the ideas you were talking with Emil are great ideas. I don't think they're going to be effective. I think it's people have to just say, I am not going to fight your damn war. And when enough people in enough places stop it, then maybe we'll start to get creative about what we do to resolve our differences. Right. But that's what real peace is. Right, 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 yeah. right, right. Right. Enough. What? What? When? Go ahead. When we uh, turn on the news, we don't hear peace activists. We don't hear Medea Benjamin. We don't hear Code Pink. We don't hear the Reverend Barry W. Lynn. Nobody is on the news right now, calling for peace. The, the immediate reaction to the invasion of Ukraine is, do we invade or not? Do we sell weapons? How, how many weapons do we give to the Ukrainian government? 
nobody talks about peace, do they? Or am I wrong? No, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, we we're so excited that um, we predicted this. I mean, I think three weeks ago on this program, you asked me, did I really think that Putin would invade? And I said, yes. And, um, but everybody's self-congratulatory about this. They, you know, Biden was gave a speech that wasn't terrible today, but he certainly didn't say everything he should have said. He did repeat that we were not going to use American troops in Ukraine. But everybody's so happy that we we didn't allow there to be a false flag. That's the big claim today. We were out there in front. We all, we said there's going to be a claim that the Ukrainians have attacked Russia, and that's going to be a lie. And and then it was a lie, and he didn't even use it. But that's that can't be the best we can do to figure out what to do. So we now we've imposed banking restrictions in some cases, but as I understand it, not in all. And we still haven't dealt with oil. We haven't dealt with the amount of oil that comes not just to this country, it's relatively small, but to places in Europe. And I think, (laughs) I mean, I'm cynical about this. I think it's because world leaders, including Joe Biden, don't want to be accused of raising gas prices again. So they don't want to mess with that at all. And the personal, the other thing, sanctions, and I know you and Emil were talking about this too. Yes, sanctions are very interesting and they're very good. And sometimes they work. But sanctions that are imposed, and there's an MSNBC report that said he's not only considering more sanctions, but also... Uh, that he's considering certain cyber security attacks, including ones that will derail uh, trains and destroy the internet in Russia. But you know that's that's wonderful. But the the people who have access to money and the people who have the, all the oligarchs that who are still going to have vast holdings, they're not going to be the people hurt by that. The people who are going to be hurt by that are the average Russian citizens who didn't, didn't, if they had had a vote on it, would not have wanted to go and invade Ukraine at all. So when we, when we think about these global things that are not sending arms or directing our military troops there, we, we can't get to this. I don't think we should get to the point where we say, well, anything else is okay without recognizing that it is the poor and the people with no power and the people who are otherwise defenseless who bear the brunt of anything negative done because you've got a power-hungry leader in your country or possibly with Putin, a person who is literally a madman. Right. We're all so smart. We all understand geopolitics and the chess moves and nobody says what you say, no war, period, no war. You know, if he does this, we do that, and then we respond this way, and then we do the economic sanctions that punish the people of Russia who end up hating us more. If 60% of Russia's GDP is in a offshore tax haven, seems we could get rid of Putin very quickly if we really wanted to. We could just truly freeze 
all those all those assets and and they the people underneath him would uh, come for him but we're doing business with him he's got so much money in manhattan real estate so many investments in held in delaware and and the dakotas and all and nevada and all our other tax havens you know america is the biggest exporter of oil in the world as of 2018 we are also the world's largest tax haven for criminals we're, we we are bigger than switzerland the united states is the we have a lot of that russian money and our economy is being propped up wall street our real estate is being propped up by russia's stolen money and yep. uh it is a very sad but very true statement about the nature of the American economy. And um, it's not like, I mean, look how long it has taken. This, I'm sure this is not easy. I'm not suggesting it's easy to, to follow all these money trails from Russians, including Putin, into the United States. But if you never even start looking, then you never find it. And to, to my knowledge, even with all of what has happened in the last few days, I don't think there's any serious suggestion that, he, that Biden is planning to impose sanctions directly on Putin, right? I mean, it's all, all the other Russian oligarchs, but, but there are other things he apparently could do, but has chosen not yet to do to affect Putin's assets directly. And that's just... That's a scandal. I mean, oligarchs, even the ones in the United States, and we do have them, I don't care what you, happens to their money. It's never honestly gained. And it, the more you can hurt oligarchs anywhere, and now with a special, a special interest, make sure that the Russian oligarchs, including Vladimir Putin, get to suffer the slings of economics pressures totally you know david rubenstein runs the carlisle group they are the largest war profiteers in the world they also are some of the largest oil investors climate change creators president biden spent his thanksgiving in the home of david rubenstein who also runs the kennedy center he also runs the foreign relations uh, the, what what uh, uh, what is um, uh, foreign affairs? The magazine is put out by right. the Council on Foreign Relations. Right. So David Rubenstein, the world's largest war profiteer, runs the Council on Foreign Relations, the magazine Foreign Policy. He runs mm -hmm. the Kennedy Center. He has his own show on the PBS, and he is the single largest war profiteer in the world the carlisle group the carlisle group the carlisle group and his investments if you look at where he invests its money their money it's uh, a network of intrigue and he's on the phone with joe biden or somebody one of the west exec lobbyists who's currently running 
our foreign policy. And Rubenstein is saying, well, don't seize these assets, because if you do that, a mining company in Tanzania will go under and that will affect, you know, it's all related. So just freeze this, but don't freeze that and scare it's, the American people enough so they buy more weapons. Exactly. Uh, you know, I think there's a connection. I mean, the way that I just described this and the hurt that you all, you don't necessarily say if this cyber intervention would hurt a lot of poor people in Russia, we can't do it. But you at least need to give it credence and you need to have a discussion of it instead of having six people all in agreement on MSNBC about what you should do. But it's, there's a real parallel here with something I want to talk about. And that's the treatment of transgender folks in the United States and around the world. Specifically, in Texas, uh, Governor Greg Abbott signed an agreement the other day urging every state agency to investigate the possibility that transgender children are going to be offered either surgery or the beginnings of, uh, of drugs leading to a sex change operation. And this is because he got um, an office of legal opinion from his own attorney general who said that it is child abuse for a parent to work with his or her child toward these surgeries or the drugs that may lead to later surgical intervention. Now, this is a horrible, horrible thing. And you, it's part of a plan of attack against transgender people. Ban transgender girls from playing with any female sports teams. That's one of the early things. And of course, prohibit anyone from using a locker room or a restroom any facilities that don't match the gender that's on your birth certificate. So this is strike three. But think about this for a second. Greg Abbott, along with this idiot who runs the state of Virginia now, Glenn Youngkin, got elected in part because of their support for something called parental rights. And this is an idea that's been floating around since I used to debate you know, Phyllis Schlafly back in the, in the mid-80s. If a parent working with her or his child believes that it is in the best interest of the child to do something about this sorting out of gender identity, why in the hell is it not a parental right to do that? Why would you consider, as they're doing in Texas, considering making it a criminal offense? considering it child abuse to work with your own child toward a better sexual identification for that child. Why does that, why is that just a, a burning hypocrisy that is obvious to everyone, even if you're a politician in Texas? Why is this so difficult for people to understand? I would assume that if you're a Republican like Greg Abbott, you have libertarian leanings and you want to leave people alone as long as it doesn't affect me. So, right. So why would you care about somebody's transitioning? 
other than using it as a bright, shiny object to distract voters away from income inequality. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I guess yeah. it's. I guess they're being taught by their religious leaders as well. I think there are religious leaders, Reverend, who genuinely hate the LGBTQ community and it has nothing to do. Does it have anything to do with distracting voters from the, the, the richest 1%? Of course it does, but I mean, this is this is something that it's almost, uh, it's certainly not impossible because they're doing this in Florida and other places too. The, the lesbian, gay, bisexual community, well, let's leave aside bisexuals, they're still, you know, alienated by uh, by so many people, but just the straight, well, gay people shouldn't marry. I mean, they, they rode that until it was impossible to retain the argument. And now they're looking for new people to hurt. It's all about who can you hurt? It's who can you punch down to? You're standing up with a position of power and you want to smack somebody in the head. And this is, you know, this is what, mind you, what bad comedians do. They don't make fun of the people who are running the government. They make fun of somebody that is sitting there on the street with them. It's uh, it's it's really, really terrible. You knew Jerry. Fo you knew Jerry Falwell. Yeah. You you know these. Yes, is it calculated, or do they, or does if you get a couple of drinks into Pat Robertson, does he say I'm just doing this to energize my base? I really don't mean this, or does he does he believe yeah. this stuff? I, I think that both of them actually believe what they're saying. Now, it, it helps that it's an enormous financial benefit. I think I may have mentioned long ago on this show that there, most people think Jerry Falwell got into this business because of abortion. He didn't. He wanted to preserve the existence of very lucrative whites-only Christian academies in the South. And he thought if he can kind of make black people scary enough, uh, then you can make money on that. You can also build an empire. And when he was came, when secular Republican conservatives came to a couple of people, religious right figures and said, we have this great idea. We think that the power of the Christian conservatives can and should be mobilized. Most people said, we're not doing that. Jerry thought for a minute, said, sounds good to me. And that's when he formed the moral majority. And but I do think, you know, what particularly when he died, I mean, I did so many interviews with people uh, to do obituaries and everybody go. But did he really believe it? And I do believe he came to believe that not only was it beneficial to him financially, but that this was, in fact, what God wanted done. Tell me about. Go ahead. I, w I wanted to ask. No, no. Go ahead. Tell, I, me about, I mean, I... tell me about how. Go circle back to how there's money to be made in segregation with these Christian white schools. Well, remember, this is we're talking now about the early '60s. Um, civil rights, you know, 
bill has been passed. We got over the idea of separate but equal by Supreme Court doctrine. And then, but white parents said, you know, uh, the, the depth of fear of the black community at that time by white people in the suburban areas of the country is so intense. I mean, I was just at the very edge of that, but I can remember even in the early, in the late fifties, early sixties, just the enormity of overt racism in places like where, where I grew up in Eastern Pennsylvania in the steel towns. And so the money was, we'll protect your children. What do you need? You, you have to protect Johnny and Jill. And that means you have to protect them by sending them to a school where people will be just like them. It's a safety matter and it's gonna cost a little bit, but you should pay it. What is it? You don't care about the safety of your children. That's a very powerful motivator. It's also evil, isn't it? Do they know it? Do they know they're evil? I don't think they think it's evil. No, they do not think it's evil. I mean, they, it's like people who, um, um, you'd have an argument and they would always say, but, and they still do this. Whenever you say something about, well, you know, look at what the Trump kids are doing, they're profiteering from this, that, and the next thing. And then other people, including people like you and I, who think there is something wrong with what Hunter Biden said or did, it probably ain't nearly as bad as what the Trump kids have done in terms of profiteering off of other people. But if you find one little thing, one glitch, then they will say, well, maybe we did something wrong. It's, it's like they excused, uh, Christian conservatives excused Donald Trump for all of his philandering sexual assaults. And, and you would get somebody like Franklin Graham on CNN and CNN would ask him a question about, aren't you offended by this? And he'd, and he'd say one of two things, either, um, well, you know, he's running for president. He's not running for my past to, he's not going to be my pastor. Or they would say, well, that was a long time ago, as if that just means nothing happens. And then nobody ever follows up in questions and said, but, but, you know, he just denied it yesterday. So if he did it and you can forgive that, but then he lied about it and said he didn't do it. And that was just yesterday. Why don't you at least condemn him for being a liar? Those questions never even get asked. And so they don't have to be answered. But there's plenty of money in guilt-tripping people about how they're not doing enough for their own kids. And I think that's where the profit comes in with these segregated religious academies, which still exist to this day, just not quite as overtly. Our our public schools are as segregated, if not more, than they were back in the 50s. Oh, at least. Sure they are. Sure they are, because um, the public schools, um, this this ward in Washington where we live is possibly the most integrated ward in the city, you know, because it's got, it's on the border of Maryland, and so there's a lot of that. It, it, but, but it's still, this is still a highly segregated 
school system uh, all, all all over all, all over DC, and it gets even worse in Los Angeles and Philadelphia and other it's places. It's almost as though there there was a time when I was growing up where people were uh, racists were terrified of sending their kids to school with people of color. Now that we're in apartheid, I mean, our schools are pretty much an apartheid state. I'm not, yes. that's, I, I haven't, I think it's Jonathan Sokol who wrote that 15 years ago, and it's gotten worse since he wrote about this. Uh, um, now, you no longer have to be afraid of black people because the schools are segregated. Now you have to be afraid of your fellow white person. For the first time, I, my kids, I don't have kids who are young enough to go to a public school. But when I watch these school board meetings, the first thing I think is, I don't want my kids going to school with these people. And I can't help but wonder, first of all, I think we've overreported these school board meetings. I don't think, you know, they're, they're like 20,000 school board meetings every week and they find the one or two people who act up and they blow it out of proportion. I can't help but think this is part of a plan to destroy our schools and privatize all those services and turn it over to the oligarchs. It It's in the best interests of Bill Gates and the charter school people uh, for us to see crazy white people screaming about Nuremberg laws and the masks, you know? Absolutely. Uh, no, it, it's absolutely true. You know, I thought that was true, that this is a very rare phenomenon, but um, the, my one of my brother-in-laws is actually on a school board in Western Pennsylvania. And in talking to him about the kinds of issues he's got, he's got the same issues, possibly without the craziness of the participants on film, but the same issues and the same censorship of textbooks and, and efforts to get people not to study black history, like saying it's all critical race theory and all that, those are the same things that are happening in a lot of school districts that don't get the attention that the ones that you and I see on television, you know, every, every time they, they don't have some other murder that they can attribute to some, someone. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, they call Trump, they call Trump a merchant of chaos. They've called Putin a merchant of chaos. What they want is just to throw everything up in the air and keep people wondering what's coming next. It is well, there's good news on that front. I think, I think there. You were talking a couple of weeks ago about the one big idea that the Democrats need to promote: a dramatic change in the healthcare system. And, but now there's. There are two things they have to add to anything. Maybe that's not the right approach, but I think a lot of people would agree with you. Remember a few weeks ago when Matt Gates um, decided that he should announce on television, some one of these really far right tr uh, channels, that um, if the if the Republicans gain control of the House, 
since the Constitution doesn't say who the Speaker of the House should be, the Republicans should name Donald Trump Speaker of the House. And that was a little crazy, but then uh, uh, Mark Meadows had also said that, and uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene has now said that. To elect a Speaker of the House, you have to get one more than half of the people to vote for. So it's a serious issue. And I don't think we should ever let people forget that if you vote for Republicans in the House, they could name Donald Trump Speaker of the House. That's pretty scary. But then something happened yesterday that's even scarier. Rick Scott, who's the head of the Democratic Senate uh, campaign. Republican. Republican. He decided to issue an 11-point plan for America, and it has things like we need to get children to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, We need to remind people that there are only two genders, male and female. It's kind of traditional stuff. And then one of his last points was, and we should make sure that every American citizen pays income tax, because if they don't, it's um they don't have skin in the game they don't have skin in the game that was the phrase he used and this reminds me of course of what happened when Mitt Romney was running for president in 2012 my uh friend David Korn who was I think at the nation at the time of course got a uh, an audio tape at a dinner where Romney said something very similar he chastised at that time it was about 47 percent of Americans didn't pay any taxes. And he said they should take responsibility and take care for their lives. And a lot of people think that that was the last straw, that that was the end of the Romney presidency. I don't think we should ever let anybody forget that this guy believes that everyone should pay taxes because it looks good and they'll feel good and they'll feel more connected as Americans without regard for how they're gonna pay their bills how old they are, and he's already tried to walk it back a little, but it doesn't matter. Democrats ought to say, if they're running in these Senate races, there are going to be a lot of very close ones. Yes, well, the head of the Republican Senate campaign committee says everyone should pay taxes. The biggest single increase in the taxation of American citizens in the history of the country. Never let anyone forget that. Right. He also is against people paying their fair share of taxes. Well, yes, of course. Well, they're already paying some. Right. See, you weren't paying attention to what he said. He, right. he said everybody should pay, and all of the billionaires are going to pay, and, and, and so are the, so is the guy that you just passed on the street, uh, homeless in a sleeping bag. Yeah, he's going to pay too. But it's all fair. It's just we treat everyone alike. What's that old saying? The rich and the poor are permitted to sleep under bridges at night. Right. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, Anything else you want to talk about? No. Well, I I do think we're going to get a a Supreme Court nominee, if not tomorrow. Some celebrant in Washington will be on Friday. Maybe on Monday, and I think it's going to be Katanji Brown Jackson. Uh, she uh, is on the DC 
the Court of Appeals, the so-called second most important federal court. They handle a lot of environmental cases, a lot of very important uh, cases. She did, uh, she got on the bench there in the circuit court uh, six months ago and got three Republicans to actually vote for her. So they would have a little trouble trying to explain why they would vote against her now. And Manchin and Cinema, of course, voted for her too. And I think that she is probably the most liberal of the remaining candidates, more liberal than the South Carolina district court judge that, um, that Biden's uh, close friend Jim Clyburn likes so much, or, or Leandra Kruger, who's on the California Supreme Court. I mean, they're certainly, relatively speaking, liberal, but I think Katanji Brown-Jackson is is more liberal. I just think that the very best of all the candidates that were mentioned on that first day has already been eliminated, and that's Sherilyn Eiffel. Sherilyn Eiffel not only didn't go to an Ivy League law school, but she also was the president of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Mm. She litigated. She was in the in the trenches. And it's not to say that the other uh, two finalists here haven't done good things, although there's some question about how pure they might be on, on some environmental issues. But but um, that's who I think it's going to be, Katanji Brown-Jackson. And I think she is, in fact, going to be relatively easy to nominate. And I'm just sorry that we can't get away from making it, a near requirement that you went to an Ivy League law school, unless you're, of course, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, who went to Notre Dame and who, um, um, you know, is uh, not not so not so good. Um, anyway, we, so that I mean, that's really all I, I wanted to say. Do we know I'm if she's surprised. Catholic? Is this because the only we only have Catholics and Jews on the Supreme Court? Did you know that? Is um, is uh, Amy Coney Barrett? I think she went to Notre Dame. Yeah, but well, she taught there. But I think she, she's. An, I think she's an evangelical Catholic. Like, she could be an evangelical Catholic. Yes. But yeah, you're right. It's it's um, yeah, because Protestants just. I guess we just. You know, we we just we just we just lost. We just lost it. No, can you imagine a person who is a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Muslim being considered for the United States Supreme Court? I would like, I'd like, I don't care what your religion is, I'd like you to practice it on the Supreme Court privately. <laughs> Just obey your the core tenets of your religion, whatever it is. I would be happy for that. Exactly. The, uh, and you probably would. And uh, we. Can you imagine a a humanist, an avowed humanist, or even better, an avowed atheist being considered for any position um, in the federal judiciary? I mean, there there are a few. There are a couple, there's a Buddhist in Congress. Did you know that? Uh, Hank Johnson from Georgia. But I mean, it's not like uh, they. Uh, it's not like they. Uh, proclaim this loudly and at all times but that's it i mean that and now the, the biggest thing i learned aside from 
the things we've talked about and everything else in the newspaper was that I have been pronouncing Lindsay Lohan's name wrong, mm-hmm. along with almost everybody else. And uh, it, her name is Lindsay Lohan. Well, I'm glad you cleared look. that up. Yeah, well, she cleared it up, actually, by, because she's now on Instagram I or TikTok or something. And she spoke to people and said, my name is Lindsay Lohan. Lindsay Lowen. I'll try to Lindsay get Lowen. I'll try to get that wrong. Yeah. Well, the Reverend Barry W. Lynn is a reverend, an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. He's also a lawyer, a member of the Supreme Court bar, and for nearly a quarter of a century he ran Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Go to barrywlynn.com and watch and read his work. And soon there'll be a book out, I hope. So do I. Yes. Because otherwise, um, these stories could get lost. Right. But it's called paid to piss people off. And uh, I'm not accepting uh, advance payments for it. I'm not that desperate, (laughs) but... I'm thinking about it. Get me my church. Get <laughs> me my get me my church on time. Thank you, Reverend. Stay out of stay out of trouble, please. Only good trouble. Right. You are listening to the David Feldman Show. DavidFeldmanShow.com. Coming up, the professors and Mary Ann, and Friday night office hours. If you want to meet better people. Come to office hours. I promise you, you will meet a better class of people. We'll be back with the professors and Marianne. Feldman show. He's talking politics and comics too. To tell a dirty joke, he knows quite a few. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for right. Some days he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. So get your ears on right, buckled in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Yes, it's time right now for the David Feldman Show. Get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming away. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. All right. Can you hear me? Yes, you can. Welcome back. You can hear me, right? Okay. It is time now for the professors and Marianne. Joining us is Professor Ann Lee, Professor Marianne Cummings, Professor Jonathan Bick. I don't think we have Professor Adnan Hussein 
with us. And let's go to Joe in Norway, who has a new dish she's preparing. Before we begin, let us start with uh, Joe in Norway. Hello, sir. What do you have for us? Hello again. Yes, I always talk of Ukraine and Russia has me craving sauerkraut, kapusta. Mm. But I think I'm going to, since we've got this hot war going on, I think I'm going to spice things up and go along with a little bit more kimchi style mm. pickled cabbage. And I've got daikon, ginger, carrot, and I'll make a rice flour slurry and uh, about a tablespoon of salt for a little over a kilo of cabbage. All right. And I've got my my handy dandy Amish, imported Amish pickle jar. Wow. All right. You made very, me very nice little. You made me so very hungry. <laughs> I am Leslie made beans that are just so good. They are perfect. So we're, uh, I had to eat. Did, did we lose you? Oh no, we lost uh Yes. Let's do this. I'm going to call an audible. I'm sorry to keep everybody waiting. Um, let's go around the horn and find out what everybody wants to talk about. Let's start with Professor Ann Lee. Hey there. Uh, hi. Fun day for, uh, inter it, hi, international politics. Uh, Did something happen? It's, uh, <laughs> what? I don't know. Uh, it's hard to, t hard to tell actually. Um, it, it was sort of interesting to see how, uh, the reporting went, uh, you know, the, the, the international press was worried about, uh, the state of the invasion and made all kinds of speculation about whether it was going to be a big, big invasion or a small invasion and it pretty much was exactly how the experts called it that it was a multi-sided uh aerial assault and all we have now are really bizarre battle uh you know uh damage estimates uh uh in other words uh cnn would would show you a uh a russian uh, air assault battalion try to take over um, an airport outside of Kiev, and then you'd get a report saying that they got wiped out by a Ukrainian defense. So it's just, and it, it was just really bizarre. The whole thing is bizarre. We we really don't have a good sense of what's going on right now. There's not there's not good uh, reporting on the ground. It's it's just very very strange, and uh, I I think it's a lot more interesting to see anti-war demonstrations in uh, in Russia, and and that's I think the more interesting side of the whole whole darn business. But it, it is quite frightening. It's quite frightening to see that people are getting killed, and and there's you know I don't know what the death toll looks like right now. That that's the ambiguity of it. You know you have people all kinds of people being afraid. Um, on the other hand, uh, previous guy, the orange mango Mussolini, called up, you know, Fox and 
<laughs> and didn't even know who was attacking whom. It was uh, classic. I, I mean, Donald I think Trump, that one will, will stay. D Donald Trump was celebrating Putin, saying he was really smart and uh, supports it. Oh, yeah. And and that'll that'll stick, I think. That'll leave a mark, I, I think. Uh, a lot of GOP don't know what to do with that. They don't know to, know what to do with that and, and don't know what to do with uh, with Trump claiming that U.S. troops were on the ground in an amphibious assault. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just quite wacky. What did, what did Trump quite say? What did, what did Trump say? Well, he was talking to Laura Ingram and, and Ingram didn't feed him the right line. So <laughs> Trump thought that the U.S. was was making an amphibious assault uh, in in Ukraine. And he and he tried to attack Biden for, you know, uh, ascending U.S. troops on the ground. And it was totally like delusional. And Ingram tried to correct him. But, you know, he, it, it just he just looked foolish. Right. It, it's uh, I think it's become viral now. And, right. and he's going to have to. STFU for a couple of days and, right. and uh, walk it back. Bernie Sanders said it is outrageous, but not surprising that Trump would praise Putin's. And this is what Bernie Sanders calls it, a murderous invasion of Ukraine. And he says that it's not surprising that Trump would call it an act of genius. Oh, well, I mean, he, he said that. I mean, it's just empty. It's, it just shows how empty headed he is. But Anything that will take our attention away from his troubles with uh, the New York uh, uh, district, city district attorney, and the you know, and the state uh, AG. But he, I, I think isn't he out of trouble now? Keep us away. <laughs> did, did, we we have two prosecutors who quit. They say the 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 district attorney doesn't want to prosecute. Well, I, that's an interesting problem. I mean, does he? Is it because the case is bad or is it that, that they just can't get a witness? They can't I, flip. They can't flip Weisselberg is what I understand, that they brought Weisselberg up on charges of using, you know, not reporting cars and a, a tuition for their, you know, his grandkids that came out of the Trump company. It's, these are minor tax violations that you really can't prosecute, but you use it as a way for him to flip, but Weisselberg won't flip. And if these people don't flip, what do you do? Yeah, I thought Weisselberg looks like he wants to take the rep because he doesn't want his kid. I, I think he's going to do it for his kid, if, if anything. But uh, the other accountant, the deputy controller, whatever he is, uh, uh, supposedly had the goods as well. And so I don't know what the deal is there, or they just couldn't get him to flip either. These are it all seems pretty bad. I mean, Bragg, Bragg, I think, you know, he doesn't want to take the risk of, of, you know, essentially, you know, uh, maybe indemnifying Trump. Right. Yep. It's oh. he's it's classic mafia. You know, don't be a rat. Don't flip. You know, uh, Michael Cohn was a rat. Professor Marianne, Professor Jonathan Bick, what would you like to talk about? Oh, yeah. What else? I reminded what else happened today. Yeah. Um, 
Well, uh, looks like the Biden administration has gotten the war that they've been, you know, pushing. And I mean, seriously, I, before we even talk about that, I mean, I think we need to, like, have a little bit of background. What brought us to this situation? Um, and by the way, Howie, Howie's, uh, Howie Klein's with Tyranny has had some really interesting articles by this guy, Eric Zeus. Zeus? I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name, but... But anyway, basically, um, there was a violent coup that overthrew the democratically elected government. Um, and as was revealed at the time, or not there, long thereafter, it was basically our, Depart our State Department, specifically the Undersecretary of State, or the Assistant Secretary of State, uh, Victoria Newland who was at that famous phone call, you can see it, I think it's still up on YouTube, where basically she's talking to the and our ambassador to Ukraine how this put how, how this coup is gonna go down and which guys they're gonna put in there. And we can't have that guy because he's an overt Nazi, but this guy is more I mean she's sitting there talking to him, but the famous line from that phone call was when she said F the EU. You know, just basically so um, so this was during the Obama, this was during the Obama, this was during Obama. Uh, and I'm going to talk about that in a, another minute because I found an article that was very revealing. Um, I think at the time, 2014, I was scrambling to find my next job. I was, uh, trying to put together stuff. So I wasn't really paying attention. I vaguely knew about it. I looked into Victoria Newland because in 2015, she was going to be the likely Secretary of State under Hillary Clinton. Now, just to know who she is, her husband, Robert Kagan, was one of the original authors of the PNAC paper, Project for a New American Century. All right, so she's a thorough neocon, very, uh, very hyped up to use military force to get America's way in the world. So, um, Within about about 11 days after this violent overthrow, uh, the, that, the, uh, the, the president fled into Donbass because he was from that region, and that region overwhelmingly supported him. That was the uh, Ukraine and Russian-speaking provinces area of Ukraine. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, Yankovic. So uh, what happened after now. that was that the new government immediately started putting in all of these anti-Russian laws. Now, they talked about the anti-Russian language law that got a lot of press at the time, that you no longer were allowed to have a, conduct official business in Russian. And, but what wasn't getting so much press at the time was the purge laws that they were putting in place. And they wanted to purge every person suspected of anti-Ukrainian ideology, which would could be expanded to just about everybody who identified ethnically as Russian and who spoke Russian. So there was uh, an immediate uprising of the two uh, of, of two of the uh, uh, Donbass regions, and they declared they 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 officially declared they were separating from Ukraine. Okay, so. The Ukraine, the, the, the Ukraine forces pile in all with with a few what they call volunteer battalions in the Wikipedia page. That's what they call it. It was the Azov Battalion, uh, and they started a hot war. Okay, so that went on, and that was like you know there were thousands of people killed on September fifth of that year. 
um, there was something that the EU, the EU countries, that was France and Germany, and with Russia, sat down with the two warring sides and came up with the Minsk Protocol. This is in September. I mean, violence broke out again, but then there was a follow-up to that uh, later, I think, in uh, February of 2015. So that was basically, the agreement was basically that both sides would disarm. Now, you know, the two breakaway republics had gotten, in the meantime, some Russian troops and some Russian troops, but mostly a lot of Russian equipment. So, they, you know, this was a real war going on. And what was what was settled that if the two and the two sides signed on to the ukrainian government signed on to this that that the two regions would come back and be part of ukraine considered part of ukraine but have autonomy and uh you know they it it in exchange for everybody disarming and then <laughs> the 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 uh ukrainian troops troops leaving the donbass region so that's been it for the longest time. I know I'm hungry. I want to have whatever Joe in Norway is. I thinking. know, but no, it's interesting. This, so, yeah, so anyway, this so is the, the, the Russians speak. So, of course, the U.S. has completely has has pretty systematically rejected the Minsk Accords. But notably, this last uh, Eric just wrote about this in December. Uh, they basically gave an ultimatum. There was a there there was a meeting that I think was moderated by Macron of France between between us and Russia, and the Biden administration just told them, "Look, you know, uh, they were kind of demanding that the Minsk Protocol be discarded, and that there be put in place, you know, something that was more to the U.S. liking." The Minsk Protocol that would have created a Ukrainian federation where the, yeah. where the two separate the two separatist republics and Ukraine would have to well it'd still be in Ukraine but they'd have autonomy they'd get to keep their language they get to keep you know they they get to self govern you know kind of like I, I don't, wouldn't say this was uh, completely analogous but like Northern Ireland you okay. know and. Uh, so, but that was completely rejected. Um, in the meantime, uh, NATO has announced that they actually have plans to, you know, to include Ukraine. And the, the UK last summer had uh, a destroyer in Russian waters in the Black Sea. I mean, this has been crazy. There has been this provocation that has gone on nonstop, almost like these people want to have a war. Now, you know, it's horrible what's going on. I don't think people were scared enough what we were doing leading up all last year to this. But I said, you know, uh, even if Russia's clever and people in our State Department are clever, you don't control the pieces on the ground. You know, the Ukrainian government doesn't control completely their, you know, their, their volunteer battalions. In fact, there were skirmishes between the battalions and the proper uh, Ukrainian government. I remember reading about this years ago. But the two people, the two provinces, they're, they believe they're fighting for their lives and for their country. So they're not going to, you know, you, you have these people with these beliefs. What, you know, how can you make something peaceful come out of this unless you have people, all of the 
the nations with any power in the world coming to the table and negotiating in good faith a settlement that is agreeable to the people who are there. And the U.S. declared that they don't want to have any part of this. Um, I don't know what happens. But what what Professor Ann Lee was saying just recently was, yeah, be careful. Um, I, I saw an article just up on my Yahoo feed that there was this viral video of a plane getting shot down, which they claimed was getting shot, shot down outside of Kiev. Turned out to be footage of a plane getting shot down outside of Benghazi in 2011. Right. So, you know, I want to, uh, one more thing I just want to mention. Um, there is a website that's actually pretty good. It's uh, crisisgroup.org, and I'm going to put the link because what they have is actual data. So there's a European, um, I can't remember the the letters, but it's uh, there are monitoring groups that have been monitoring the actual bombings in the Donbass region for the last several years. So you go to that website and you can see all, you know, the, the bombings and the, especially the last group sort of showed the number of bombings that occurred in both breakaway provinces. What was notable was that for the last year and a half after the last ceasefire, the bombings have gone way down. In other words, this past year has been relatively peaceful compared to earlier years in the Donbass region. So, you know, yeah. what's going on? It's so unnecessary. The, we needed an adults. We need adults in our State Department, and we've got these freaky neocons. Right. So about 17% of Ukraine is... Uh, identifies as ethnic Russian. That's quite a bit. Yeah. One of the stories... Howie Klein said something about, like, you know, the breakaway provinces are half of Russia. And he said that, and I kind of corrected him. I said, no, you're showing just the Donbass province. And and that's a small part of Ukraine. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's way to the east. It's the easternmost province. And what you're seeing is the you know the breakaway province areas of Donbas uh, and then the part of Donbas occupied by Ukrainian troops so and, you know so it's not a very big piece of Ukraine yeah the Donbas region as i understand it uh like something like close to 40% of the Donbas re- that's those are the two tiny republics mm-hmm. They're not right. even they're not majority ethnic Russian. They're below 40 percent. So I one of the stories that I don't seem to be seeing is mm-hmm. the uh, the oppression of Russian speaking Ukrainians. And <laughs> is that a story that's being suppressed in the West? Are we hearing? Well, it's not being cir- there's a lot not being circulated in the West. I mean, most but- people most people with an opinion can't even find Ukraine on a freaking map. So, right. Well, know. but 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 most Ukrainians speak yeah. some sort of idiomatic Russian. Zelensky, so just, the president speak the president speaks it's Russian. Just yeah. Stupid. Well, it's, yeah. it's, it's a stupid Cyrillic. claim. It's the I same mean, Cyrillic. It's this. You know, it's they're related languages. So, but know, does I, that give uh, Professor uh, Lee, Professor Lee, uh, Putin? says one of the reasons he's invading is to protect 
ethnic Russians. Are they being persecuted? Is that a... There are probably more Ukrainians in Russia proper than the reverse, you know, proportion in Ukraine yeah. itself. There's about it's 700,000 Russians in, in, in that area. Well, I mean, it's why there are anti-war protests, because there, there are a sufficient number mm-hmm. of Ukrainians in Russia itself that are just frightened by, by all of these mm-hmm. things. And, and also, you can see by the the number of cars fleeing to the west of Ukraine this morning. I mean, it's just a massive, you know, traffic jam. People just trying to get the hell over the border until the the crisis abates. Uh, the, there's a big jam up uh, for the usual bureaucratic reasons on the Polish border, for example. Professor John, do you want to venture a guess? This is an unfair question. <laughs> if Putin is lying, he, he says he's invading. It's a peacekeeping mission, very Orwellian. He says he's there to rescue uh, Russian-speaking Ukrainians. That doesn't seem to be true. What is, can you venture a guess as to it, why he's invading Ukraine? Just you're, you're muted. Let me. Uh... You okay, go. I got it. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Well, let me say, first of all, what I think of Vladimir Putin. <laughs> uh, some on the left who are rightly critics of American imperialism uh, think that Putin must be okay because he opposes American aggression abroad. Uh, let's be clear. Putin is not a friend of the left, and he's certainly not a friend of democracy. Putin is an autocrat who presides over an oligarchy. He's a member of the 0.01%, not just in Russia, but in the world. He heads a petrostate and has an economic incentive to oppose serious climate change. He's allied with the Russian Orthodox Church and thus has an anti-LGBT and misogynistic uh, uh, position. He uses assassination as a tool of state. His respect for civil liberties is atrocious. I could go on, but uh, suffice it to say... He sounds like an American uh, hero. (laughs) Not a good guy, right? Work for our State Department. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What he has done in Ukraine is immoral and a crime. The blood of Ukrainians and Russians are on and Russians are on his head. Uh, Needless suffering and destruction and a humanitarian disaster is likely from this. Uh, Many news reports have called the invasion uh, unjustified and unprovoked. Well, they have it half right. The invasion is unjustified, uh, but it was provoked. The provocation, however, uh, does not justify the invasion. Let me make that clear. Great. But the provocation has been going on for decades. Great. George H.W. Bush and his administration promised Moscow that NATO would not move east, a pledge that was part of the settlement that ended the Cold War. The U.S. did not honor this commitment, and NATO expanded several times toward the east, toward Russia in 94 and 2000 and later in 2000s. 
2014, as Professor Marianne Cummings just said, the U.S. supported a coup to oust the elected president of Ukraine, who was friendly with Russia. In fact, the U.S. spent over $5 billion to install a president who was antagonistic toward Russia. Consider the, what the United States position is in, in, in a similar way. Uh, we have the Monroe Doctrine. The U.S. does not allow a competitor to establish a military presence in the Western Hemisphere. The U.S. has declared North, Central, and South America our backyard, and we have been intervening there economically, politically, and militarily since the James Monroe administration. He was the fifth president of the United States, by the way. Remember what happened when the USSR tried to put missiles in Cuba? We almost destroyed the world because we wouldn't allow that. Now, David, why did the Russians put missiles in Cuba? Because uh, we had missiles in Comiso, in Turkey, in Eastern Europe. We had nuclear missiles in Turkey. You're right. That, that could hit uh, Russia and within the same time frame as the missiles in Cuba could hit the United States. We put those there first. This was a response to that. The way we resolved the Cuban Missile Crisis was to make uh, Russia lose face and pull out the missiles and to keep secret the fact that the U.S. had agreed to remove the missiles from Turkey. Yeah. Um, can it be expected, let me ask this, can it be expected that other major world powers would act in a similar way and establish spheres of influence around their borders? The answer is of course. In 2000, NATO and the US announced that Ukraine was welcome to join NATO. This was a big mistake. If anyone has a passing familiarity with the history of Russia, you know that Russia sees having a buffer against Western aggression as an existential issue. Remember, Putin is a product of World War II. I don't know, I, I, this, this has been told, I'm not sure if it's absolutely true or not, but uh, Vladimir Putin pulled his mother's body off a pile of corpses. She was left for dead. She wasn't dead. He saw what was done to the Soviet Union. He became a part of the Soviet government. And uh, he saw how he, Russia was humiliated and devastated after the collapse of the Soviet Union. This is the guy that we're dealing with. This is his experience. So you should at least be aware of it if you're gonna formulate policy to oppose him. So how do we get Russian troops out of Ukraine and stop the bloodshed that's going on now? That seems to be the important question. The answer is the same as the action that could have prevented the invasion in the first place. Agree that U Ukraine will not be admitted to, U to NATO and that NATO will not extend any further east. If Biden had done that at the beginning, 
I think this invasion could have been avoided. And I still think that Putin will agree to pull out if Biden were to agree to that. And if NATO were to agree to that, I mean, NATO does what the U.S. says. Let's be clear about that. Uh, you know, they're, they're NATO is not going to admit uh, Ukraine over the objections of, of the United States. Not going to happen. Um, I've heard people say that Biden has acted admirably and done everything he can to avert a worst case scenario. Uh, if that's true, then why didn't he agree to Putin's demand that Ukraine not be I be allowed to become a NATO member. Uh, and I heard you say, David, Biden was right and I was wrong. He said Putin would invade and he did. The important difference is, unlike Biden, you do not have the ability to prevent the invasion and you do not have the ability to end the invasion. I, I believe Biden, Biden did and he does have that ability. At the very least... He should make the offer to stop this war now. We are fooling around here with a nuclear armed power. Once war starts, it can get out of hand very quickly. The people who started it, the people who don't want it, the people who are involved in it lose control of the situation. And this is an existential issue for the world, not just for Russia or not just for Ukraine. So, uh, you know, we need to be aware of the history. We need to be aware of the consequences here. And we also need to be aware that sometimes you don't have a good and bad option. Sometimes you have a bad option and a worse option. Great. Great. Chernobyl. The Russians have seized control of Chernobyl scene of the worst nuclear accident in world history back in 1986. If only we had a particle physicist here to comment on this. Is anybody here? Is there, is there a particle physicist in the house? <laughs> I, I think Cersei Lannister is going to use wildfire to threaten yeah. King's Landing and all of Westeros. If she doesn't get her way. <laughs> I mean, I, you were channeling um, your inner Dennis Miller just now. <laughs> so no, what do you, I have to say, you know, I have to, to say, I, you know, like I think Professor John has it spot on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Much better than ago, anything I, I said today. No, I, I, two months ago, I, was, I started reading Consortium News again. And Scott Ritter was writing an article about, hey, look, you know, I don't think he didn't think that 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 Putin was going to evade immediately. But he said if the Biden administration kept pushing him, Putin knows how to leverage power, even though he because of where he, he's situated and and that he's going to win. I kind of in the comments section, I said, you know, I agree with a lot of your analysis, but except with the winning part. That's the part you don't know. All, you know, all the main players think that they've got everything figured out and under control. But once you once war starts, as I said, there are pieces on the ground that have their own that, that they have their own motivations that have their own proclivities. And if people in the Dumbass region really think this is a fight to the death, they're just going to keep fighting. 
You know, and if, if the nationalists think that this is their time to reestablish nationalist Ukraine with, uh, and purge all the Jewish elements, as people in the Azov Battalion have publicly stated, you know, you've, you've just got some real horrible, you've got some real horrible scenarios that'll play out that we have no control over. Even the Cuban Missile Crisis, people at the time thought because we had a reasonable Russian government, Khrushchev had come to America, you know, it wasn't the old Stalinist regime, that reasonable people were in charge of the nukes. But it was a, it was stunning how fast that all broke down when there was real confrontation over Cuba. So, you know, I think that we can still, we can still pull back. We could still revive the Minsk Accords, which, you know, the EU really, really wants us to do. The EU is opposed to NATO. Those are two very separate things. And the EU wants Ukraine to join their, their ranks, the European Union, but they don't want to welcome in a country that's at war that has a civil war going on. The EU so has was, said they don't want Ukraine to join NATO. They, they don't want Ukraine to join NATO. They want Ukraine to join the European Union. Right. You know, that's a completely different set of okay. group with completely different you know, uh, motivations. And that was where Angela Merkel and who was that? Francois Hollande was he was the uh, I think he was France. No, he was the France and then Russia and then representatives of the Donbass region and the Ukrainian government all sat down and worked those out. And, you know, there have been several ceasefires and the last one seems to have held longer and better than the previous several, although in that um, in that link I provided, they only go back to like 2018. But, you know, there is a way out of this. There still is. Unfortunately, you know, this is what happens when you just flagrantly violate international law like we have. When we just, you know, ignore what the UN says and we go in, we support Israel, we go in and invade countries, we go in and do what we want because we can suddenly you oh. find there's no reps on the planet that people, you know, uh, actually respect. Professor this Lee. is our problem. There, there's plenty of arrogance to go around. You know, they, yeah. they showed last night the Security Council where the, the Russian ambassador who was serving as, uh, was chairing the council, he got totally sideswiped by uh, Putin. You know, the... the mm-hmm. <laughs> They launched the missiles while he was yakking. It, it, uh, he was clueless about that. And then, you know, the, uh, the Ukrainian ambassador just took him to town. I just said, you know, they, you know, this is just totally screwed up. Uh, I was, I was hoping for something a little bit more, uh, <laughs> like a Chicago city council meeting. Uh, exactly. I was hoping for a, you know, a Canadian's punch out or you no, know, a Taiwanese uh, parliament punch out. Anyway. So yep. Ukraine has about, let's say, 40, 50 million people. I don't have the number here. It has a GDP, not impressive GDP, probably less than a trillion dollars, right? Probably about 800 billion a year, 700 billion dollars a year. 
for the past five years, certainly since Trump became president, all we've heard is Ukraine. Trump was impeached because he he said to Zelensky, the president, we're, we're not going to give you half a billion dollars in weapons unless you give us dirt on Hunter Biden. Uh, Rudy was over in Ukraine saying that the hack of the DNC didn't come from Russia, it came from Ukraine. Hunter Biden was doing business with Burisma out of Ukraine. Uh, you had Rick Perry going over to Ukraine to drum up business for Texas oil people. Why is Ukraine, what is in Ukraine that Hunter Biden and 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 Vladimir Putin and Rudy Giul what what is going on there? Why is it so important? What it, it it produces it's an agricultural behemoth. There's oil, I would assume it's it, it's uh, the pipelines, the Russian pipelines pass through there. What does Ukraine have that makes it so important? It's it's in the top 10 or five of most recent. Most what? Oh. We lost you. So while we're unfreezing Professor Ann Lee, does anybody want to venture a guest? Oh, they, they've, got, they've got minerals. They've got one of the um, largest agricultural areas in Europe. And I think they've got pipelines. Yeah. Oh, you know, productive they have all of those, but the, yeah. the, the, uh, I was listening to it just. Okay. We're... So I got a question to ask Ann Lee and, and, and Professor John. Um, you know, what's not, it's considered in violation of international law to overthrow a democratically elected government or, you know, back a coup to do so. Um, so what happened in, in the space of two weeks in 2014 was a, we had a violent overthrow of a democratically elected government. And the, in two far east provinces of that country declared themselves uh, sovereign republics because of what they perceived was going to be some very nasty uh, uh, oppression going on in that current government. Now, I claim that in that scenario, these two republics have as much legitimacy to sovereignty as the current Ukrainian government, just to be provocative here. Uh, so that... what I see is going to happen, and it will either, it'll happen. It'll either happen with a lot of bloodshed or it will happen with less bloodshed. It's going to have a situation like Ireland. And believe me, I had a 26 plus 6 equals 1 bumper sticker on my old car in, in college. But the reality was that was resolved. Uh, you know, Northern Ireland has autonomy. It's not the Irish Republic. They are voluntarily part of the UK. The Irish Republic is not. And, you know, no one thought there could be peace there. No one thought there could be peace there, but I have to credit Bill Clinton with that accomplishment. And that peace is held. I don't like I don't like the Protestants in Northern Ireland, but that's a tribal thing on my part, and I get it. So I think what's going to happen, since the Ukraine government, by international law, was not legitimate, 
And these two republics breaking off their legitimacy is in question. Why don't we just say that because the people in these two republics that broke off obviously want, because they're there and they're fighting, they want to have their autonomy, which they sort of had for a long time. Well, although part of the Ukrainian Federation, why don't we just give them that? <laughs> we just basically go, and, and the Minsk Accords will probably, they'll probably do, they won't call it the Minsk Accords, they'll call it something else to maybe make Biden happy or somebody happy, but it'll be essentially the same kind of talks. Russia will not have a hostile thing. What Russia doesn't want is an array of missiles within 10 miles of its border there. Russia will have friendly republics. And we can go back and Ukraine does not join NATO, but it joins the European Union. Seems and good luck reasonable. with that. Yeah. Because, you know, like the smaller countries in the European Union haven't fared so well, but that's a whole other issue. But... You know, that would be a nice that would be a nice compromise. But the real problem is that uh, the financial system of Ukraine is really unstable. There's an incredible amount of money laundering that goes through it. it uh, one of the problems and I think one of the real issues behind mm-hmm. the first impeachment, for example, is is really less about it's less about trying to get arms for dirt and all that sort of stuff. But the, this whole this whole movement to the EU. And I mean, obviously the whole issue of NATO has its own set of, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, defense and and military issues. But the reality about the EU and trade is that ultimately there's greater scrutiny for Ukrainian banks. The, the, one of the major banks, uh, you know, is, it got taken over by the Ukrainian state because of, because of that. I think it's Privat Bank. And it's it's owned by one of the major oligarchs. So it, there's a lot of shifty business going on that would have been disrupted by EU, by greater connections to the EU, because there's greater regulatory issues about how financial matters occur. So underlying all this is still all about money. And to go back to the resource issue, uh, there was a, and I, I got, I, my connection blew up, but uh, supposedly China owns as much agricultural land, a a slice of agricultural land in Ukraine about the size of Belgium. And, and this is, there's a lot more moving parts in this problem. Because if Russia takes over Ukraine, they're going to have to, they're They're going to have to deal with Chinese, property the size of Belgium. But we're being told that she and Putin are best friends now. (laughs) It's a game. It's a game. There are no friends. They're just interests. That's it. it. (laughs) Everyone's playing their cards. You know, the whole they've got this whole trope about Taiwan being more at risk now, which is just like it's just nonsense. They're playing a much long, even an even longer game than Putin is. Which is? Well, on Taiwan is eventually going to come back. It's just going to come back. Their, their language is going to bring them back, and, and trade is going to bring them back. They don't have to invade. 
Invasion is unnecessary. Foxconn is a Taiwanese business that does business in mainland China. So you're saying yeah. that comparative advantage, globalization will eventually make. I mean, they've already relaxed uh, travel. You know, there's a lot of things that are, are and they're very careful about talking about each other. It's only it's only people with their own vested interests that that that. Are nope, we're we're. Uh are at work, you know. Oh, right. Go ahead, Professor Marianne. And go no, on I, I just wanted to see land is, you oh. know, it's going to happen. It's just it happened in, it may happen in twenty years, but it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I do have to agree with Professor Anley on that, and you know, despite what the narratives are over here, but the, but anyway, getting back to Ukraine, there was one article that I found this week, which was from the Huffington Post from Hello. 2015. Hello. And it was basically titled, Obama Sidelines Carry on Ukraine Policy. So um, after, the, uh, after the second Minsk Accord and there was a ceasefire, Poroshenko then started, who was then our installed uh, president, starts you know, making noises about not only reinvading Donbass, but taking back Crimea. And so, of course, John Kerry is now all over the world saying, no, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. He's talking to the Russian ambassador. Um, while he's doing that, apparently his, his undersecretary of state, Victoria Newland, is saying the exact opposite. We reiterate our deep conviction to a single Ukraine nation, including Crimea and blah, blah, blah. And uh, Obama decides to, like, back her. Now, that to me was a very tragic turn because, I, you know, I think of Kerry as a bit of a political doofus, but I think that he certainly had more broader visions of peace and you know stability having actually been in a war himself and knowing how capricious and utterly unpredictable war can be so at least he had a basic sanity about world events where the neocons it's just one game of of you know battlefield right. and it really sad that and in this article they were saying that well Kerry should resign or else he'll have no credibility. Well, I don't think Kerry resigned over that. I think he was resigned to the fact that even in the Obama administration, the neocons were kind of taking over certain aspects of foreign policy. And that that's tragic, but that's where we are. Right. Well, we have to wrap it up. This was great. This was great. Just great. Um, if you're at a macro sense, if you're global capital, no allegiance to any land. What's in it for you right now? What is this invasion? What do you want if you're global capital? Well, I guess it depends on which sector of global capital you're talking about. Qui bono? Uh, who's benefiting from all this? Certainly the, all the uh, banks. The banks are benefiting. The neo neoliberalism wants stability. There's going to be stability. This is just a minor, you know, bump in the road. But if if Putin goes crazy, he's just going to sink his own economy. He's going to sink his own economy. 
uh, if we freeze enough of his assets, does anybody go for the king? Or is he protected? Well, I think it's why he keeps so much distance from people when he's in a room. <laughs> <laughs> Has somebody sampling his wine, you know, brings his own vodka. Uh, Great. He, appear, he appears to be in a pretty strong position at the moment, but if things change dramatically, that can change quickly as well. Yeah. And remember, and this is kind of scary, his highest approval rating was about 89% when Russia took over Crimea, when Russia you know, brought Crimea back from Ukraine after the, uh, after the coup. So, uh, you know, just like here. Now, things don't haven't seemed to have gone so well for Biden because the uh, the Gallup poll that just came out, I think it was yesterday, showed uh, that only 36 percent approved of Biden's handling of Ukraine, 55 percent disapproved. That operation save the midterms doesn't seem to be going well. Oh, I'm such a bad person. <laughs> so I'm so <laughs> Are you predicting doom? Doom for the Democrats? <laughs> uh, well, unfortunately, going to war has proven to be at least a temporary bump for whatever administration goes to war. But I don't think I don't think, think that people, holds anymore. I know. Yeah, I don't think people are stopped up. If you're like in my neighborhood around here and you're worrying about jobs and you're worrying about getting evicted, yeah, they, I mean, I, I don't think you have the energy to worry about war because you're not going to war. We're really not going to war. That war is happening over there someplace. I think if already we put, the price of gas has spiked up, you know, like by almost by a dollar. So uh, I, I mean, that's an interesting question. If the average goes up to like five, uh, it will be an interesting moment when it goes to, on average for the nation, about five dollars a gallon. Mm -hmm. Which it should. We have to wrap it up. Gas okay. should be as expensive here as it is in Europe so we can transition exactly. to alternative fuels. Jonathan. Darn that Green New Deal. Anyway. Professor Bick, you look like you're about to say something. We definitely have to wrap it up. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to say uh, just be careful uh, because uh, if there's one thing that America does well, it's propaganda. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we start seeing people testifying about how Russian troops are throwing Ukrainian babies out of incubators or we see... <laughs> We see how the Russians are throwing Ukrainian babies up in the air and catching them on the end of their bayonets. Uh, that was the propaganda during World War One against the Germans. Uh, you know, things could change. So uh, let be on the lookout for that type of thing. It's absolutely incredible that you cannot get uh, elected officials to say the Taliban had nothing to do with 9-11. Just remember that we spent 20 years in Afghanistan fighting a people who had nothing to do with 9-11. The Taliban had nothing to do with 9-11. For 20 years, we, we fought a war based on a, a lie that nobody... Nobody challenged. So, well, that's uh, most wars are based on lies. That's yes, from.
But as I said earlier, the first casualty of war is not the truth. I think it's a soldier. I think. <laughs> I think. Maybe. Thank you, Professor Marianne. Great job. Thank you, Professor Ann Lee. Thank you, Professor Jonathan Bick. We will, uh, hopefully, Professor Adnan Hussein will join us next week. Let's, before we bring in Professor Harvey Kay and Alan Minsky, let's now check in with Joe in Norway on his kitchen cam. You are a master chef. What are you... Uh, <laughs> So this is a Amish uh, pickle crock. It has a unique kind of uh, divot here that you can hold water so that when I've got weights on the, on the cabbage, holding it down, the liquid will rise out once it comes out of the vegetables. In two to six weeks, well, two to eight weeks, we'll have uh, zingy, crispy sauerkraut closer to kimchi. And all you need to do is keep this lid on with a little bit of water around so that wow. it seals, airtight seal, so that there are no um, uh, bacteria and whatnot can get in there. And does it bubble up? Do you see it bubbling throughout the... Yes. Uh, yeah, so once it starts, uh, starts the fermentation, this little um, arch here will allow... The pressure builds up from the fermentation, the, the CO2, and it'll bubble up gently. And you just have to make sure that you keep enough water in here because it tends to evaporate. But then you've got uh, airtight. Um, and you've got an, in there an for the fermentation. your gut biome is perfect. It's alive. This is perfect for your gut truly, biome. Truly yeah. alive. Yeah. The stuff inside sauerkraut. It's the the myth about sailors was that they were given oranges to prevent scurvy. No, they were given sauerkraut to prevent scurvy. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's vitamin C in your sauerkraut, isn't there? Yep. It's sauerkraut is one of the best things you can possibly eat, but you've got to make your own. You you can't get pasteurized store bought sauerkraut sauerkraut is filled with not just nutrients some of the you know some of the natural food stores will carry um non-pasteurized but they're rare yeah so it's best to make it yourself cabbage there there are natural bacteria and yeasts on cabbage that are so healthy for your stomach and they they actually kill germs if you look at like professor k remember you'd go to yankee stadium as a kid and there'd be sauerkraut sitting all day and because you were probably like me you thought why would i eat sauerkraut that's been left out all day it's going to carry all these different bugs in it sauerkraut has its own bugs that kill other bugs you can leave sauerkraut out all day and it's just looking for a fight with bacteria that's what sauerkraut and never is. all it, all I, it I takes never, is never like, go to yankees stadium so i could help it oh okay <laughs> all it takes is vegetables salt pressure and some time and as most things the natural fermentation most things that are good patience yeah like diamonds well diamonds are not good they're they're not even 
rare. It is, you know what that music, Joe, means? You know what that means? Thank you, Joe, in Norway. Misky and K, they go together like PB and J. Like Thelma and Louise, like Mac and Cheese, like Sacco and Benzetti, like meatballs and spaghetti. Allen's in LA, Harvey J's in Green Bay. When they get together, they got a lot to say, cause they're Misky and K. about democracy. Professor Mike Steinel, brilliant Professor Mike Steinel. Let us now go to Wisconsin where Professor Harvey J.K. is standing by. He is the author of countless books. His latest is FDR on Democracy. They are republishing one of his earlier works. On first work. Your first book about British Marxist historians, we'll ask you about that in a second, is being published, very exciting. Also with us is Alan Minsky, executive director of the Progressive Democrats of America. And the two of you co-wrote a piece for Common Dreams. I think it was yesterday entitled A 21st Century Economic Bill of Rights. And we can talk about that. We should talk about British Marxist historians. But first... Ukraine, the invasion of Ukraine, for it or against it, Professor K? <laughs> uh, I'm, By the I'm way, we one. were, before you answer, Friday night, John Hayes video, videoed Nina Turner speaking at a fundraiser in some fancy home in Beverly Hills or Brentwood, where Alan Minsky, executive director of Progressive Democrats of America, spoke. And the great Nina Turner, who everybody should contribute to, not only blew the roof off, even though it was outdoors, she kept mentioning 
Professor Harvey J.K. Uh, I get mentioned in all the right places. Yes. Yes. <laughs> let's talk about that. Alan Minsky, before we let's talk about what uh, Nina Turner said about Professor Harvey J.K. Well, I mean, I, I actually want to say that um, Harvey and I wrote this article and we published it and we were talking, you know, about 10 days ago. Um, would you want to write this article? You know, Harvey said, and I said, I don't know. Uh, what else could we do? And we, it was, it was, it was just between writing the article and invading Ukraine. We actually <laughs> chose to write the article. By the way, Professor Adnan Hussein, I think it was Professor Adnan Hussein, Maybe I'm getting what thinks you might want to add a few more numbers. Or, yeah, or I mean, look, Adnan Hussein is great. I, he's fantastic. And, uh, you know, he says so many things that are, I just, you know, crib notes whenever he speaks. But, uh, I mean, you know, you got to have not so many of these things, you know, or it gets starting to get. It you can't bring it up to 10. Come on, you live in Hollywood, Alan. It's nominate every film for Best Picture. Yeah, that, that's right. We, we they they increase the number of films nominated for Best Picture. Bring it up to ten. Are they giving a, an award at the Academy Awards this year for self esteem? <laughs> everybody gets. That's everybody right. gets that. <laughs> I will repeat the six rights later on. How do people read your piece? It, I'm sorry. We have eight. You have we eight. Increase them. I, wait, there's a new edition. Oh, I sent you. Um, didn't I? I, I only put, have I just six. put it in the chat. I just put it. I just put it in the chat. You added two new rights that yes. I didn't know. We, 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 and not only that, we loaded up. A few of them have uh, extra things in it. Uh, Bernie was just really. I don't know what. Well, I mean, obviously, he, he's Frank Luntz is says Bernie Sanders is a genius of political messaging because he's so succinct and repeats so often. Well, he went for succinct. But I think five of his six had only six words in them. The right two and then three words, right? And uh, then one at eight words. Speaking in defense of Bernie, I think if you check his website, it's true. It's a very stripped down bill of rights, economic bill of rights. But he had these other pages, which he probably thinks address the other things that might have ended up in it. But indeed, they were the six were essential. Alan and I worked through, and I got to tell you, I mean, we, we really did work. It, it, it wasn't like you know flippant kind of stuff we were doing. We, we really, really worked. We, we sought out consultations with good people. And, you know, I, I had a, I worked hard on it with Alan, but I also can tell you that I think the response to it, and it's only just beginning, has, has really been, it's really been good. I, I, there's one that occurred today that I'm really, really pleased. There's a state representative in New Hampshire named Chris Schultz, who I've become friendly with by way of Twitter and email this last, um, I guess it's several months now. And she's been pushing as hard as she could, as hard as she can uh, for a raise in the, a rise, a raise in the minimum wage in New Hampshire. And when she saw this today, she got really excited and she set out in the open, I'm going to embrace this and, and really fight for this. And I, and I'm thinking that, it, it will capture people's imaginations. If any of you feel like you're too far from national politics to make a difference, but you know state representatives, take the Economic Bill of Rights in the form that it appeared yesterday 
is that the link you put up, Alan, at the chat? I, I'm not looking. Yes, it is. Yeah, please send it to your state representatives. The idea is to really cultivate a conversation, a discourse, let it really let it rise up in the public rhetoric as a as a as a possibility, a vision, a promise, uh, an agenda, however you want to look at it. Go Just to the Common Dreams more. website. Common Dreams website, right? And, there it is. Yeah, Alan, and, and read it, and then spread it. And, yeah, and, and I have to say, Alan, Alan had must have must be a powerful guy because we finally finished it Wednesday night, and he said, "I'm going to send it to Common Dreams," and he said to them, "We'd like to see it tomorrow morning," and bam, it was there the next morning. I don't even think Alan was awake yet. I was awake. I don't think he was awake yet. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, and and we couldn't have chosen a better time because, but but we right. made the wrong decision. Clearly, invading Ukraine gets more attention. Well, without being uh, conspiratorial, it sure seems that Build Back Better, the social safety net, Bernie's economic bill of rights is dead. And like clockwork, Joe Biden's now a uh, foreign policy president going into the midterms. Is this what Biden wants right now a, a a major foreign policy crisis to burnish no. his stature does he want no it's this? not a far is it, no i i wouldn't buy that at all it's is a it distraction it, well it's a distraction in the media but it's not a distraction when you consider the degree to which this is a, a this is a crisis that really could further reveal the 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 weakness that prevails inside of American public life. How so? Well, I mean, the division with, I mean, the division within the United States, I mean, you've got all these folks who think Putin's a hero. I mean, with their t-shirts running around and uh, the Republicans are, are going to latch onto anything they can to make him seem weak and irrelevant. So I, I can't imagine. I, it's I really can't. I think I think they were probably hoping, or at least the Democrats who who think that the Build Back Better mattered. I think they were already figuring out how to carve it up and try to get something done. Right. But I don't think I I can't imagine. No, I don't buy it. Well, what is going on inside the Republican Party? I thought that Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump were outliers. That people, the mainstream Republicans wanted us to impose economic sanctions against Putin. Lindsey Graham has certainly spoken out against Putin. Is there a groundswell of support in this country for Putin other than the craziness coming out of Trump? Well, to come Tucker? back to well, your point about the Republican Party, the um, there is no such thing as a mainstream Republican Party. It's, there just isn't. It's a reactionary tide that we we hope we can you know either build a proper dike to get to stop or whatever but it's there's no mainstream republican party is so, mitch mcconnell in, in fact the one thing that may save these democrats is that the republicans may continue to reveal themselves for what they are and the democrats can run a campaign which fuck them for doing it if that's all they do but sorry i'm speaking my mind here um the fact is that if they if they want to run on a we're not Republicans, then 
please. I can only hope that the, you know, here's what I'd like to see happen. Let me come back to what matters. I want us to get this economic bill of rights into the hands of the real progressives in the Democratic Party. And I'm not talking just about the squad. I'm talking about Jamie Raskin. I've been talking to his congressional aide. I'm talking about, uh, you know, folks who are there as progress, who are progressives. Okay. They, they may not be as young and in quotes as, you know, sexy as the men and women of the squad because they're not that young, but there are progressives in the democratic party. And the idea is to give them something to start. I'm just using this, you know, to start rallying around. And I think this economic bill of rights could be just that. No one expects it. No one expects constitutional amendments immediately, but they do expect that the Democrats might find a way. The progressive Democrats and the ones we hope to get elected will find their way to grab hold of the best, as Lincoln would have said, angels of our nature, as FDR would have said, you know, to redeem the promise of America, whatever it might be, and to fight on those terms. Don't fight around around an agenda, fight around a vision that has an agenda associated with it. Does capitalism have an immunosystem that when it experiences a wave of progressivism, it its immunosystem kicks in and brings about world war? That it seems to me World War I came after a massive progressive movement in this country and world war ii came after a great progressive movement in the 30s we're seeing a a failed but uh, volatile progressive movement all it would take is an acceleration in ukraine to kill the progressive movement here in the united states worldwide a big war Alan, you're muted. Lot, yeah, there's a lot backwards about what you're saying. First of all, the progressive movement in the um, end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, nothing that happened in the United States um, um, uh, sparked World War One. World War One was but getting us war. into World War One, distracting us by sending troops. World War Two. It's a a major war is a great way to turn our attention away from a social safety net. Yeah, d d domestically, it's true. The, 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 um, the um, eventual engagement in World War One, of course, yeah, did create reactionary politics in the 1920s um, and uh, staunched um, the American left. So, but, you know, the great moment for the international left happened after we were committed to participate in the war, right? So we entered before Lenin won in in Petersburg, right? Uh, Professor Kay? Well, well talk about I, something I, I should know. Somebody else could probably know the exact dates, but it's all 1917. It's all 1917. And um, um, so, yeah, that's that's a little tenuous. Now, in terms of World War II, uh, once again, the centrality of American actions in sparking the war, I think that's a questionable thing. But even more against your point, David, is um and the guy that was saying the guy who makes this case very well young foreign policy analyst um you know the left has to be aware of how we got where we got world war ii guided by the roosevelt administration 
did not result in um, a weakening of the left domestically in the United States of America. There was a pushback immediately at the end of the war. The Republicans actually won control of Congress, the House for a couple of years. Um, in fact, the only four years they, they held the House was in the decade after World War II, um, all the way up until 1994 from 1933, right? But um, that's the anti-communist backlash, the business backlash that occurred. Um, but overall, you have very, very high unionization rates. And while it's true, the left, especially the radical left, um, was um, forced and, and, and tremendously marginalized from about 1948 uh, through to the 60s, um, um, or at least the very late 50s. Um, I, I think the um, gains of the American working class in that era, not only that, but there was a there's a difficult and hard to um, I mean, to deny it and to disclaim it. I think that there was a symbiotic relationship between, um, you know, U.S. military dominance and growth and the wealth of the American middle class in that era. Um, it's not a direct causality, but I think, you know, it's 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 um, historical revisionism on behalf of the left to not recognize that was part of the component. And I don't just mean that they you know, controlled the world and the wealth came in. Um, the whole World War II uh, military buildup created a massive government debt that then flowed back out into the economy over the next two decades. Uh, and that was the most prosperous period in American society. So the idea that the throughout our history that the military industrial complex has been singularly the enemy of the American working class is is not accurate you don't worry that they can't give us build back better they can't provide a oh, so yeah, now that's something completely different it's completely different but nonetheless look american prosperity look american prosperity is a very paradoxical thing that even amongst ourselves i think that i think the left too often overcomplicates their efforts to uh, analyze um they both oversimplify and overcomplicate um, the analysis of American wealth. American wealth is um, really a, a phenomenally unique thing. We have all the mass aggregate wealth issues, average household wealth, GDP, the entirety of the consumer economy. We're number one, you know? We are, uh, you know, the New York Yankees <laughs> with, uh, you know, DiMaggio going over to Mantle, right? Here we go, um, more Yankee Stadium shit. Yep. Yeah. Um, but um, but then by every meaningful social index, um, health, diet, um, um, poverty, uh, homelessness, mass incarceration, drug addiction, divorce, uh, um, everything, we're the worst of any industrial technological country. And the precarity of the average person is much more extreme than is in Western Europe or in South Korea now, Japan. How is that connected? Taiwan. How is how is our precarity connected to our prowess worldwide? Again, um, I mean, we're just a very, very unique country and we're the only military imperial hegemon in the world now. Um, we have the top university system in the world with a maleducated general population, right? 
But we yeah, so, so we, we spend incredibly incredibly unique instance. Do we have to be? Do we have to have precarity? It's only a trillion dollars that we're spending each year on our defense. No, no, we don't. Look, we don't. I'll answer your question straight up. No, we don't. Okay. Uh, 1948 to 1973 saw incredible economic growth, but actually a decline in inequality in the United States during the period of time in which the United States was the hegemonic power globally. Okay. And the difference is, is that coming out of World War II, despite the reactionary post-Cold War stuff, the labor movement was truly a movement. One of every three workers was in a labor union. Capital could not get away with, with certain kinds of things. But that's the period in which the military industrial complex develops. Yeah. Okay. Which is why it's Eisenhower in, in, in his farewell remarks warns us all about, you know, I'm sure he was utterly amazed at what he was being asked to approve during his two terms as president and worried about the fact that the budgets of the United States were being tied to future military spending. Because indeed, if, if you're going to have a massive military industrial complex, you've got to start spending now in favor of weapon systems five right. and 10 years or and whatever. He said every nuclear, he said every sub is a school and a university we can't have. Is that true? Can't, can, can we have guns and butter? And which is more dangerous for your health, guns or butter? Daniel Bessner is the guy I was thinking of. He's a young guy. I think he's at the Quincy Institute now. Calls himself a Marxist. He did um, um, counsel Bernie Sanders on foreign policy. He's a guy who can talk U.S. foreign policy in a room with other foreign policy experts. And he's also a leftist. And he straight up on some interview I saw said, the left does not understand the relationship of U.S. militarism and our empire to the domestic economy. And even the question, is the fact of our empire and our military being so much larger than everyone else's, is it a negative for the general economic impact in our society? Or do we even understand that relationship? I mean, as simple as, you know, most people would think you have a global empire. The beneficiaries are going to include the citizenry in the, in the coronation. That's an open question. Are we beneficiaries of that? And and then we might be very much beneficiaries. There's just, he said, there simply are not enough studies done of what would seem to be an essential question. But again, you know, this is the thing. Does it make the dollar stronger? In other words, if we are the preeminent power in the world, then you're going to use this country as a tax haven. Why give your money to Switzerland, which has no army, when you can put it in the United States, which is inviolable. That's why we are the preeminent tax haven in the world. Does the military- Nobody's conquered Switzerland, keep that in mind. I'm sorry? <laughs> Nobody has conquered Switzerland. We have. Nope. Well, we've conquered it because we now have stolen their business model. We are now, we're, bad money goes so bad money there's so much bad money out there it goes everywhere but we're we're the number one tax haven and i think the military has something to do with that 
Oh yeah, it does. Um, but you know, he actually. Well, I remember his I, answer. You know, that's not clear either. That's not clear either. I mean, the, psychologically, what, made the, what, what makes the United States? No, no. Look, what 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 has made the United States such an appealing place for Russian oligarchs to to put their money and presumably Chinese oligarchs too, if they can get away with it, is the fact that capitalism is strong and the vast majority of Americans don't seem to be bothered by that fact. They're not worried that the that the that the tallest apartment building ever or whatever the hell, you know, that thing on 57th street in New York, um, nobody's storming the apartment building and it would be kind of a waste to do it. Given the fact that nobody of consequence lives there, it's just literally a place to place your money with the right. idea of having it sit and collect uh, interest on it. Right. So, right. um, no, it's the security. It's just generally the security of, uh, of, of American life. That that's what makes it such so appealing. Well, I think when there's tremendous economic volatility, as there was in 07, 08, and it's almost never even questioned throughout the whole process that the uh, federal treasury bonds are the most um, uh, yeah, safest right. uh, conservative investment in the world. I think somewhere not too far down the line, the fact of the military uh, total domination um, is, is one of the reasons that that was the case. Um, but nobody so can. But nobody yeah, can pretty, connect pretty the two. Um, yeah, and Bessner actually said, um, if he, if Bernie had won, and he had um, um, been in a position of being in the administration, one thing he would have done is study the books to get answers to the questions because he feels like nobody's really asked this. You know, well, the question this came. Whole, by the way, the question came up. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if he, if he, in his, he's a historian, by the way. Not a not a political scientist, and it wouldn't surprise me if he's read about these debates. I mean, the longstanding debate has been whether or not Britain actually benefited by way of its empire, but it, it, the real question was who benefited by way of the empire. Right. Okay. Um, you know, it provided jobs to Scots who went off to fight and Welshmen who went off to fight. Provided officerships for Scottish colonels and and generals. Um, but surely the incomes were, you know, something else. Lame. It also it also provided investments into Brazil, Argentina, and elsewhere. I mean, one of the things about world about a world economy and capitalism is there's a lot of irony is in it. It's not all like oh evil, evil, evil. If you can't appreciate the ironies, you're never going to appreciate why people are happy to accept it. Okay, because it sure as hell beats feudalism. Let's start there. Okay. Whereas I think I said, I think I said to you, Alan, right about uh, uh, Robinson, Joan Robinson's great remark: "The only thing worse than being exploited is to be unemployed." Lane sent me a documentary about the British Empire, and Lane is a friend of the show. He's in CM, yes, right? Brilliant, scary, brilliant guy, and he sent me this documentary about how in the sixties the it became apparent to London, not the city of London, but the, there's a banking capital of London. It became apparent that the empire was over, that they would, uh, th that the pound would have to be uh, kept track of for taxes, but Euro dollars that are passing through Great Britain could be deposited on uh, offshore accounts. So they created the Cayman Islands, the Isle of Jersey, and that 
the 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 banking the bankers of london created a shadow banking system that is more profitable than anything the british empire could have dreamt dreamed of that that taking on uh offshore hiding money from taking money from african corrupt african generals duvalier in haiti taking from oligarchs that it the the bankers in britain discovered in the 60s forget extracting oil from a country take its money you just get the money and invest it and it's an interesting documentary and i i think it's true something like 30 percent of the world's gdp is shadow money yeah roosevelt really ingeniously um basically um destroyed defeated the british empire um in the setup to world war ii um through the land lease arrangements and um i think he was he was definitely um working towards um inheriting that from geographically from the british um the british capitalists however um their global um um uh what's the word Pen penetration of, of global markets um i think a swiss italian group did a study of the corporations that had the largest amount of international market penetration i think seven of the ten were based or six of the ten were based in the city of london lloyd's barclays hsbc um a number of them and um, that's still the case and of course the city of london while smaller than wall street represents a larger percentage of the uk economy than wall street does in the united states and we don't know how big the the british banking system is because we're not allowed to know how many euro dollars they're keeping for people offshore they definitely set up the offshore system by the way one thing i think you're wrong about is i think the cayman islands were the american response to the british offshoring uh um, yeah. islands and stuff okay by the way the uh they ever talk to you they ever tell they ever talk on here about my time on wall street you were a broker no i was in ba international banking you tell me about it yeah mm -hmm. yeah in between when I, I so i did my master's degree at the university of london between university college london and london school of economics and i came back to the states in, in 72 and so in 70 and i was looking for for work I, I my original plan was to go in some kind of government service public service whether it was state department or i even took the test for the national security agency and passed but there was a hiring freeze so um i uh i i interviewed and was i was offered a job on madison avenue with the, with the second largest of the advertising agencies i was offered a job with a huge biggest national one of the biggest three national trucking firms and anyhow i didn't take those and then i i ended up being offered a job it's a long story but i'll make it quick with lloyd's bank international offices were then on 95 wall street i didn't want any one of these jobs that i was interviewing for but i was waiting to see if i could possibly go do a phd and in the meantime because and I, and I would have had to have been paid for the phd so i figured what if i didn't get money so i I went on went to work for the British bank and it was absolutely fascinating. And another night I could probably tell better stories because it's getting late, but I'll never forget that 
there was a there was a door. This was in nineteen. Okay, so this was this was seventy three. That bank the bank had been nationalized in Chile. Okay, one of the reasons that I was hired, by the way, is Lloyd's Bank International was very big in Latin America. They were, it was originally known as the Bank of London in South America, Bolsa, which also means like a purse in Spanish. It was very effective. Uh, well, so and this was the age also of urban guerrillas in uh, Argentina and Uruguay. And Chile, they had been nationalized. So when I was at the bank, I, and I'm not going to tell the, the funniest stories. I'll just tell this story. There was always this door I would walk by. And, and I said to someone, because I, I was just new, I said, what's, what's in there? You know, it's, it, had, it had essentially like a no admittance kind of thing. And this one young uh, fellow, English guy, said, oh, that's where the Chilean accounts are kept. Hmm. Now, that's, that wasn't legal, okay, basically. So they had figured out, you know, they knew how to get, that, you know, vast accounts before the doors came down completely out of there and into there. I'll also tell you, I, can, I, I mean, yeah, actually, I'll t- I will tell the story. What the hell? So... They never had a training program for Americans. I was the, I was a guinea pig in this program in, in, for the bank. They never had an American trainee. Period. And um, so they were tra- they were just sending me from like a few weeks in one department, a few weeks in another. It was generally boring. It was definitely not the life I wanted. Um, but at, at one stretch, they had me sit for two weeks at at the first floor reception area. By the way, these banks could not operate as a regular bank. They were strictly international lending. But they still had these, you know, reception areas down on, you know, what a New York City street looks like. And you're on the corner and there's a, you know, set of offices. And I was sitting at one of the desks. I had a young woman admin assistant in front of me, so they couldn't come directly to me. And I'll never forget. They never told me what I might expect. So I'm sitting there and you know, I, I was wearing a suit. As I didn't wear a three piece. I want to spend that kind of money. I had a suit on. So the guy walks in and I could hear in Spanish that he wanted to see someone of, uh, with authority. And she turned and pointed, you can see Mr. K. Okay. And he comes over to me and he says, uh, can we be alone? And I said, well, we can go into, there was a glass, you know, a glass enclosure office. We can go in there. No, no. Can we go somewhere where no one can see us? And I said, um, I'll tell you what, give me a moment. Give me a moment. Because at one point, he actually, can we go to the men's room? It was that kind of moment. So I said, I had to ask someone upstairs something. So I went upstairs quickly to one of the offices, to the to this vice president, not a senior, but a vice president who I was working with. And I said to him, there's this man downstairs, and he wants to see me. And he asked me, how was he dressed? I said, he had a three-piece suit on, blah, blah, blah. And he said, I think I know who that is. Take him into the men's room. So we go into the offices on that floor. We go to the men's room. He takes off his jacket. He takes, undoes his vest. He lifts up his shirt. And he pulls off a money belt. Hmm. And it had $50,000 in it. This is 1973. So what would that be today? Would you buy, would that be a quarter of a million? Yeah, sure. Right? And he he hands me the cash. I'm holding the cash. 
So I go back up to, to the vice president and I said, what do I do? He goes, take it to whatever her name was. She's going to check for counterfeits. What it was is this guy had come up from Buenos Aires. And what they had realized in the bank network is that there were folks working in the bank who would make notes as to who has ready access to cash. And then they and much of the urban guerrilla stuff was actually kidnappings for the sake of raising monies. So and this happened a couple of, this happened at least a couple of times during those two weeks from there. You know, actually, there was a guy who even came from Chile even after the nationalization. So there must have been about three times or something like that. So it was exciting times. I learned a lot about international banking. I learned nothing about international banking, but I learned a lot about. And they're gangsters. If you a, a successful banker is comfortable laundering money for mobsters. And the only way you can be comfortable around mobsters is if your father or mother was an old time mobster. I mean, that's what happened to the five families. Their kids. Well, when I told my, my, I would tell the story to my students because I used to say to them, I should be getting paid what the business professors are getting paid because I'm the only one with Wall Street experience in this whole university. But nevertheless, right. they said to me, well, didn't you want to take the $50,000 and run with it? Because quarter of a million in counterpart dollars. I said, yeah, but you mentioned gangsters. I said, yeah, but I also knew I also knew there was not a chance in hell I could escape Manhattan alive. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, we have to we have to wrap it up. I am. I hope you found that entertaining. Yes, a little in insight fact, into my here past. is most podcast hosts don't offer get rich quick schemes. But I was reading about this last year. This. If you listen to me now, I will teach you how to make a fortune. And I mean this. OK, now give me two minutes. OK, yeah. If you need money and I mean big money. Listen, pay very care. I'm not. This is not a joke. This is for my sake or, the, or the everybody's audience. sake. OK, find a hundred friends. OK, and That's call tough. call a hundred people or 50. But I. I OK, divide the list. Now, pay attention to this and you will thank me and this will work. And it's not a joke. Divide your friends 50 50 two two columns. The first 50, you call your 50 friends and say, hey, I have a tip. Go buy Apple stock. It's selling at 50 today or 160 buy more Apple stock today. The other column, the other 50, you call 50 other friends and say, hey, I have a tip short. Get call your broker or go on E-Trade and short Apple stock today. I have a tip at Apple, right? The next day, you find out if Apple went up or it went down. If let's say it went up. So you look at the 50 people who you called to buy Apple stock because you were right. You divide them in two. Now you have two columns of 25 and 25. And you call the same 25. You say, I want you to I had another tip on Apple. Buy Apple. 
The other 25, you say, I have a tip on Apple, short it. See where we're going with this? The next day- you No, okay, but, but keep going, please. The next day, you if Apple went up, you take the list of 25 people who you told to buy, right? Divide them in half, 12 and 12. Keep doing the- What do you do with the 25th? You, you, well, you round it off. Fuck the me, point, sorry. The point is- Yes. You, you will find about five, by the time you, you weed them down to 10, you will have five people who will have gotten a call from you about eight times where you said, do this with Apple and you can't go wrong. And they'll think you have inside information. And then you say, hey, I've, I've steered you right eight times on Apple stock. I have a tip, but you need to give me money. You get, need to give me money. I've been right eight times and, you, and they give you money and you change your name and move to the Cayman Islands, which, by the way, is a British. I'm pretty yes. sure it is British. Right. Uh, it is British? Uh, yeah. Yes. Oh, Cayman Islands. Yes. He's thinking of the Milt Cayman Islands, named after the great comedian Milt Cayman. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, you think I'm joking. You do this and you will make a fortune. You just have to be willing to take money and rip off about five people. And if you're not willing to do that, you don't deserve the fortune. I know that my, I know that my pension depends upon investments that I don't make myself, but I do not own a single share of stock. Nor should you. Thank you. Yeah. That's our show. I guess, uh, Henry, uh, I, I'm going to assume Henry's in Russia. Um, I don't know if he's left. I don't know. He's been arrested. Maybe he's arrested. I don't know. But Henry is not. Uh, that's too bad. I was looking forward to going in country. Henry is behind enemy lines. With a Finnish name, no less. I know. Oh, my God. You're right. Yeah. They, they, maybe. No. Yeah. They, they, they didn't join NATO. You're absolutely right. I hope he's not finished. And you do know the Finno-Russian War. Sino-Finnish War, however you want to call it. Not Sino, what I mean is Russo-Finnish, Finnish-Russian. When, 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 when was that? 1940. And when it ended, they said when, when Hitler moved east into Poland, Russia went from the west into Poland, and also there was war between Russia and Finland. But it was romantic. They had skis, I remember, and parkas. It looked yeah. fun. It looked fun. And no Kia was allowed. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Hey, when does your new book come out? That's not till September, the end of September. That, if you read the thing I sent you, that was a little disappointing. On the other hand, I got enough going. Alan and I are going to make history with an economic bill of rights. Read it over at Common Dreams. Go to Common Dreams right now and read Professor Harvey J.K. and Alan Minsky's 21st Century Economic Bill of Rights and go to uh, 
go to wherever you buy books and pick up FDR and democracy, take hold of our history, the fight for the four freedoms. What is the name of the Thomas Paine book? Thomas Paine and the Promise of America. My, that was 2005 and Obama my love letter to America. Obama, it's on Obama's bookshelf. Buy it yeah. nevertheless. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you. Misky and Kay, they go together like PB and J. Like Thelma and Louise, like Mac and Cheese, like Sacco and Benzetti, like meatballs and spaghetti. Allen's in LA, Harvey J's in Green Bay. When they get together, they got a lot to say, cause they're Misky and Kay. Thank you, Professor Mike Steinel. Thank you, thank you. That is our show. And it was a great one. Not great news, but uh, there's videos now of large explosions in the sky over the outskirts of Kiev. The president of Kiev, Vladimir Zelensky, said 137 Ukrainians have been killed so far. And he says that he is Putin's number one target. It's looking pretty ugly in Kiev uh, tonight, as well as Chernobyl, the highly radioactive Chernobyl. Russian forces have reportedly seized the Chernobyl power plant. So this is uh, not good and uh, we wish the people of Ukraine well, and we hope Henry Huckamaki is okay. He is currently in Russia, and uh, he was supposed to be on the show today. I would assume he's fine. Yes, I'm sure he's fine. I want to thank all our guests. I want to thank Johnny Ross. Follow him on Twitter at Fun With Friction. The Hershenfelds, go download on 
YouTube right now or stream on YouTube, Thug Thug Jew, Ethan Hirschenfeld's brilliant comedy special. Thank you, Dr. Ethan Hirschenfeld as well. Emil Guillermo, listen to him on the PETA podcast. Read him over at ALDEF, the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund. Barry W. Lynn, the Reverend Barry W. Lynn. Go to barrywlynn.com for a treasure trove of his sermons, his lectures, and his appearances on a wide range of shows from here to Firing Line with Bill Buckley. The professors and Marianne, thank you, Professor Marianne Cummings. Parks Commissioner Aurora, Illinois, Professor Ann Lee, reader over at the Daily Co's at Annie Lee, Professor Jonathan Bick, and of course, Joe in Norway cooking up a delicious uh, bean, bean meal and then sauerkraut. I hope Professor Adnan Hussein joins us on Monday. Go to the official food pantry of The David Feldman Show, Rahima.org. Please, we don't ask you for much here. Go to Rahima.org and donate. Thank you, Alan Minsky over at Progressive Democrats of America. And of course, Professor Harvey J.K. Pick up one of his books right now and follow him at Harvey J.K., thank you to Dan Frankenberger in the newsroom, and thank you to our friends Andy Brown, Sarah Bush, The Invisible Ninja, Joe in Norway, Hannah Fartman, and Professor John for showing up to our meetings. The Invisible Ninja is doing a great job clipping, uh, clipping portions of the show, digestible portions of the show, and putting it on our YouTube channel, please subscribe to this show wherever you get podcasts. We're on every platform. If you want to listen to this podcast, you can find us wherever podcasts are delivered. We also have a YouTube channel. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. We have uh, clips. The Invisible Ninja is doing a great job. We also have a Discord Group, a Discord channel, and the way to join our Discord channel is to come to us every Friday night at 8 p.m. for office hours. I'm there every Friday night from 8 till 9, so I make myself available to the listeners. If you have any suggestions, complaints, or if you just want to talk from 8 to 9, I will talk to whoever raises their hand. And then after me, it's the community takes over. There's music, there are lectures, there are conversations, lots of art, lots of lectures. And we watch movies like The Twilight. We'll, we'll watch The Twilight Zone uh, this Friday night and uh, with Professor John. And we did a table read of uh, Twin Peaks, Sarah Bush, uh, directed a table read of Twin Peaks. If you would like to attend any of this, go to my website. All you need to do is sign up and you're in. Thank you all. I'm David Feldman. Remember to stay strong and protect the weak. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comics too. To tell a dirty joke, he knows quite a few. He just 
Mr. Lefty. From way back, he's a human man with an Emmy for right. Some days he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. So get your ears all right, buckled in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Yes, it's time right now on the David Feldman Show. Get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming away. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. 